Between the Sheets, episode number 425. I'm Josh Chris Joined as always by my host, David Bix and Span. And Bix, just meeting you again this week. And uh, we got an interesting show. But first, Mailbag is up on our Patreon at patreon.com slash Twin Sheets. Yes, first Mailbag show in quite a while because we had time that we could actually find to do it because we were ahead of schedule on the patreon show so we got it done and uh, it is now up on the patreon patreon.com slash between the sheets at the five dollar a month tier or higher yes and we've got a lot of different things we talk about on the mailbag show we had some people wanting us to fantasy book things wcw without hulk hogan would that have been an attitude error if Hulk Hogan didn't go to WCW? I mean, that. We talk about uh, the first wrestling videos we ever owned. Somebody asked about that. Uh, what happens if Shane Douglas is not, not the NWA champion and throws on the belt? There's that. Uh, well, so what if Shane Douglas stays in the WWF and doesn't pursue teaching? And that was the 1991 version of Shane Douglas, yes. Yes, the very supplement-taking uh, Shane Douglas. And um, got all kinds of other stuff, including Bix's uh, thoughts on uh, his favorite parts of doing this show. So yeah. qu- quite the uh, the show on Patreon.com slash Stream Sheets. Five dollars get you access to that, plus to all the main shows we do. And uh, I'm going to try to get some more mailbags done. Um, as we can, and yes, we do have still a lot of questions for our mailbag with Bo, so maybe we'll get one of them taken care of in the n- near future as well. So, uh, we'll try to get a little bit more going on the Patreon. No guarantees, just saying we're gonna try to do do that. The as we guarantee is the monthly theme. Yes, that's the guarantee. Everything else is a uh, extra perk, so to speak. So five dollars a month, patreon.com slash twin sheets. Of course we got the new show up as well. Uh part one of our look at the two part series of uh Todd is God, uh, his autobiography. Todd Gordon's and, autobiography, yes. Yes. And um not Todd Sexton, not uh what other Todds are there in wrestling? Todd Overbow. Todd Pettengill. But um I mean, Todd Pettengill. Yeah. But yeah, so there's that and all the other stuff we've done as we we will enter year eight of the Patreon at the end of October. So there you go. All right, well, let's get started as we uh, go back now one year from last week, 1991, week that was September 27th through October the 2nd. And we start off with Hulk Hogan doing a media tour surrounding Suburban Commando, which comes out actually uh, two days after our weekends on October the 4th. And he did a major interview with the St. Petersburg Times on September 29th, where he, Hulk Hogan's been getting exceedingly favorable press of late and PR work for the movie Suburban Commando, scheduled for nationally on October the 4th. He was asked about the George Zaharian trial and made these comments. I was a patient in 1983 from some sports injuries, and part of that therapy included anti-inflammatory drugs. It also included a mild prescribed legal steroid during the time I was injured. But when they kicked down his door to bust him, all of a sudden there was a picture of me shaking hands with him on the wall. All of a sudden, this guy becomes Hulk Hogan's doctor. That's what Hulk said. 
So the latest spin story for Hogan is to say his name was mentioned in connection with Zahorian because he was a patient for a 1983 injury, and when Zahorian was busted, the only connection was a photo of them shaking hands on his wall. More should be said this week, as Hogan was interviewed mainly for movie PR by Entertainment Tonight for a piece that a press time was scheduled to run on October 3rd, which would also include interviews with superstar Billy Graham Bruno San Martino. It didn't. Billy Graham was pulled from the, from the show the day before the show aired. Uh, when Hogan was interviewed regarding the subject of steroids, his connection to the Zaharian trial, they said he didn't belong at the trial. He was in no way part of the case, which is why he was dismissed from testifying. And again, said he never took steroids except for three times for the treatment of an injury. Well, this time he said it was in 1984. And when one considers how carefully scripted his story should be, he should have the year clean in his mind by now. <laughs> this is Hulk Hogan. So <laughs> we know how the future's going to go with that. The Miami Herald was scheduled to run a piece as well on October 3rd, written by Alice Marvez regarding this subject in connection with Florida's looking at instituting regulation of the wrestling industry, which would include mandatory steroid testing. Speaking of which, Mary Lou Gantner, behavioral specialist and mother of former football player and wrestler Ed Gantner, who died 10 months back of a suicide after losing both kidneys, apparently due to 12 years of steroid use, is expected to testify on November 4th, 5th regulatory meeting, and will reveal that Ed continued to use steroids even after losing his first kidney, and he even told his mother when she feared for his life that I may die, but I'll be so big they'll have to bury me in a piano crate. And we've talked about that before on Between the Sheets. Uh, let's see, what show was that? As we discussed that on show, I think it was last year that we went in depth, right? Uh, the hearing was on. We discussed the hearing on show sixty-eight. I feel like there's more we did last year, though. We did uh, October twenty-sixth and November the first. That was show three seventy-eight. Okay. So last year, yeah, yeah. Now the now for the October third Alice Marvest thing, show one sixty-eight. We did October third through October 9th, ninety-one. So, did we did we play Hogan's Return to Arsenio on that show? I don't remember because that's on the fourth the night the movie comes. Probably out. so. I don't remember playing that though. But well, it's the one it where was, he comes out in the outfit from Suburban Commando. Well, it showed one sixty-eight, so I don't know. But anyway. it may not, it may not have been on YouTube at the time. You know, that's been a while back. Yeah, because that would have been around when. Show 168, so you're looking at... I know it was on YouTube. It doesn't have the exact date, but Mr. Moop put it up on New Year's Day 2016. Okay, well, either we did or we didn't. I don't know. All right, it's been so long ago because it's show 425. Um, in addition, Hogan scheduled for an appearance on Arsenio Hall on Friday night, his first and by first by any wrestler since his, first, since his July appearance where he proclaimed for the first time he had never used steroids except for three times in 83 when he was champ to help repair an injury. Joy Dulce, a producer of the show, told us that Hogan asked to appear on the show. The July appearance, not this week's one, which was booked through PR agents of the movie company. And they thought he'd give a story similar to Lyle Zato, who was on the show a week earlier, admitting uses and telling kids it was wrong road to take. Pointing out the side effects and figured that with Hogan's popularity with kids, it would be beneficial. Backstage for the show, Hogan said he used to use steroids, and while what he said on the air can be interpreted as saying the same thing, those of the show were surprised with the story he told on the air. Because of that, they don't want Hogan talking about the subject on Friday night. That's something that we've never talked about with the Hogan thing on Arsenio was Lyle Alzado was on the week before with all his you know stuff going on. Well, and also, I don't know if we've that ever talked about worse. before that... 
it wasn't just Vince he made the promise to that he went back on. It was also the producers. Yeah. That makes it worse that Alzado in the shape that he was in was on there and Hogan does this shit. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, we're going to get more from that, more on that from Dave now. But And I also have the, uh, the FedEx records uh, and the fax that Dave sent to... Uh, to what's his face, uh, Phil Moshnick a few weeks after this in front of in front of me, in case we need it. First off, as has already come out, in the Zahorian trial, Zahorian testified that he first met Hogan in 1984, which that's not true. And when he met him, Hogan had a serious steroid abuse problem. Hogan claims Zahorian was his doctor in 1983 and prescribed medication to repair an injury. Granted, that could be an honest mistake as far as the date contradictions. And it probably well, is, because it's... Well, well, one would presume two things, however. First, it's hard to believe Zahari and Hogan never met in 1980 when Hogan was a WF regular and Zahari was the physician in attendance at ringside every three weeks at, in Allentown and Hamburg. That's what I'm saying. There's on tape. There's Zahari oh, sitting mean, ringside as Hogan's wrestling. I just mean as far as whatever specific thing he's describing that he's trying to claim is his only use. I'm no, assuming I'm talking about that Zahari, bitch. Oh, sure. No, 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 yeah, yeah. no, no I Zahari, agree with you. It's a bigger liar than Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> because the horn's right there. It's in the ringside in 1980. And he's the guy who would have taken his blood pressure and everything. And, I mean, Hogan's pretty hard to forget. Yeah, so Hogan, so the horn's a bigger liar than Hogan is right now. It's also strange that Hogan spoke of his injury when he held the title in 1983 when Hogan didn't win the title to January 23rd, 1984. Even stranger is Hogan would be seeing the for a 1983 injury since at the time Hogan wrestled exclusively for the AWA in the Midwest. And for New Japan, it was never booked anywhere near Pennsylvania. Although Zahori was his personal physician, which Hogan claims he wasn't, it would be understandable. Zahori claimed in the trial that he helped Hogan kick a steroid problem in 1989. But later in an interview with Inside Edition, Zahori said in a telephone interview that he thought he helped him quit steroids, but he didn't know whether or not he did. But then refused to say the same thing in front of a camera. Hogan and Arsenio said there were a lot of lies told in the press and told during the trial. They don't know about the trial, but there's certainly been a lot of lies told in the press. Another point needs to be made here, in many other places. The word steroids is used to mean specifically the muscle-building drugs. Anabolic androgenic steroids, AAS. There are steroids known as corticosteroids. Corticosteroids, yes. Such as cortisone, but they aren't even used in the same context as AAS. They aren't banned by any sports organizations, aren't legal anywhere, aren't used for performance enhancement in sports, but are used for treatment of arthritis and muscle inflammation. On their frequent use, they can destroy the joints, which is why most doctors recommend a specific joint gets at most three-quarter zone shots during a lifetime. The so-called Bosworth defense, hey, Brian Bosworth, similar to what Hogan claimed, was confused the two. Maybe because he's confused or maybe because he's trying to confuse people who don't know better into thinking his immediate use of what would be corticosteroids is what caused publicity. When one has nothing to do with the other except both for steroids. According to Dr. Bentron Zarins, if that is his real name, a Harvard Medical School orthopedic surgeon and team physician for the New England Patriots and Boston Bruins, in a major article in the Marquette Sports Law Journal, anabolic androgenic steroids are not and have never been used to treat injuries. I have never done it or seen it done. I doubt they, athletes in this, athletes in this specific case referring to Brian Bosworth, confuse the two. I think most people who take antibiotic steroids know what they are taking. 
According to Dr. Gary Wilder, a professor of medicine at Cornell University's Medical College, who has written a medical textbook called Drugs and the Athlete, which both the American Medical Association and New England Journal of Medicine called the definitive work in the field, AS would be used medicinally for times of anemia associated with chronic kidney disease as a treatment for advanced breast cancer, severe osteoporosis in individuals with no produce enough testosterone, or liver enzyme deficiency. Okay, let's stop here and go through some of this. Um, I mean, it, we don't hear it as much, but, like, that version of the Bosworth defense to try to trick people into confusing corticosteroids and anabolic steroids, that would go on for years and years. Kurt Angle's post-WWE firing media tour included him claiming that he had been failed for a drug test because his he needed a new cortisone prescription or something. Cortisone was not banned under the WWE drug policy. You know, I think it was actually uh, Nandrolone, DECA, that he failed for, if I remember right. Um, I think if you explain it, people understand the difference. But here's the other thing. I think now it's become clear, in time, they're not designed for it, but there are ways that anabolic steroids do help with injuries. You know? So it's... It's not as black and white as it's made to sound here. Um, now, as far as Zahorian should note, I was trying to jog my memory. It's possible when he's talking about the first time he met Hogan, he may mean in terms of giving him steroids or other drugs, because I don't remember when in 1981, but if I remember right, He's not, he doesn't have a DEA number and he can't prescribe narcotics until, until 81, some point in 81. So Zahorian, and I, my understanding is that is true, has always been pretty firm that anyone who says he prescribed them something of that nature before 1981 is lying. And I, again, like I said, I'm fairly sure that's legitimate. So there's also that. Now, as far as, what Dave's dancing around with Hogan and Zahorian, which we don't need to dance around anymore, now that Jerry McDevitt said it on Dark Side of the Ring, is that Hogan got out of testifying because Zahorian had treated him for an issue, uh, for a fertility issue. And that as a result, they had a legitimate doctor-patient relationship that did not exist with the other wrestlers who were called to testify, and thus he was able to get out of it. Um... Let me actually read what Dave wrote about that here. If I can find it real quick. Uh, well, and regardless, what I mean, what do you think of all this? As I try to find it, a bunch of, I mean, it's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> which, which, which? Tell, I mean, all the Hogan law, all this law. Oh, Hogan, Hogan. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay. You know. Um. Okay, where are you? Uh, okay. Uh, where is the relevant thing? I'm trying to find the right part. Okay, I'm tr- having trouble finding the right part where Dave talks about that, about why there was a legitimate doctor-patient relationship. But anyway, like, I mean, let's be realistic. It's Hogan. I think a ton of this is, and I don't think we ever look at it this way, but now that we can talk openly about why he didn't testify, I think we can. (sighs) 
this is I mean, so much of this is rooted in Hogan not wanting to be public, and understandably so, about the idea that steroids made it that he had trouble conceiving. Yes. And desperately trying to hide that fact. Yes. And you know what? I don't blame him. 1991 especially? Like, what do you think of that? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's understandable. And, like, if Zahorian did treat him for that, then yeah, he did have a legitimate doctor-patient relationship with Zahorian that the others didn't have. Um. Okay, oh, I found it. All right, uh, my feeling is Zahorian will stick by McMahon because they may be co-defendants in a suit, but there's a lot of, lot of personal animosity towards Hogan because he, being Zahorian, believes Hogan sold him down the river and didn't defend him. And the bitterness being because uh, he legitimately helped wean Hogan's off steroids in 1989. Temporarily. Um, so that's, that's Dave to Phil Mushnick on uh, October 26th. So a few weeks after what we're covering here. So, I mean, let me ask you this. With everything else that's going on. If that comes out in 1991, rightly or wrongly, how bad is that that specific story coming out for Hogan? At the time, it's – I mean, it's the it's steroids. It's going to be anything else. But you, you don't think there's going to be late-night talk show jokes about Hulk Hogan's dick not working or whatever people would be saying? It can be. It all depends. I mean, it's tough to say because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what uh, how the people reacted to would reacted to if he did it because he didn't do it. And also, it's not like there's really a good. I can't. I can't. I can't give you a hypothetical. And there's not really a good comparison point either. I just, I just can't do it. Yeah. Um. But I think we agree. Like it's understandable now. That doesn't mean he shouldn't have been more honest than he was. He absolutely should have been more honest. And especially since he was reducing his steroid usage and slimming down. Like, he looks like he's getting cleaner. So why not just say, yeah, I was using steroids, it's a mistake. Or I've used steroids, don't be specific about years. You know, because of the potential criminal side of it or whatever and just be as honest as you can without incriminating yourself i think basically is what he should have done well there yeah. is something else though how much is uh, the phrase tampa pipeline factoring into his thought process here too yeah like he knows there are stories out there we don't know how true they are or aren't he knows there are stories out there about him dealing drugs I would think. So I, that's probably part of his thought process in all this, too. Maybe. I mean, when you combine those two things, I understand the impulse to just double-cross Vince and deny, deny, deny a little bit, you know? Yeah. So let's keep going, I guess. As things stand right now, the future looks like we'll have unlucky athletes become the scapegoats for management that won't have it both ways. In this case, WF management wants to say drug-free, and at the same time, the reality is anything but it feels it can use the buzzword drug testing as a defense. However, since Terry Belay and his role as Hulk Hogan is going public again this week with a story, some facts need to be brought out. 
The story that Hogan's name came up in the Zaharian trial because when Zaharian's office was busted, they saw a photo of Zaharian with Hogan. is completely ridiculous. When Zaharian was busted, they just found him destroying FedEx receipts in his office when he said he wanted to be alone to call his lawyer. Investigations, most of which involved Bill Dunn, the government's secret informant in the case, reveals Zaharian dispensed steroids in two ways. One in person, and also through the mall, with him shipping them through Federal Express. At that point, Dennis Through the Egan, mail. You said through the mall. Mail, mall, whatever. At that point, Dennis Deegan, the National Steroid Investigations Coordinator, and David Kazuski is assisted subpoena Zahorian's Federal Express records. The list included shipments of 37 identifiable wrestlers employed by World Wrestling Federation. This doesn't include shipments to Titan headquarters addressed to several non-wrestling personnel and shipments to other Titan employees to their homes during that period of time. And 43 identifiable, and Dave brings up identifiable because there are many aliases on the list, wrestlers in total. Many of the names were never investigated because shipments were made to aliases or even real names, and the investigators and prosecutor in some cases didn't know some of the names listed were real names of wrestlers. All the wrestlers subpoenaed in the Zahorian trial originally, Hogan, Brian Blair, Roddy Piper, Danny Spivey, and Rick Martell, were prominent and easily identifiable on the list. There were also at least 15 shipments directly to Titan Sports offices, ordered mainly by either Vincent Mann or Lord Alfred Hayes, totaling 36 pounds. Man publicly admitted using Decaderobolin, briefly three and a half or four years ago, purchased from Zaharian, although the shipments with his name on them were from 1988-89 period. Zaharian stopped dispensing steroids on March 23, 1990 after the raid on his office. When asked about the packages by Alice Marvez, W.S. spokesman Steve Planamento wouldn't comment. During the trial, Zaharian admitted to selling steroids through the mail to all seven of the previously mentioned names. Okay. So... All right. Do we want to talk about the list of names first, or do we want to talk about Hogan specifically? Well, it's whatever you want to do. Okay. Um. So I, I pulled a, a just to get it over. Okay. So I pulled up the Zahorian tr- uh, trial transcript. Um. His lawyer is asking about like wrestlers he's no- he knows and stuff, and. We get this. Hulk Hogan. How long have you known him? About oh, 1984. To the present? Yes, sir. Dispense steroids to him? Yes, sir. That man in the beginning, he came from a gym. He came to the WWF. I talked to him, and it wasn't after a while that I began to have some serious conversations with him. This man, and then the prosecution objects because they think it's getting unresponsive. Um, and Zohorin's lawyer asked him, did you take Hulk Hogan from serious abuse of steroids all the way off them? Yes, sir. You did? Yes, sir. This man has not taken any type of anabolic steroids, to the best of my knowledge, for the past two or three years. Because of you? Yes, sir. His love of God, his children, his family. And that that's the end of the uh, thing. Um, meanwhile, October 26th, a few weeks after the week recovering, Dear Phil, from Dave Meltzer, enclosed are the documents regarding the FedEx packages from Zahorian. There are many wrestlers listed with aliases, etc., but here's what I've been able to decipher. Which is a lot more than the government was able to because they don't know the real names and addresses of wrestlers. Chris, shall we uh, decode for everyone who hasn't figured it out already why Dave would have the real names of most of the re- I mean, excuse me, the, the addresses of most of the wrestlers? Because they were subscribers to the newsletter. Mm-hmm. So, here's who we've got on here, and I'm not going to read everything Dave wrote, but we've got... Jake the Snake Roberts, Terry Gibbs, uh, I remember these aren't all necessarily steroids, uh, Adriana John- Adonis, uh, Jerry Orotsky is Jerry Oski, right? 
Yes. Uh, Rudy Diamond, uh, a WWF TV studio on Hamilton Avenue. Uh, Dan Spivey, Bam Bam Bigelow, Brian Blair, uh, Terry Balea, Tiny Bolin, El Balea, Linda Balea, T Balea, Terry Balea were all shipments to Hulk Hogan. Uh, Rick Martel, and again, a lot of these are aliases, wife's names, etc. Moondog Spot. I'm not double dipping on anyone. Uh, WWF job guy Dan Brower. Uh, the Briscoe Brothers Body Shop. Uh, Ken Patera. Another WWF TV studio. Uh, Moondog Rex. Rudy Diamond Terry Gibbs again. Tom McGee. Roddy Piper. George Steele. Eddie Gilbert. Emily Feinberg. Vince McMahon's personal secretary. Playboy Buddy Rose, uh, Masa Saido, Jim Powers, uh, someone who was trying to be a wrestler in Charlotte, Kurt Hennig, Boris Zukov, uh, Olympia Hartower, uh, Al Hayes, Ultimate Warrior, Hercules, uh, Oliver Humperdinck, Virgil, JYD, a Florida construction company, Damian Kane. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, he did have some big arms. I guess. Uh, Greg Valentine, uh, Dr. D. David Schultz, uh, Steve Muslin, uh, Possibly Gene Okerlund, uh, Bob Orton. A lot of these are doubled because he's just going over all the different names and stuff. Randy Savage, uh, more WWF office, more construction companies. <laughs> One of the Randy Savage aliases was Randolph Farms. <laughs> Mike Rotunda, Rick Rude, uh... A package for Stanley Saul signed by Dick Tracy. Signed for by Dick Tracy. Uh, you get the idea. Um, oh, Brian Sosha <laughs> of the Miami Dolphins. Yes. Big Boss Man. And most, okay, then these pretty much just keep repeating. Uh, not all these shipments contain steroids, as I mentioned to you, but every package brought up in the trial turned out to contain steroids, so it would be safe to assume the vast majority of shipments to wrestlers were st other steroids or painkillers. Most of Dorian's dealings were in person, not through the mail. Alex Marvez has a breakdown of the amount of steroids Zahorian ordered for the, versus the amount he wrote up prescriptions for, and the difference is staggering. Zahorian, who is awaiting sentencing and is expected to be part of a suit uh a lawsuit filed against himself and McMahon by Billy Graham. Supposedly it'll be filed uh, this coming week, but somehow I don't think it'll ever be filed. Well, it does. It just takes months and months. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. Uh, said the package to Titan contained, quote, medication for the wrestlers and not steroids. Although in the trial, he said he regularly sent steroids to Vince McMahon and Lord Alfred Hayes. Um, you get the idea. So... <sighs> I mean, Hogan's all over this. I mean, there's there's even a... I mean, I skipped over it, but there's a package addressed to H. Hogan, too. <laughs> he was probably the most regular customer. Well, no, because... Uh, 
I don't think he's mentioned here, but it comes out in test. Oh, I think it's, uh, let me pull it back up the Zahorian testimony. Forget it's in the Zahorian trial or the Vinch trial. Comes out that Zahorian wasn't even Hogan's main steroid supplier. Remember, it was Dr. Bob. Yeah. Bob Tanovich. But, say, I, but I'm, talking about, I'm talking about Zahorian himself. Hogan was probably his top uh, client. Oh, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Even if, even if, even if he's not Hogan's main doctor, he, Hogan can still be his most prolific customer. Yes. That's possible. Just with all those different aliases. Tiny Bolin. Oh, yeah. Tiny Bolin and Randolph Fields. <laughs> what, what would their team name be? I don't know. But, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Zorian was supplying everybody, basically, at one point in time, so. Yes, especially if they had come through the WWF during the uh, early 80s. The wrestlers in the grand jury dockets were not only one supplied by Zaharian, only the one supplied by Federal Express. There were no shipments to Billy Graham, for example, who testified at the trial. He used steroids, and Zaharian was his main supplier until he quit using the drug in 1989. Graham claimed at the trial that he would order steroids from Zaharian, who would box them up and bring them to him in arenas when Graham would work in western Pennsylvania. At the trial, Zaharian testified he needed to spend steroids to 15 to 20 wrestlers, which would be 89% of the wrestlers on the card in that fashion. So no paper trail there. That's just a straight delivery. There's no telling how much of that was going on. I mean, again, Dave says that's that was Orion's primary business with the wrestlers. Was the catch yeah, and carry so, at the Pennsylvania shows. So there you go. I mean, so that's not that's something you can't track. Terry Belair received five packages from the Horn in nineteen eighty eight, sent to his home in St. Petersburg, Florida, and Stanford, Connecticut. On May eighteenth, eighty eight, a three pound package was sent to Terry Belair at his St. Petersburg home, signed for by El Belair, presumably his wife Linda. On September 2nd, 88, a three-pound package was sent to Tiny Bolin at his Stanford home, <laughs> signed for by T. Balea. Tiny Bolin will never make me not laugh. <laughs> on February 3rd, 1988, a one-pound package was sent to Linda Balea at his Stanford home, signed by Linda Balea. On November 10th, 1988, a three-pound package was sent to Linda Balea at his St. Petersburg home, signed for by H. Hogan. And on March 2nd, 1988, a one-pound package sent to Terry Belay at his St. Petersburg home signed for by H. Hogan. <laughs> I mean, Tiny so Bolin is, <laughs> is great because it sounds like the name of a steroid, too. <laughs> no Taron Bostic yet, though. No, but a bit, like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do, or maybe it's a nickname for HCD. Yeah, I'm going to do some Tiny Bolin so my balls don't shrink, brother. <laughs> According uh, to a daughter's, <laughs> according to a daughter's considered an expert on the subject, and his name can't be mentioned here because he advises athletes on how to beat steroid tests. Oh, gee, I wonder who that is. <laughs> One pound of steroid decadarabolin, which he said is the most frequently used steroid today, is good for approximately four hundred forty-eight shots. He said, compared to bodybuilders, who generally take two shots per week, maybe three or four shows. So, what pound? If it is decadarabolin, is an enormous amount. In fact, it can be a lifetime supply for someone who cycles. Ooh, and Hogan's uh, going through a lot. So, uh, okay, so one pound in and of itself, and we're not necessarily th saying all oh, this is Deca, but still, we're assuming Hogan mostly got steroids. Uh, from the packages they tracked in 1988 alone, 
Hogan got six, seven, ten, eleven pounds of ster- eleven pounds of packages from Zorian in nineteen eighty eight. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, that is definitely a lot. Um, and of course, the doctor here has to be more de Pascal. I would think so. But good lord. That's a lot of steroids. Yeah, so that's 11 times 11, so that's, yeah, that's like 4,500 steroid shots in a year. If we're assuming it's all steroids. There is no proof that steroids were in all, or for that matter, any of these packages. I mean, that is true. That's something that you gotta say. That there is, but, there could be other uh, stuff in here, yes. And pills yeah. would weigh however much, too, versus liquid, so it's complicated, but yes. But the subpoena in regards to Hogan in connection to the Zahorian case was because of those packages. Not because of the photo found at the doctor's office on the day of the raid. Zahorian said he supplied steroids to Hogan until 1989, but the charge against Zahorian related to stealing steroids to Balea was not dropped because he had nothing to do with the trial. It was dropped because the judge felt Hogan's personal privacy interests and business interests outweighed the need to try Zaharian on the charge. When Hogan's subpoena was squashed and the charges was dropped, the prosecuting attorney in this t- case, Theodore Smith III, was vehemently opposed to the judge's decision. Although in hindsight, he says he got the convention without Hogan's testimony, and his only purpose in the case was to get the convention, he long, longer feels that way. What's been proven is the packages sent to the other, all, other four names subpoenaing the case contain steroids. In some cases, they contain steroids alone. In other cases, they contain steroids and painkillers like Halcyon. Uh, that ain't a painkiller, brother. <laughs> no, it's not. It also must be pointed out here that at the period in question, there was no federal law against possession and use of steroids. The law making a felony went into effect in February. Oh, there was illegal in many states, including California. The law Zahorian was convicted of violating went into effect November 18, 1988, or eight days after the last shipment on record to Hogan's home. That time frame had apparently had nothing to do with the charge being dropped either, however. Hmm. The, fe- the fellow expressed receipts along with the testimony in the trial also contradicted Roddy Piper's statements in the Oregonian that he hadn't used steroids two and a half, three years since the trial. During the trial, Piper testified he ordered and received the shipment of steroids from Zahorian on March 24, 1990 which contained decadroblin, windstraw, and he believed anti-inflammatory drug. It's one of 10 FedEx shipments from Zaharian to Piper totaling 26 pounds between 1986 and 1990. Wow. <laughs> Piper's loading up too. But Piper never gets mentioned in all this stuff. You know? Not that much. I mean, he got the attention at the time, yes. Yeah, but it's not Hogan level? No. Because, well, because remember... The big deal ends up being that his name gets leaked out by Zahorian's lawyer after he's let out of testifying, and that's why it starts to become controversy. And lie about it either, right? So. This is not meant to rehash an old story so much as illustrate that there seems to be a lot of holes in certain people's current stories. But maybe some of this can be explained as well. In the Underground Steroid Handbook, considered by many as the Bible for steroid users, in the chapter entitled You, Steroids, and the Law, author Dan Duchesne wrote, Are there any ways to protect yourself from arrest or prosecution assuming that you are illegally possessing and using steroids? Yes, but they are sneaky and unethical. Never, never admit you to steroids. Ever. Lie if you have to. Although it was mentioned in last week's Observer, 
Dave feels he didn't get enough credit. The world changer for us for editing up the chauffeur. Oh, I don't know why I left that in that part. He put that in there in the middle of the Hogan thing <laughs> because it goes right to the Hogan story. Okay. So sorry, me. I, I sh- that's Dave just randomly putting something in, in the Hogan store. So back to the Hogan store in the St. Pete paper. Okay, Jesus. Hogan said his family was his top priority and they never wrestled a full-time schedule again. But he also indicated he had no intention of fully retiring from wrestling. He said he'd like to still be re- wrestling when he was 60 and also talked to grooming his replacement, as in said justice one would expect, as if it was something imminent. I think most people expect Justice to be the champion at some point within the next year, Dave said. He's almost sure of an interim guy this time rather than Hogan actually loses the best to Justice because many of the company have thought in hindsight that Warrior beating Hogan wasn't the right way to accomplish setting Warrior up as champion. Dave still thinks it was a great way, but the promotion focused hard on Ho- so hard on Hogan after the match, and Warrior had no hot contenders ready. Dave also thought he wasn't as versatile enough for Foreman to survive in that spot, which is why his title reign was successful. He certainly gave the impression he'd be devoting more time to movies in the future. A lot depends on how well this film goes over nationally. If it's a big draw, he'll have tons of opportunities. If it doesn't draw, he's a big enough celebrity that he'll have opportunities, but not as many. I mean, it looked at the time that Sid was going to be that guy. Yeah. You know, they brought him in. He's aligned with Hogan. He's not injured yet. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it looks like Sid's going to be that guy. But Dave brings up the issue of what's a warrior. Mm. You know, yeah, they focus a lot on Hogan, but there's also warrior shortcomings that hint that, that that had stopped his title reign. And, you know, if they do that with Sid here in 92, it probably goes the same way. What you know? The, I mean, warrior, like Dave said, is not a versatile enough performer for the role regardless but if Hogan doesn't suck up so much of the spotlight in the title change and Earthquake is there to be Warrior's first challenger, I do think it still goes much, much differently. Yeah, but Hogan was a better worker than the Warrior was. Oh, much better worker. Smarter worker, too. Yes. Warrior wouldn't have lasted in that role. Like I said, Sid wouldn't have lasted in that role. Those guys are not world champions. No. They, what, they're, what they are, are, they're guys that you use as attractions. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's why Andre was never the world champion. Yeah. You know? Now, as far as Suburban Commando, uh, do you recall how it did against the box office and what it was up against? I think it finished, didn't it finish like on the, in the bottom half of the top ten? So it opened... For its first weekend, seventh place. That's what I thought. I knew it was bottom half the top ten. With just under 1.95 million on 899 screens, average of 21.66 per screen. Uh, uh, so I'm trying to think what was out that week. Um, oh, God. Most of was what Silent, was ahead of it was Was Silence of the Lambs out that week? No. Or, or Okay. Uh, so this is October. I mean, 4th, Silence of the 19th. Lambs had been out for months and placed twenty first. Okay, so, uh, October fourth, ninety one. Trying to think, what have been in the theaters at that point in time? Was Joe Pesci's The Super out? 
that premiered was that the, same the same weekend week? and came oh. in fifth place with <laughs> three point six six million on fifteen seventy eight screens. Didn't average that much more per screen though twenty three seventeen. I remember. God, I remember that movie. <laughs> okay, so oh, that's man. one of two openings ahead of Suburban Commando. What do you think the other opening ahead of Suburban Commando is? Same week. Yes. Ooh. All right, uh, give me a hint. I, I have no recollection of what this movie is. Um, it, it has it shares a name with a current WWE wrestler. All right, hold on a second. Ricochet. Yes. Oh, that's Denzel, Denzel, and uh, John Lithgow. Yes, uh, that came in second place. Four point eight three million on one thousand five hundred sixty screens. Uh, much higher per screen than the other two. Thirty ninety six. Number one in its how many weeks is this? After three weeks, the Fisher King. Oh God, yeah, Robin Williams. Yes. Yeah. Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges, yeah, that came out in September. Yeah. Yes. A former radio DJ, suicidally despondent because of a terrible mistake he made, finds redemption in helping a deranged homeless man who was an unwitting victim of that mistake. Was it necessary roughness out that same time? Uh, that is in what week? I mean, it, yes, that's in fourth place. So that's two weeks in. Uh, uh four point four seven million. Just under seventeen hundred screens, twenty six thirty nine per screen. What was second? Ricochet. Oh, so Ricochet was second. What was third? Deceived. Deceived. Who the fuck was in Deceived? Uh, a man murdered when checking authenticity of ancient Egyptian jewelry at a museum. Adrian finds out after the death of her husband that he was using a fake name. Are the two deaths linked? What the hell is this movie? Was that Goldie Hawn? Yeah, Goldie Hawn and John Hurd. That's right. Okay, now it sounds a little more familiar. Yeah, John Hurd, the dad from Home Alone. Yes, eventual noted uh, abuser and stalker John Hurd. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, who... <laughs> just to show how pe different everything was 25, 26 years ago, the bad publicity over John Hurd being an abusive... I forget if they were married, so I'll just say partner... Basically got Melissa Leo fired from Homicide Life on the Street. And how crazy is it? I can remember pretty much release release time at periods from 1991, but I couldn't tell you jack shit about what's out today because that stuff was ingrained in my head because I watched so much television back then that I remember these, you know, remember remember that stuff. Right. All right. So what do you think Suburban Commando came in ahead of? Ahead of oh shit, it was seventh, right? Uh, yes, oh, I, and, I have, it, and and there was there there was at least one opening it came in ahead of. I have no idea. Okay, so eighth place was Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare. Well, that had been out for a while. It'd been out for about a month. Yeah. Um, nine was the premiere week of Shout. Shout. Uh. Let me see. A new music was... teacher in 1955 West Texas home for wayward boys brings new vision and hope for many of the... John Travolta boys. movie. That's, Tra that's Travolta. Yeah, I remember that. This is like what? Like his first thing after Look Who's Talking? No, he had like a movie out around the same time. Okay. Another movie. Uh, what was that other movie he was in? Eyes of an Angel. He had two movies out in back-to-back -back weeks. Okay. 
So number 10 was dead again after seven weeks. Number 11 was Terminator 2 Judgment Day after 14 weeks. Well, good lord. <laughs> still, I mean, still holding on, though. Did over a million. I know. Over but a thousand saying, bucks per screen. I'm just saying <laughs> that movie had been out for a long time. Also, between, it's, it's really crazy between inflation and everything else, how much stuff has changed. As of 14 weeks, Terminator 2 has still not made 200 million yet. Well. Uh, 12 was late for dinner. 13 was Rambling Rose. 14 was The Commitments. 15 was uh, Milhouse Van Houten's favorite, Barton Fink. Great soundtrack, The Commitments. Uh, the, 16 is The Rapture from Fine Line Features. Oh, I remember that. 17, what the hell is Whore from Trimark Pictures? That was, uh, fuck. Who was in that movie? Directed by Ken Russell. That was that the movie with Teresa Russell? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Wait, you're breaking up. Yeah. Uh, no relation, Teresa Russell. Follows the life of a jaded street prostitute in Los Angeles. Includes uh, Antonio Fargus, Jack Nance, Danny Trejo, and Ginger Lynn in supporting roles. It got an NC-17 rating. I remember that. That was a, one of those deals. One of the very first ones, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, the Man in the Moon at 18, Stepping Out at 19, My Own Private Idaho at 20, after, uh, two, in its second week, Silence of the Lambs was 21, after 34 weeks. It's still out there. It's still out there. 34 weeks, yes. And 22 was 21. <laughs> you gotta remember these 20. dollar movies, it, Dollar movie theaters are still going back then, man. You can go see these movies. They've been there for, for months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think you really have discount theaters anymore. Oh, no, that's good. That's dumb. Well, shit, movies are out of theaters in three weeks. Oh, They're getting their own streaming. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, but wow. So, yeah, I mean, the rest of the article, basically, it's a, it, it's a pub piece for Hogan and Ways. I mean, it talks about his family life, um... You know, I, I will read this. Um, next to his family, Hulk Hogan treasures his privacy. His phone number is unlisted. He lives on a private island. He won't permit photos of his wife or children. Throughout his career, he steadfastly refused in-depth interviews. What little he has done has been in his Hulkmeister's character. Hulkmeister. The Hulkmeister! Only this summer, on separate occasions, did he permit People Magazine and the St. Petersburg Times to enter his house, which he hopes to sell to move to a more secluded Tampa location. The access coincided with the release of Suburban Commando. Now that I'm acting more like myself and less like the Hulk Hogan character, I feel like a million pounds has been lifted off my back, he said. Hmm. And then, and, 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 you know, to talk about the, the, the wrestling thing, um, he's, he talks about his income. It says, estimated that WWE pulls in $250 million a year. Mostly from T-shirts, dolls, video cassettes, pay-per-view cable television. All I know is that for every million I made, they probably made twenty or thirty million. It's astronomical," said Hulk, whose new nine hundred number has gone number one, outgrossing the new kids on the block info hotline. And I believe that is accurate, by the way. Four fee calls can hear Hulk's daily message or play a wrestling game. TV, wrestling shows, public service spots, and WWE promos put Hogan in front of the camera 10 to 15 hours a week. They're the reason he can cut his schedule without anyone knowing. Most people see him on TV. My body's trashed, my knees and, knees and elbows, and everything is so messed up from falling every night, he said. Even in a controlled situation, you get hurt because you can't choreograph your moves. 
what I pride myself in on is following my heart and my ear in front of a live crowd. That means doing whatever it takes to get a response. He said, when asked when he, when he plans on leaving the ring, when I'm 60, he says, I'd like to come out in retirement and sell the Superdome. So there you go. And then when he finally works the Superdome, he calls it the wrong name. <laughs> so, you know what's interesting, maybe most interesting about this? He's not being entirely dishonest about the money because from the records I have, from the agent reports I was somehow able to get from you know, the Vince investigation that had a couple agent reports for whatever reason, I guess because they were in New York, I don't know. Uh, it looks like on house shows Hogan got 5%. Now, no. how, and then you figure we know these days for royalties at least on merch, it's 5%. So when he says for every million he makes, they make twenty million. That's not a huge exaggeration. No, and that's fairly oh. legitimate. Oh, and real quick, we do get the story here about Hogan, you know, in the Rocky Three thing. He says in New York, I finally got the hang of controlling the crowd inside the ring. Instead of buying something, somebody just stand there, look to the crowd, and the look will get more reaction than the move. Says Hogan been wrestling eighteen months at in, you know in WF when he received a note backstage at Masquerade Garden signed by Sylvester Stallone asking him to star in Rocky Three. I threw it away. I thought it was a joke. Recalls Hulk, who promptly packed his badge for an eight week wrestling tour of Japan. When he returned, a telegram from Stallone was waiting and said, "Come to Los Angeles now." But McMahon had Hulk Hogan booked into Charlotte, North Carolina, the next night. If you go to LA, McMahon told the holster, "You're fired." Which is a story that other people have corroborated, meaning that... Wait, so who's corroborated that? I I always thought that was a bullshit story. That's been corroborated before. By who? Not Crockett people. But it's been corroborated by... Who was it I saw said talk about that? I think it may be Beefcake. Oh, I thought you were talking about the Rocky Three thing. No, it's about the, the Crockett thing. That he was supposed to go to Crockett in 81. When he got back from that Japan tour. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Through McMahon. See, that's the thing. McMahon was going to be, was going to use him like Andre, where he was going to be going to other places, but, but Vince was his booking agent. So Vince I just, senior. Like Andre. Okay, so I just checked, Chris. He is 60 when that first Superdome WrestleMania happens. How about that? He doesn't wrestle. But he's there at, at at the Superdome. How about that? And again, Hogan, he got the, the name prophet. wrong. <laughs> yes. But anyway, there you go. All right, let's go to W proper now. In response to financial problems that seem to have sprung on the company out of nowhere, Titan Sports has taken the following steps over the past two weeks, according to several sources. Added the pay-per-view show on Tuesday, December the 6th, just six days after the Survivor Series. Released more than two dozen front office employees, mainly secretaries, and at least one person in the promotions department, or about 10% of the office staff. Dave's been told none of the names would be recognizable to the readers, and there's no talk of wrestlers being let go. Raised ticket prices in many venues by $1. In some cities, the price raise will be across the board, and others just $1 be added to the top ticket price, and the remainder of the ticket prices will stay constant. 
of Brew the Road Show schedule, some dates of which have been booked as much as a year in advance to make drastic cutbacks in air travel expenses on the road, which apparently had gotten out of control and apparently one of the culprits of the current problems. Instead of flying wrestlers from one city to another every night all across the country, tours would be re- regionalized. A typical 10-day tour would be based out of one major market with one major airline trip being booked to start and stop from the same airport. Most of the travel during a 10-day tour will be done by automobiles rather than airplanes. There's no word on what the time frame is for these changes to take effect. All right. Where should we start here? Well, I mean, Dave's going to be going down the list on some of this stuff, so. Yeah. Um, it, it, the pay the view we'll talk about and we'll be talking about that. Um, so the employee, the front office employees. I mean, they've been doing that forever, so that's nothing new. From what we just saw recently, um, the routing right. is interesting because for those of you who want to know when that started, when they actually started trying to do proper routing with the flight at the end of the tour, beginning and end of the tour, and you drive to each stop, and it's theoretically less stressful and all that that starts here yes but um the dollar extra dollar to the ticket prices i mean it doesn't sound like much but it adds up and it's only a dollar so it doesn't feel like a lot to the consumer but running as many shows as they are it's not the worst idea no so you have that, and um, I mean, like I said, we'll talk about the pay per view as we can get to it. But uh, yeah, they're doing what they can to try to cut costs or whatever. So we'll see. There isn't really any confirmation regarding the severity, or really even what, or even if there is a single major cause of the problem. The best word we received is that the problems aren't serious, that the companies have been operating at a loss, but a loss that isn't any way threatening. The above measures have been taken strictly to get the company back into the black. Others simply call it the cash flow problem, and the added preview would be to help alleviate the problem. However, revenue preview shows usually doesn't reach the company until about three months after the event, so revenue from running two preview shows on the 27th of November and 6th of December won't reach the company until March, at which time business should be in high gear building for WrestleMania. There's that, too. Yeah, I mean, if you're counting on paper, extra preview to draw to bring in money, you won't be seeing that for months. Mm-hmm. So really, what good is that? That's a good question. <laughs> well, I think we might know what p- part of the problem. Word that the Observer receives that most within the company are blaming the problems on the huge startup costs of the World Bodybuilding Federation. There's apparently a huge outlaw money going up, out for the bodybuilding company between 14 guaranteed contracts, me and them well into six figures, a monthly magazine that's seemingly tossing ground quality, losing ground quality wise and getting poor display space at the newsstands and starting other bodybuilding related projects such as a food supplement line and television show, all with minimal apparent income coming in from that side. However, other sources have said it's simply part of the problem that they are also feeling the crunch from a week's summer at the box office, a WrestleMania that fell well below projections, and current cash flow problems run generally one troop on the road right now, and without the big drawing card Hulk Hogan around the pat in the huge weekend houses that the company's accustomed to. I mean, that bodybuilding thing, I mean, that's a definitely a big part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Huge part. 14 guaranteed contracts. Guarantee. Yep. You know, I mean, that's that's stuff you got to pay out. Yep. And, and there ain't no wrestlers getting those guarantees. 
And they're only working one day. Yeah, they're doing occasional promotional appearances, but that's about it. They're barely doing anything. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, <laughs> what are you getting out of these people? Yeah. Now, meanwhile, uh, we actually have more from our week on the World Bodybuilding Federation, Chris. As I go to the September 28th issue of Billboard, we have an article by Paul Sweeting. Coliseum flexes its muscle in the bodybuilding field. New York. After successfully marketing a line of video cassettes under license from the World Wrestling Federation, Coliseum Video is adding a bodybuilding line in conjunction with the recently organized World Bodybuilding Federation. The WBF is the latest brainchild of Titan Sports, Inc., the Stamford, Connecticut-based creator of the World Wrestling Federation. It was formed to compete with the International Federation of Bodybuilders, the leading bodybuilding organization. At a press luncheon here, Coliseum President Howard Farber said the company would release... One WWF, a WBF, excuse me, taped this year, the WBF Championship, the premier event. Street date for the fifty nine ninety five list title will be uh, November 14th. Pre-book is October 31st. Footage for the tape was drawn from the recent WBF Championship, the organization's first, held in Atlantic City, New Jersey. The tape also includes, uh, the tape also includes feature material on several of the competitors. WBF currently has 14 bodybuilders under contract. Next year, according to Farber, Coliseum will release a series of WBF instructional tapes covering a range of topics, including conditioning, specific muscle groups, and diet. Each tape will feature a different WBF personality. The idea for the series is that it takes over where Jane Fonda left off, Farber said. In addition to the workout portions, it's very heavily into diet and nutrition. The WBF is currently developing a syndicated TV show, which it hopes to launch next year. According to Jonathan Flora, manager of corporate marketing for the WBF, the show will quote-unquote take on the whole subject of fitness, while also function as a vehicle to cross-promote the Coliseum cassettes. Farber said he is confident the show will be picked up nationally because of the enormous success of Titan Sports wrestling programs, both in syndication and as pay-per-view events. Four of the all-time top ten pay-per-view events have been WWF-sponsored WrestleMania extravaganzas. Uh, WBF second championship program slated for Long Beach, California next June is being considered for pay-per-view. Titan Sports has also created a magazine to promote its personalities, WBF Bodybuilding Lifestyles. For national newsstand distribution, the magazine will also co-promote the Coliseum tapes. And then let me find on the next page where it finishes up. The WBF was created to appeal not just to bodybuilders, Farber said. That's why the magazine was created. That's why it refers to lifestyles. We're trying to attract a broad base of people interested in fitness and muscle conditioning. Farber said he is looking to ship 50,000 units of the first tape initially, good lord, but added, I think it will be an evergreen product that will continue selling over time. According to Flora, future plans call for the signing of female bodybuilders. That's probably a year off, he said. We want to get everything up and running first. That's one reason we've limited it to 14 men so far. We want to position the WBF as a premier organization. Titan Sports will also introduce a line of nutritional supplements under the Titan label. So, look. I mean, yeah, you would have had to spend money to get people, but if Finch just did this as, like, a passion project, it would be one thing. But he genuinely thinks he can do for bodybuilding what he did for wrestling. And that's just untenable. Yeah. And also, like, you get an, you, you really lay it all out. You get an idea of some of the other expenses, too. They're printing another magazine that probably barely anyone is buying. 
you know, all their publications are in-house. So that's an expense. There's staff for the magazine, you know. You know, it adds up. And what do you make of the idea that there were going to be WBF Body Stars hosted uh, exercise videos and whatnot? I mean, it makes sense for them to think about doing that. I mean, honestly, though, the real move in entering the wellness space, I think, for WD would have been just to not even do the WBF and to do workout videos with the wrestlers, maybe even supplements endorsed by the wrestlers, etc. Like, if Vince did, like, if you wanted to enter that space and Vince did not have this just ridiculous idea, I think for 1991, with the way the market is trending with exercise videos and everything, I think that's a potentially good move. But starting this bodybuilding promotion where, here's the thing that I never considered until I interviewed Sean Ray, who didn't jump for that article I did for Fighting Spirit. How the hell are the bodybuilding fans even going to know about this if the weeders aren't covering it in their magazines? Yeah. Like, yes, you have some independent bodybuilding magazines, but not a lot. The biggest ones are weed, are the weeder magazines. So who is this even for? It's for Vince and his, uh, I mean, in his world, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, he thinks that – I mean, you got to remember Vince is not one of these that's out there with the general public. I mean, Vince is in his own insul insulated universe. So this is what interests him. Well, I, you know, everybody else must be interested too yeah. or enough people that will buy this stuff. It's been, And it's also Vince going out in the world and trying to – do something else to prove that he's more than just wrestling. Yes. So, you know, there's a lot that goes on here. I do want to stress, as I always do, when we talk about the viability of the WBF, though, that, like, not that it was a good idea. It's a less ridiculous idea in 1990 than it is decades later. You're a few years removed from Mr. Olympia being on TV and stuff. Like, the well, Lee Haney has his own TV show. I mean, there's a lot that, I mean, there's stuff that's going on where it, bodybuilding is, it still, it still has a big cachet, a big enough cachet that it can draw, um, draw people to watch it. You know, I mean, yes, Arnold is still very successful at the box office. Um, like I said, Lee Haney is still a guy who is out there, you know, and has his own t syndicated TV show. Um, I mean, yes, it's still it's still a, a, a thing that you can work with, you know, and possibly um, you know draw some viewers. But it wasn't something that could be a weekly thing. That's the thing. That's the difference. And Vince trying to treat it like wrestling. You cannot do it. You just can't. It just it just wasn't going to be a viable business. But yeah, that's hurting the business. Really, a lot. Still, nobody seems to be taking this as anything more than a temporary thing. There have been similar situations in the past, and each time Titan has rebounded with healthy business. At this point, the fall season is awfully bright with the impending Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair program that's doing very strong advanced business, including some record, as I scroll down too far... Uh, damn it. Now I'm scrolling too far up. Record setting early advances. And we saw that, how all that worked out, though. Well, yeah. 
But the intrigue was there. The same preview show set for December 6th at Hemisphere Arena San Antonio will be kept a secret from wrestling fans in order to not affect the, the buy rate for Survivor Series. Cable companies and distributors have been contacted over the past two weeks regarding the show and have been told to keep it quiet, but sources from the cable industry have confirmed that it's a WF event. It's technically right now a three-hour window, which means about two and a half, two hours, 45 minutes, still being listed as special event with a twelve ninety-five suggested price, approximately half the price being charged for Survivor Series previous week. And there is to be no publicity that is a WF event. Apparently, the card won't be announced publicly until something happens during Survivor Series, which necessitates an immediate big match. And they will attempt to sell the show based on the captive audience watch Survivor Series and one week games worth a major push on TV that will air Thanksgiving weekend. Speculation is running rampant about top matches on the show, but nothing at all is confirmed or even reliably rumored at this point, other than just the direction everything's going. It'd be a safe bet to believe the top match will have some kind of mix of Hogan, Sid, Savage, Jake, Undertaker, and Flair. On the surface, it seems like a tremendous gamble to try and sell a second preview show, even at a reduced price, with just six days of hype, when the fans have been accustomed to six weeks plus of heavy hype for WF and WCW pay-per-view shows. Well, Steve put a minute talk about this to Matt Watch. He told Matt Watch that this will not be a sequel to Survivor Series, as each show will be self-contained. Planet Men continues saying, you do not have to see one to be able to follow what's going to happen on the second show. Well, that's a load of shit. Matt Watch has also learned that the December 3rd show will be a 12.95, one hour, 50 minute affair, as opposed to the hour longer Survivor Series event. Which is where it clocks in at basically one hour, 50 minutes. Yeah. All right. Uh, this was a risky deal at this time. Nobody ever did anything like this. Two pay-per-views that close together. Mm-hmm. Um, in the end, do you think that it was a smart move? Or do you think they just could have they could have avoided this and maybe done maybe a live TV special or what do you think? I think it was a worthwhile experiment. Yeah, it says a lot that they never did it again. But I don't think the idea is that bad on its face. And it's not about the show, the, you know, the show being on Tuesday because we've had Monday and Thursday pay views over the years that did well. Yeah. So it's not a day of the week thing, but yeah, but yeah, it is, it it is a telltale that they haven't done anything like this again. That's such short notice. Now they, now they did taboo Tuesday and stuff. So I guess that it, that counts. They did that. There was right. They did some pay-per-views that were fairly close together, like a week or two apart. Um, but not always connected. Sometimes they were different brands and stuff. Um, when Edge first won the title, New Year's Revolution to Royal Rumble, what was that? Because was that three weeks? Yes. So I mean, that's at a point where they're running. What was it? Fourteen pay per views a year. Pretty much, yeah. So I mean, that's a little different because at this point, we, you know, they're still only doing four a year. Mm-hmm. We don't even have King of the Ring yet, and won't for almost two years so it's an idea has hot ticket happened yet or is that not till 92 uh that hasn't happened yet i don't think the two you know just taped like what were they like six bucks yeah the wrestlemania compilation and the hogan one so it's yeah they haven't really they haven't really experimented at all yet so it's you know it's like why not 
you know, it's worth a shot. They had an idea. They tried not to charge too much. You know, and I, part of me wonders if maybe you charge even less than they did. Go with like nine ninety five instead of fourteen ninety five, because you're trying to attract people who just bought Survivor Series. But overall, it's like, did it work? No. Do I really blame them for trying? Not really. Why not? I guess. Just throw oh. it out there and see what happens. Oh well, twelve ninety five. Twelve ninety five is not so bad though. If that's if that was the price most places. Yeah, just see what see how it goes. All you can do. All right. Uh, on a positive note for Titan, tickets went on sale on September thirtieth for the Hoosier Dome for next year's WrestleMania, which we scaled for about sixty three thousand seats. Well, obviously, nothing will be etched in stone regarding the car. One was speculating maybe it will be the climactic Hogan Flair match. Whatever the reason, and more than anything else, it's to lure the name WrestleMania. The show got the monstrous first day with more than 5,500 5, tickets sold, which is for an advance of a show where a lineup really won't even begin to be clear for three months is outstanding. My how things change. Yeah, but the Hoosier Dome isn't a draw. Wembley Stadium was a draw. Why did why did they run Indianapolis for a stadium anyway? Like, I mean, obviously the idea was to do a few stadiums in a row because L.A. was supposed to be a stadium, and that would have been three three in a row. But it just feels like such a weird choice. Well, they were on the stadium kick. But had they been doing particularly well in Indiana? Um. Alright, so they've run the Silver Dome, but they haven't run the Hoosier Dome. They haven't run the Metro Dome. They haven't run the, the Super Dome. So, I mean, maybe Indianapolis recruited them. I don't know. That is true, because like, we know LA tried to make a big pitch for when they got it. So they're probably not the only ones who tried. I'm guessing... They're hoping maybe if you run Indianapolis, maybe you can also get Chicago and Kentucky and all of that. So it's, I can see the idea, but it's, it's a weird market to run for a stadium when business is not that good. But they didn't, they ended up doing good. What did the. How did it draw overall in terms of the gate and paid versus paper? I'm looking it up. Let's see, WrestleMania 8. So it did a one and a quarter million dollar gate. So they did well. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of paper, but still, they they drew a stadium-sized crowd and a big gate. So, there's that. And for comparison... Okay, I don't know if this is... Well, so here's the thing, though. I, do, I don't know if this is Canadian dollars. I think it is. WrestleMania six did just under $3.5 million. That's your difference. Yeah, but Toronto... That's it's a, a hotter market, yeah. It's also the international WrestleMania. Yeah. You know, I mean... You gotta take it... You gotta take in stuff for granted and, and that I mean they just take, take stuff with it you know right and that's that's the thing as toronto's a hot was a hot wrestling town and you're doing a wrestlemania in toronto international show i mean exactly yeah i mean for what it's worth i mean four and five did bigger gates but that's what the whole weird high roller ticket prices thing um 
three did just under 1.6 million. So it's not, it's compared to a lot of comparable manias in various ways of recent times, it's not great, but it's respectable, I guess is the way to put it. And again, that goes to why the shows in Wembley do so well. Is that some major American wrestler motion doing a major show in the major stadium in the country? Well, All those things add up. And business was great in the UK at the time and Europe in general. But still, all that stuff adds up. Yeah. For, for novelty of the show. Not a very eventful TV taping on September 30th in Wheeling, West Virginia for a padded, nearly full house of 7,500. The main event dark matches were the first of what would go into effect as two of the fall house show headliners with Roddy Piper versus Ric Flair, who almost got a total heel response. That's Flair. And Sid versus Jake. Sid pinned Jake with a knockout punch in what was said to have been a horrible match, while Flair pinned Piper at a 2F star match with his feet on the ropes, which probably was better than average on, match on the show. Flair was said to have been good, but not great, but Piper didn't sell enough. It was a great false finish with a rip bump, and Flair gave Piper a solid shot with a chair, but Piper kicked out of two. A new tag team called Double Trouble. The five foot six, four hundred twenty pound twin brothers called the Undertakers and IWCCW was given a trial, but got no reaction. Told their lawsuit was filed by them. Well, told there was a lawsuit filed by them against Titan for the use of the Undertaker name, and that this may be part of the settlement. Well, more on them in a minute. In a three or two handicap match, and after disasters beat three jobbers. Sid had a match against the masked El Diablo. When Undertaker and Paul Barrett came out and they ha- had a stare down as Diablo left, and Diablo suddenly came running back to the rain pole the master of himself as Jake Roberts and DDT Sid. And they had time to the rose until Doug and made the save with a two by four. Warlord of Dave Boy Smith by Canada due to outside interference of Slick, but after the match, Davey power slammed Slick. Virgil beat Teddy Biasi by DQ when IRS interfered and Big Boss made a save. Sherry was limited badly with her ankle all taped up. LOD beat Natural Disaster by DQ. Piper and Pat Tanaka at 45 seconds. El Methodor t- debuted when the most fans confused rather than reacting in any specific way as there was no secret as T.O. Santana, as was acknowledged on TV these past few weeks. They'll apparently be selling capes as gimmicks. And he does a lot of dodging guys like a matador would do it a bull and shots Ole. You know, like a bullfighter. He's not talking about the former WCW booker. <laughs> Ole Anderson. The finish screwed up since Bob Bradley still come off the road for a flying forearm finish. Jim the Anvil beat Big Bull Abuse by DQ and Harvey Woodman interfered in a real bad match. Angle took place in a six-man with Greg Valentine, Kerry Von Erich, who started back this weekend, and Jimmy Snuka, that's a team, beating the Beverly Brothers, who for some reason are just about the only wrestlers to continue to shrink, and Pat Tanaka. And after the match, the Beverly's beat up Tanaka, so one presumes that Orinus Wrestle turned Bayface dump Fuji into a program with the Beverly's. Although Dave doesn't know where that leads the Berserk, but Berserker, the Bushwhackers, if that's the case. Well, that doesn't happen. The first Undertaker Duggan match ended with Duggan DQ for using the board. Sid powerbomb Colonel Mustafa in 30 seconds. Powerbomb Adnan after the match as well. Just put yourself in Adnan's shoes for a minute. You're 60 years old. You broke your neck before as a wrestler. And this guy nearly killed Brian Pillman with that move. Dave thought he would have begged for a knockout punch or something. Anyway, Bret Hart versus the Mountie, which was the icy title few starting in a few weeks. Saw Jimmy Hart throw water in Bret's face, and Mountie zapped him. So there's your wheeling TV tapings for September 30th. Yeah. Um, okay. Look, we never got a lot of details, but I think the assumption has to be from how everything that 
played out. With uh, the Puccios. Well, we're, we're getting get more into that. Oh, we I do mean, have more from that. Okay, so hold off. Just a little, just a little bit more. Uh, I'll go ahead and read it. Undertaker's tag team from IWCCW, which was double trouble the first night of taping. We only worked a trial the second night as the Fat Boys. With a Z. Fat Boys. Okay, so this, if they actually filed the lawsuit, who knows if they did, whatever happened. I hate to put it this way, but th- this is WWF giving them a mark settlement, right? Well, we'll sign you to those contracts that we have at this time, which don't guarantee anyone any money or bookings, or more than a few bookings, I should say. Right? I mean, that's probably what happened here, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and they get them a little bit of other stuff. They get them the Japan bookings. They do their substitutions and stuff. Now, when he says that they're 425 pounds at this time, I'm trying to remember if I've seen any 92 Double Trouble. Had they already gained that much weight since they had been off ICW TV? I don't know. By 90, well, 90, this is still 91, so... Because you've seen them as The Undertakers, right? They're not... Although, wait a second, they'd already been in Japan, though. They'd already worked all Japan as The Undertakers. They're pretty big. But they're not... They're pretty big. They're not big Val Puccio and ECW. No, they're not that, but they're big. But, I mean, do you agree with me that's probably what happened? Probably. They're not bringing them in. They should just uh, shut them up. Yes. Now, the other item about someone who got a tryout... Steve Blattman, he switched for Stampede, got a tryout at the last tapings. And he was going to come in, and what was it? He went on a tour of, what was it, South Africa? Yeah. And he got malaria, and he had to take six years off from wrestling. Yeah, but they bring him in. I've wondered, like, was that a make-good from six years earlier? Was it I guess. Specifically that he's a heart, heart guy, and the hearts are the main program at the time? Like... No, I guess it's it's the fact that they probably made somebody made their made a promise to him and they kept it. Which I'm not saying this as a yay Vince thing, but it's one of those weird things that happens in the WWF sometimes. Yeah, and the the thing that makes it so weird and infuriating is their complete inconsistency with that kind of thing. Well, that happens everywhere. A few new changes on cars they've heard about now has Brett program with the Mountie. The Dragon program with Kato, which would be very good matches. Skinner with Kerry Von Eric, which shouldn't. And Nineheart with Berserker. Oh, yes, that that uh, Dragon-Kato singles feud. That tells you Ricky's falling down the, the totem pole. Which also doesn't happen because he's about to quit. Yeah. Really. Um, I mean, his, his last Real House show run of the Haku matches, right? All right, let's go to the torch now. No update on status of Randy Savage since he gave notice a few weeks ago. They would likely come to an agreement, although WCW has a chance of a lifetime to hand him a blank check and try to start a rebound of credibility. Good luck with that. But he did give notice. Which you have to do to keep your contract from rolling over in this hour. Yes. But they couldn't. I mean, if they wanted to, they could have tried and get him, you know? And Kip Fry makes some kind of effort, right? That's later on, yeah. Oh, yeah, three months isn't Kip Fry yet, so... <laughs> we're, yeah, we're not even in October yet. Just now getting in October. All right, Matt watched Steve play minutes, talk some more. He gave up to Mr. Perfect, said that he was in rehab for injuries, 
They thought he might be out of action for a year, but he may be back earlier than expected. No, it's a year. <laughs> and it's over a year. Yeah. All right, house show results. Minneapolis. Well, wait, and we should tell you, too, it's like when he comes back, it's, it was just kind of a last-minute thing, too. Like, he wasn't originally going to come back when he did. Yeah. All right, December 27, Minneapolis, through 5,000 fans. As Kerry Von Erp in the Berserker, one star. Beverly Brothers beat the Bushwhackers, one star. IRS over Duggan, dud. Brett versus Brett of a Warlord, two and three quarter stars. Brett worth a great match working around the Warlord, carrying him to the best match on the show. Dragon over Skinner, two stars. LOD over Nasty Boys, two and a quarter stars. DiBiase over Virgil by Countout, two and a quarter stars. And Sid over Undertaker in a coffin match, negative two stars. Okay, so the first coffin slash casket matches in the company actually do predate the Kamala match. Yeah. I always thought it was just the body bag matches with Warrior. Boston. Boston on 20, the 28th drew 11,000 as Dragon beat Skinner. Bad. IRS over Duggan by DQ. Bad. Von Erich over the Duke of Dorchester. Pete Doherty. Bad. DiBiase over Virgil by Countout. Two and a half stars. LOD over Nasty Boys. Okay. Beverly's over Bushwhackers. Bad. Brett over Berserker. Negative stars. And Sid over Undertaker in a casket match, two and three-quarter stars. Positive two and three-quarter stars. Yes. That's a big difference between these two correspondents here. Yeah. All right. Now we have clips. Sarner Sarner wants his country back. Let's go to Mean Gene and the Sarge. How many weeks in are we on this here? It's very early. Because I don't remember. How many weeks after SummerSlam did it start? Um, probably that first set of TVs after SummerSlam. Let me see real quick. Uh, want my cunt. Okay, no. It's not listed as in the results. All right, I'll see if I can find it while we play it. Update. An inside look. From the pages of the World Wrestling Federation magazine. Hi again, everyone. Update is brought to you by Toys R Us. Toys R Us. The official headquarters for World Wrestling Federation merchandise. You're going to... Okay, so this is actually the first one. Well, how about that? Yeah, I just checked. This is the first one. So he's been, on, he's been off TV for a month, basically, since SummerSlam. Be the superstar. Will you show up with the likes of Hulk Hogan or the Big Boss Man? Action figure. The Big Boss Man. Not the Big Boss Man. The Big Boss Man. Here's an Undertaker tombstone. What about the wrestling buddies, Hulk Hogan wrestling gear, or collector's cards? And while supplies last with every purchase of any item, you'll receive free a World Wrestling Federation superstar poster featuring either the immortal Hulk Hogan or the ultimate warrior. Don't waste any time. Head on down to Toys R Us. This is the biggest cross promotion of any kind they've done up to this point, pretty much, right? Yeah, and, and of course, this comes from the 24-7 era, since WWF is censored. But there's no 24-7. Oh, it's from 24-7 online, that's why. Okay. Because I was going to say, there's no bug for Classics On Demand, but no, it's from WWE Classics Online, this version. And I knew people who got both of those posters from the Toys R Us deal. I don't think they sold the foam tombstones. Do you? Do you? I don't remember. 
everything else, like the squirt heads and everything, I remember. So, back to uh, Sarge. Now then, I spent time this past week in the field to file this update. What did Hogan use here? Sergeant Slaughter, you've been in seclusion now for well over a month. In my travels around the country, there isn't a person who doesn't agree that you got what you deserved at SummerSlam. As a matter of fact, I think you got exactly what you deserved during that match made in hell. You're right. I got exactly what I deserved at that match made in hell at SummerSlam. When I reflect back, when I wanted to become the World Wrestling Federation champion, I didn't care who I associated with. The scum of the earth, the slime, the sleaze, it didn't matter who I chummed with. I wanted to become the World Wrestling Federation champion at all cost. I didn't care about my family anymore. I didn't care about my friends anymore. I didn't care about my country. I turned my back on my country. I wanted to become the World Wrestling Federation champion. I was blind by ambition. I didn't care what or who or why I had to do what I did. I stepped on everyone. But you don't know what it's like to be in hell. Because I do. When I lost the World Wrestling Federation Championship, I lost a title, a symbol. But more importantly, I lost self-respect. I lost self-esteem. I lost my family. I lost my friends. But most important, is I lost my country. I don't blame my friends for never wanting to speak to me again. I've lost them. There's nothing I can do about that. I don't expect my family to ever forgive me for what I did. I have to live with that. I don't expect anybody to look at Sergeant Slaughter and say, oh, we're sorry, Sergeant Slaughter. I deserve exactly what I got. But there's one thing above all those things I just spoke of that I want, and I want it real, real bad. And that is, I want my country back. What a weird storyline this was. <laughs> it, it literally it's like oh we don't have anything else to do with him as a heel so he has to grovel to turn babyface yeah it, it, here's what's stupid about it too did he really need that last year as a prelim babyface is there any reason he shouldn't have just moved on to the office job at this point you know you broke up again but i'm not gonna bother stopping and restarting the recording say that again <laughs> it's the rebound story it's that you know the redemption 
but they don't push him. They don't really go anywhere with it. I agree. <laughs> but you understand what I'm thinking? It's one thing if you push it, but they don't go anywhere with this. Yeah, I know. It's it's a weird situation. <laughs> and, and you know, honestly, another problem with it with him not wearing the hats or the berets and stuff as much and the different outfits being a babyface ages him so much more than you already and he was already looking kind of old but being a babyface like something about it aged him yeah so it made the whole thing even more inadvisable so it's just it yeah, he does with it what he can in terms of the promo, but just strange idea, strangely executed, and it just feels like one of those times where Vince is just completely disconnected from what fans might actually want. Like, there are ways to do this. Like, why not just shoot an angle that leads to him turning babyface? Yeah, I mean, it would have worked better. To have, you know, to have them, but they, what they did, didn't they turn on him after SummerSlam though? Or am I misremembering that? They, they yeah. like, they like went to the locker room without him or something. They kind of, yeah, there was something there, but it wasn't a big old turn. It was, it, he, well, they didn't want to put, they didn't want to push those two anymore. That's that. So if you're going to do that, you, you do that with somebody that you're going to push for a program. They're not going to do that. Honestly, this shouldn't be the first step. Have, like, Adnan and Mustafa attack Duggan, have Slaughter make the save, and then have that go into Duggan helping him earn his country back or something. Well, you that, know? yeah, that, yeah, that would have been better. He ends up teaming with Duggan anyway. I mean, it's a, it's a cold turn. Yeah, exactly. All right, next. Jake the State Roberts was on the funeral parlor. With Paul Bear, so uh, let's check that out. Well, Hot Rod, uh, it's a good thing the Macho Man is not here because of the guest of uh, Paul Bear. Who's the guest? Let's let Paul Bear tell us. It is lucky. Just saved Jake's life. <laughs> oh, God. Look at that. Jake. Look at the Cobra. Ah. Look at him teasing it on top of it. What a snake. What an idiot. I can't imagine he would do that. Cobra turns around and bites him. He's going to be curtains. Just like everyone else. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I wonder Miss Elizabeth. Oh, Mr. Robert, I've always had my suspicions about you. So is the idea supposed to be that a cobra is just a meaner-looking snake, or is it specifically that he's moved on to a poisonous snake? Both. Okay. But now I realize we've been on the same side all along! <laughs> you know, Paul Bear, life is tough, man. You know what's really noticeable from this, too? The funeral parlor is what turns him into... Oh, well, yeah, when he starts Funeral Parlor, he's in his normal speaking voice. Yes. and, and The early Funeral Parlors, absolutely. Yes, but you watch the Funeral Parlors go on, 
And that's really how he starts to turn into the pulse yes. that everyone remembers. Yes. Which, yes. I'm assuming they have the idea already at this point, but it would not have been sustainable to have this Paul Bearer as a heel manager. No. Which is also kind of a shame, because Percy was really good at that initial Paul Bearer character. Yeah, he was Percy Pringle, just as Paul Bearer, basically. You mean at this point? No. Or earlier? The early one. See, I wouldn't say that, because I would say that, I mean, he's making the faces and stuff. But he's doing a different promo style initially. No, he's doing Percy Pringle. Eh, I disagree with you on that. Well, he's doing Percy Pringle. You really think you would refer to like what he does in the debut promo and stuff as doing Percy Pringle? Alright, here you go. Alright, this is from March the 30th. Okay. When When the early funeral parlors. Alright, and just listen to to Paul and just watch Paul. When did he debut? January? Yeah. Alright, let's see. We need to keep our spot here on this one, too. Don't forget. No, I know. I'm opening a new tab. This is, uh, going to be very different, guys. This is like something upbeat. This is upbeat to you. Look at this. Come on in. Yes. Come on in. Don't be afraid. First of all, I would like to ask all of you for just a moment of silence. I get what you're saying, but he's still doing a different delivery and stuff. Yeah, but he's doing the fa- the, the Percy facials. Hmm. He's not, you know, he's not 1986 Percy Pringle. This is where the transition starts. Because for the oh, first couple he's months... He's fully gone here, yeah. Yeah, for the first couple months, he's, still, he's closer to the, like, somber debuting Paul Bear. And then it kind of keeps shifting as time goes on. So, anyway, back to uh, September. When you head down that long road... You gotta make a choice when you get to the fork in that road. Whether you go the right way or you go the other way, it's up to you. Well, I made that choice a long time ago. And I went the other way. My way. I can create my own rules. I can live life the way I want to. Now, for those kids that are sitting at home listening to your mother and your father tell you, All you got to do is eat your vitamins and grow up and have children and live happily ever after. It's a lie. It's a lie. Because what you've got to do is every time you make a choice, it can be right or it can be wrong. What was the noise in the closet that night? What was that? What was that you heard behind you in the dark alley? Huh? Was it me? What about when you put your feet off the bed? What was it? Did something grab a hold of you? Remember that every time you turn your back, it could be someone just like me waiting for you. Now, you're wondering why the glove. The glove will become a big part of me. 
When you carry a cobra, you have to be protected at all times. So whenever I step in that ring, this cobra will be in that corner. And so will this glove so I can handle it. So whoever I step into that squared circle with, we must remember that when you play with a snake, you can be bitten. And once bitten, I have proven it. You are no more. So now, let's get to the real truth of the matter. And the truth is sin justice. Who the hell do you think you are? Don't make the mistake of stepping into the ring with a snake. Because if you do, you will be bitten like all the rest. And once bitten, again, I say you are no more. I will wear the glove to protect me, Sid Justice. What on God's green earth will protect you? My goodness, He's I don't know if anything a, will protect him. He's not a good person. I can't imagine so how Sid Justice is going to handle it. Oh, God, look at that. All right, so let's let's go to the actual debut of Paul Bear. The clear, the really look at this from uh, his first promo when he uh, when he's uh, announces the new manager on the Brother Love Show. He barely talks here, though. I know, but just still. Oh, and you, okay, and that's what you queued it up to. Okay, thank you. That was it. <laughs> That's what I was You're saying. Right, right? And he only had one word. Paul. But, I mean, he just, he looks like Percy Pringle with a die job. And he has a little bit of the makeup. Very lightly, yeah. but he has it. Um, I remember when I did that thing for Wrestling Inc. last year, there was some, I did do something that tracked kind of the the trajectory of the uh, of the gimmick and how it evolved I'm trying to remember but anyway what but it's uh let's see the first edition of the funeral parlor or is that the one that you linked earlier let me see what's the date on this uh March 30th was the one we you sent me earlier right I think so so he's still more reserved at first and then like, even if you watch, like, the embalming skit on primetime, even there, he's not the bearer he becomes. But it's it's by this time he's, oh, yes. So anyway. Yeah. Um, well, well, I was going to say, as far, so as far as Jake, I didn't think that promo was that good. I feel like he's not as good in this kind of, like, expository promo. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, he would cut a lot better. In this run. Yeah, oh, especially in this run. The highlight of it is how spooky and creepy it is that he keeps antagonizing the snake. Yeah. Which you can't hear, obviously, but he keeps, like, poking it in the back of the head and stuff. Yeah. Alright. Since Dave was out of town, he actually hadn't, hadn't had the chance to see the Ric Flair, Vince Man, Roddy Piper angle. But everyone was raving about it, like it was the greatest one of the year, so he was looking forward to seeing it. 
He was told everything was perfect from a television standpoint, and Flair's shots on Piper were stiff, but the Piper chair shot on Vince looked a tad choreographed. Yes, that angle takes place during our week. So let's go to uh, Roddy Piper clocking Vincent May with a steel chair by mistake. And this was supposed to be Flair's TV and ring debut. Yes. Against, oh, who was his scheduled opponent? Mark Thomas. That sounds right. All right, here he comes now. His opponent seems to be making his way to the ring area. And the Flair music. And Mel Phillips on ring announcing duty. Yeah, but we get the the true flair music here. Yes, which, like we talked about last week, no reason you couldn't do that. You know, specific recordings have certain rights, but it's a public domain song. He looks what? He looks Rigo. Rigo. Woo. Is that a sort of Liberace? should point out by the way that for the past three and a half years unless there's another angle i'm forgetting there have been no announcers actually stationed to tv tapings no it's a green screen yeah so here they are yeah but obviously they're actually here to shoot this angle yep got a job besides if he's a real world champion be cool Fucking nailed Piper there. Good <laughs> lord. The way the mic picked that up and everything. Holy shit. I see the belt. There's nothing wrong with it. Oh no! I guess that could have been close to knocking someone else down.
stretcher. I forgot they showed Vince getting stretched out. That's a hell of a fucking angle for a 1991 WF and I mean, a crazy way of closing a TV show. Yes. Like, have they ever done basically a show closing no. angle before? Ever? Never. They like, never. literally in the entire never. history of the company? No, that's the first. That's the first. They never have done that before. They always close the shows in the same way. They never had done that before. I, I'll say this. It is a great angle. I watch it now. I do get what Dave's saying about it looking a little contrived because, like, they don't do a good job. Obviously, Piper's supposed to be dazed, but they don't do a good job of establishing why he would think that he was about to swing into Flair. Yeah, because Flair was far away. <laughs> I remembered <laughs> I remembered Flair being closer than he was. Flair is nowhere near them when he hits Vince with the chair. Piper is his first person he sees with a chair. Yeah. And it's Vince. <laughs> So but, that could have been yeah. done a little better, but it's a fantastic angle. Oh, God, yes. And, yes. And it goes to what we said before. I don't know if uh, – I mean, he's not really booking at the time, is he? Like, whether it's Bruce Pritchard has talked about this on his show. I really want to know, what is it that leads to the change in the tone of the booking in 91? Jake's got a lot of creative involvement in this era. So he – at least for his storylines, he's pitching all those himself. Well, Jate's got a lot of creative involvement in this era. Let's put it that way. Okay. He said that. He said that. That would explain a lot. I, I don't I, I don't think he's like in the booking meetings or anything, but I mean a lot of the more hardcore stuff though does either directly or indirectly involve Jake though. Not all yeah. of it, but a lot of it. So I could see a lot of I could see much of those being just him having him put on his programs. Um but this ain't Jake's program. No. And this will be an angle you would expect to see in Mid-South. Yes. Where Jake Roberts was in Mid-South a lot. So I could see it being a Crockett angle in like the Dusty era, too. Yeah. But still, since it'd be shit they've never done before. Mm-hmm. So, Big Billy, Big Bully Busick was on challenge. He wants a competition. Him and Harvey Wolfman both. Well, they got it. Let's go to the clip. Ringside. What is he hollering about? What is he picking up the oak for? Don't go up yeah. there, Mike. Oh, I thought that was her. We 
Pete Fusco in the Discord who mentioned after I brought it up a few weeks ago. Update is Superstars. Special report is Challenge. And we're on Challenge, so this is... A special report. Yeah, but it does It does also change. You'll have special... Uh, was a special update sometimes it would happen. I mean, well, so, I, mean some... I guess the thing is they're both from the pages of the World Wrestling Federation magazine. But anyway... Um, I'm sure the crowd noise is used to some degree since it's a syndicated WWF show of this era, but that crowd is legit going nuts for him. Yeah. They had something with him, and I get that the plan was always to feud with Hogan, and he had the injuries and stuff too, but like, especially once Hogan wasn't going to be around for the long haul, maybe. (sighs) This was probably all the wrong idea. He, He should have... He was different enough from Hogan... They're setting things up well by having him 
do the thing where he keeps saving women, and it's like they're... But he has the edge that he sits still, so they're using stuff like that to establish him as a babyface. Like, they're actually doing an awfully good job of setting him up as a babyface here. Yeah. You know, and it just kind of gets wasted. Yeah. Um, And also, I th- we've banged the drum on this a lot. I think people have a better appreciation for it now. I think back then it was only clear if you saw him live, or as obvious if you saw him live. Was he ever a great worker? No. But a guy with that guy's size, look, athleticism, and especially the charisma he had at live shows. Like, why wouldn't there be... And and he's not a great promo, but he can talk. He's an effective promo. Like, why wouldn't there be companies trying to push him to be the biggest star of wrestling? Yes. And that's the thing I think people forget, is that, like, how athletic he was. He didn't show it a lot. He, you know, he'd do the kip up every once in a while. But of your big, tall, jacked guys of this era, Sid is significantly more athletic than most of them. Well, he had the presence. He'd get over. I mean, he was always over. Yes. No matter what. Yes. So, I mean, he just, he had a lot going for him. Yeah. Now, as for the comrade, uh, big bully Nick Busick. We go to Wrestling with the Truth by Downtown Bruno Lauer. After he gets signed. As instructed, I called Pat Patterson and was given instructions for my flight to Buffalo. The WWF had a prepaid ticket waiting for me at the airport that I could pick up whenever it was convenient. If I wanted, I could even wait and pick it up on the day of travel. I was so excited that I couldn't wait. Picked it up with an hour or so of my conversation with Pat. Pat also told me how much I would be paid each week for time... I sat at home between TV shows. Once I became established with the heel I'd be managing, they would put my guy in an angle and I could go on the road. When I asked Pat who I would be managing, he told me it would be a guy named Big Bully Busick, a former policeman who was also a power lifter. Got to start wrestling in Joe Pettacino's Global Wrestling Federation. Well, that's not true. That's not true. I had seen him on the GWF TV show, but I never paid much attention to him. After finishing my conversation with Pat, I immediately called Sid and asked him to give me the lowdown on Busick. He told me he had worked with Busick quite a bit in Atlanta, so he pulled a few strings and got him booked. He went on to say he thought Busick would be a good guy for me to manage because his work was decent and he looked impressive. So that's interesting. Because is this is this Busick's debut too? No. How long has he been on TV? He's been there for a minute. Okay. Uh, I'm checking real quick. First appears at the tapings at the end of July. Uh, first, okay, so he's been on TV for a month at this point. Um, so he has one squashes. But we go back to Bruno. The truth of the matter is that Busick was nothing close to being a good worker. I hate to sound so negative, but the facts speak for themselves. Damn at him, I knew I, he didn't belong to the WWF. Not only did he not have a mind for the business, but he didn't even know the proper terminology. When he would talk over his match, he would talk about going on the offensive and his opponent's defense. That was ridiculous. In our business, when the heel goes on the offensive, he gets his heat. When the babyface made his defense, which was the idiotic term bully used, it was his comeback. How was I going to work with a guy who didn't know enough about the business to understand even the most simple terminology? After all the years of hard work and dedication I put into earnest on the WWF, the promised land... 
I couldn't stand to see an undeserving musclehead like Nick Busick working under the WWF banner. Well, here's the thing about Busick, too, which is odd that Bruno didn't know he was. He's in Pittsburgh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he worked at WFTV in, in the early 80s as a job yeah. guy. It's been a while since we brought this up, but yeah, for those who don't know, uh, Nick Busick's like another Gary Young type. And it to an extent, was a law DDP. Enforcement. No, but also like DDP in terms of started wrestling, stopped for a long time, and then started again. Yeah. When law enforcement. Like Gary Young. That's right. I forgot about that. All right. Well, let's get back to the show. All American on the 29th drew a strong 2.6 rating. Primetime continued to take its lumps against Strongman and ICBS lineup, and ABC Football doing a 2.2 rating. Some talk of revamp primetime's format and make it more of a wrestling show unless a personal venue for Bobby Heenan. Well, this is where they go to the uh, panel. Yes, they, they stop doing the studio audience and they go to the format that lasts until the end of the show. Which I never thought of that as being the per, like a personal venue for Bobby Heenan, but it makes sense. Yes. It ends up being it a showcase sense. for Bobby Heenan with Mr. Perfect as his sidekick, basically. No, it's about the, the it's about now. The the whole event. Oh, less uh, of a sorry, yeah, yeah, I misread it. Um, yeah, let I mean, what it is now with with, with Vince as the host and then doing the the stick with Lord Alfred and Jameson and it's a heavy Bobby Heenan stick show. Mm-hmm. All right, of all places, Variety Weekly had a brief time entitled "The Ultimate Exit." In the September 30th issue in their boss column, which read, Ultimate Warrior, a top draw of Vince Man's World Wrestling Federation has been dumped by his boss in a salary dispute. Ex-champ Warrior, the top arena draw while Hogan was away filming, Suburban Commando was scheduled to team with Hogan in the headline match for the recent SummerSlam preview show. Spandex Circus sources said Warrior was promised $50,000 when he found out Hogan began $150,000. The Warrior put McMahon in the headlock by threatening not to show up unless the pay was tripled. Who'd ever, uh, McMahon, who advertised the matchup as the main enticement, had no choice and said uncle. Once the match was over, McMahon dumped the Warrior. Buzz hears. A spokesman only say that Warrior was suspended for 90 days on a non-steroid-related incident and his status to be reevaluated. He's history. Dave has not heard any figures, so can't vouch for the reliability of those printed numbers in regard to SummerSlam. But there was lots of talk that Warrior was holding him up for more money. The preview at the time, he walked out for a few days. But Dave believes the real problem was one to guarantee contract and weekend only schedule like Hogan's. Oh boy. <laughs> okay. How much should I be digging deep into this? Because we've talked about this before, of course. It's in the uh it's it's in surprising detail in the A and E documentary. Um So what happens is this let me See if I can pull up the rest of stuff so at least I have the timeline correct, if you give me one moment. Uh, all right. As I pull up my Ultimate Warrior chronological folder here. All right. So in, I think, late June, early July, he's at an airport. airport Warrior is. Has a run-in with a kid that he blows off for an autograph in some kind of particularly mean way. That got, that kid's dad turns out to be a station manager of a station carrying WWF programming. The dad complains to Joe Perkins, who's that a syndication, and they make Warrior cut the apology video that you see clips of in the A&E documentary. 
which I forget. Did you did you, have you seen that one, Chris? We played on the show. We did play it at some point. We've definitely talked about it. I've seen it. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely become come up in the show. I know it's come up in the show. I don't remember if we like ever played it after it became available publicly. You know, two years ago or whatever it was. But there's that. So then July 10th, Warriors fed up. He is mad that he said he's mad that Vince didn't believe him, which is weird in the first place because Warrior has a history of this. Maybe there's something specific in what the kid or the dad said he said or did that's bothering him. But if you even you watch the video, which adds a little bit to it, like it doesn't seem like Vince like doesn't even necessarily believe Warrior. He just he's reminding Warrior like it doesn't matter that you don't feel like you did anything. It's like this is a work. It's a he literally says it's a work. It's a fucking work. This video is a work. But it pisses Warrior off, and that's when he makes the demands that he wants to be the pay, paid the same as Hogan on everything. And you know, a few days later, later, three days later, Vince sends a letter back saying he agreed to all that. Um, then come SummerSlam, uh, Vince. Not Vince. Hogan, Savage, and Warrior all get $75,000. Hogan also gets a $15,000 bonus. And basically, as he comes through the locker room door, or through the curtain, I should say, Vince gives Warrior a letter saying he's suspended and shit-talking him and all that. Which I, I believe I have read on this show before, right? Yeah. Um. So, the numbers here, yeah, are not correct um curious where they got these numbers because even then they have warriors paid low well actually no 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 no. well no i mean would he have been given a guarantee for SummerSlam in advance how would that even work i don't think that's how they did things right Mm. i mean who do we think is feeding them this and because it definitely has the tinge of vince's side of it the, oh, he backed me into a corner. I, uh, I had the advertising out. I had to. I had to do all this. But I don't feel like the rest of the story is something they would put out, right? And also, why are they putting it out in Variety a month a month after the fact? Like, there, it feels like there's something else to this. Especially because when does when does Variety ever cover something this? I mean, he's a big star, but relatively granular for WWF. I don't know. Somebody getting it is trying to get it out there and get in the news. Yeah, I'm curious. What else do we have here in the buzz section? Um, the big headline is Frank's fade out to be pricey. Again, uh, who are you talking about? Something, oh, Frank Price at Columbia Pictures, something like that. Uh, uh, just talking about, there's all sorts of stuff in here, just like how much sex lies and videotape has made uh in theaters and stuff so far relative to its $1 million budget. Anyway, getting back, getting back to warrior. Oh, I was just saying, yeah, I'm just, I'm just giving the explanation of just, this is just a, I'm trying to get back to war. Yeah. I'm just saying this is like a weird hodgepodge of little blurbs. All right. So torch has this to close. Do not read into the new Halloween habit logo, which is shaped like the warrior's face paint. There's no known correlation. Okay. I'm going to look up Halloween havoc 91. It's the way it's shaped. It kind of resembles the pattern that Warrior would paint his face. And the Havoc logo did not look like this before? Uh, I don't think so. And there's a resemblance. I don't think it's that strong. 
Okay, yeah, the 90 logo is very similar. Uh, well. Halloween Havoc 90, Terror Rules the Ring, and then 89. I forget, did 89 have a subtitle? No, I don't think so. Okay, so 89 had the, had the like, the dripping logo. Mm-hmm. But 90 is, all, from what I'm finding, at least 90 is a lot closer to the 91 logo. But yeah, I mean, there was nothing to that. Just the way the logo ended up being. So yes, there is that. Now, on the other hand, uh, I did always find it funny that while Ultimo Guerrero won a, wore a mask, his tag team partner had face paint similar to that of Ultimate Warrior. Right? Well, Ray Bucanero kind of had the same basic pattern to his face paint. Yeah, he varied. But he did wear the Warrior look a fair bit. He looked more like Sting in the Blade Runners. More than anything else. I can see that. I mean, I get what you're saying as far as the lining of the paint, but it's not... It's different. It's not as thicker. Okay, actually, you know what? Okay, so I'm looking more through through image search. 90 used the 89 logo. The reason I keep seeing the 91 logo on 90 is on some results is that it's the British VHS, which came out later. So this is a new logo. Okay. But it's it doesn't look that much like the Warrior logo at all. Like, it's... I can see where people get the idea, but it's not strong enough that anyone would think there's a real inference there. Yeah. All right, let's go to the land of the rising sun now. We'll start with All Japan Pro Wrestling, where they started their Giant Series tour at Corken Hall on September 27th. Uh, we have Mighty Inouye. He loses to Mitsuo Momoda. And then Mighty Inouye over Sorosako. I'm guessing one of these is Masao Inouye. <laughs> Possibly. He probably It's probably him in the opener. When did Masao to- start wrestling? It's in this era, late 91, early 92, so that's probably what it is. And then you have um, Giant Baba, Rushkamura, and Yoshinari Agawa over Masafuchi, Matoshi Okuma, and Haruka Egan. Can-Ams, Crawford and Furnace over Firecat and Johnny Ace. So Firecat is what, Brady Boone? Yes. Alright, uh, The Wild Bunch, Billy Black and Joel Deaton over Richard Slinger and Robert Gibson. Johnny Smith and Dynamite Kid, British Bruisers over uh, the Malinkos, Joe and Dean. Doc and Gordy over Mitsamasa and Shishikuchi. And Kiritawa and Jumbus Ruta over Kenokobashi and Toshiaki Kawada. And uh, yes, of course, this is a TV taping. And yes, those uh, those main tag matches that air were pretty damn good. Great era here of All Japan at this time. Yep. Jumbo, the, uh, the Jumbo, Jumbo few with the Super Generation Army. Well, Great the big uh, Jumbo Kawada match is coming up at this point, isn't it? Isn't that October, November? Yeah. And that's a hell of a match. Yeah, and we have another TV taping. It will tape Perfectual Gym on October 2nd. We have Miss Wimoto over Masao in a way. So there's the answer to that question. Uh, D Malink over Miney in a way. Joe Malenko over Samatir Nishi. Akira Tawa and Masafuchi over Johnny Ace and Richard Slinger. Then we have Johnny Smith, Don Makita, or Firecat and Robert Gibson. 
Then we have an all-age attack title match. Can-Am's beating the Wild Bunch. Billy Black and Joel Deaton. Then we have Kawada and Kikuchi over Jumbo and Ogawa. And then Doc and Gordy over Kabashi and Masao in your main event. More strong TV right here with the, with all these guys. The, the, I tell you, I've said it before on this show. I think this early 90s era of All Japan is my favorite era of All Japan from the 90s. Because of the, the uh, Subaru Lagoon versus Super Generation Army feud. It's not just that. I mean, you've got Doc and Gordy at their best here yeah. as a tag team. You've got Hanson, who's fantastic in this era. You've got the Can-Ams, who are in their prime in this yeah. era. You've got Billy Black and Joel Deaton, who are coming to their own as a tag team. You've got, uh, you know, the Malenkos are still here. You got uh, Fuchi with junior title defenses against Kakuchi Nogawa. I mean, there is a lot going on here that's just so freaking good. Yes. And they're not killing each other like they were in the mid to late 90s, which, mm. hey, that's great. That's great stuff. Absolutely. It's high end. But as far as totality, I prefer this era. I really do. I think that's fair. Well, there's more depth. I mean, the the all-Asian tag titles, I mean, they have some importance when No Fear get really gets going, but the all-Asian tag titles lose a lot of their importance once Crawford and Furnace leave. But another thing, too, that's the big advantage in this era over the mid to late 90s is... Hour-long TV show. Hour-long television, yes. And that's something that, you know, the promotion can't help, but... Still, that that gives it an advantage over the mid-90s and the late-90s. One advantage. It's a big it's a big part of it. Again, but, but like you said, it's depth. The depth is there. And, peop- and the, the talent is healthier. And they're not starting to break down in front of our eyes with serious injuries. I mean, the thing, the, the the big one is Jumbo having to, you know, leave in late 92. You know, and he's gone for quite a while with his And that issues. wasn't even an in-ring injury. No. But the thing is, though, about Jumbo is Tawei steps up and becomes the leader. And Jumbo's gone, but they put Akiyama in that group. And Akiyama, you know, holds his own. Well, they you put know, him in for the, the basically through the tag league, so Tawei can. Oh no, 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 no! Oh, it's no. Less longer than that. Okay. Oh yeah, I'm in March and April '93, and Akiyama's still with him. Okay. Akiyama doesn't leave till Kawada turns. So when is the official realignment then? I haven't got there yet, so I don't know the official date. But roughly, when roughly does it switch to? Kawada is heel leading Holy Demon Army against Super Generation Army. I would have to look and see. Um, I don't know. I don't. You know, it's going to take some time here, so I don't know if I want to do that right now while we're recording. I'll Google. I'll Google. You can move on. Uh, there's talk of making Robert Gibson a regular and becoming a regular tag team Richard Slinger, which would put the other regular teams over every night. Gibson isn't flashy, but doesn't miss anything either. Firecat's doing all right because Crawford and Furnace sold everything big for him early. Gibson doesn't become a regular. I don't know why not, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, In fact, he's okay. not going. He doesn't go back no. after this tour. 
and Holy Demon Army forms in 93. They get a shot at the tag titles in May. So when I'm they getting beat, close. Uh, Doc and Gordy. Well, that means I'm getting close. Yeah. So let me look and see then. Now I know how close I am. All right, so... Actually, what I realized I should have just done is go to Kawada's cage match page and search for the words Holy Demon Army, but... Kawana's still teaming with them in in April. Alright. Um, so May 14th is the first Holy Demon Army tag match. The start of Superpower Series. Alright, and I'm looking here. So I'm through the or at least that's arm. the first that is the first listing that has the phrase Holy Demon Army on Kawada's KH match. Because it it there's stuff that's skipped over that should be there that doesn't call them Holy Demon Army. Kawada teams with Kabashi Kikuchi on April 21st at Yokama Bunker Gym. Okay. And then uh, on May 13th, Kawada faces Kikuchi in a singles match. So it goes down between April 21st and May 13th. So Okay, so it's it's going into Superpower Series then. Yeah, I don't know if it happened like... In, in an immediate deal or it happened on a show I'm getting there so I don't know I think but, uh, there was a media announcement wasn't there yeah but I don't know if there was an angle that was shot off the top of my head cause yeah it's he's still yeah it's still Sarutagun Super Generation Army at the end of Carnival and then so it's actually the night before night one is that Kikuchi match it's yeah, Super Power Eve. Series Eve at Korg mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you go. All right. Um, Masao and Fuji went to the United States two weeks ago in search of new talent, but came up with no new ideas. Okay. What Patreon show was it where this came up? Good Heart? Uh, that wasn't. Yeah, this is 93. No, it's 91. You're right. So yeah, it would have been Good Heart. It would have been Good Heart. Let me see if I can find what we had about that there, because there were a couple details, weren't there? It would have been Good Heart. Yeah, give me one sec. Alright, let's see. As I pull up the notes for that. Uh, yeah, so at, uh... What show is this? Autumn Armageddon, I guess? Yeah. Um, it says that Masawa, Richard Slinger, and Masafuchi of All Japan were at the card scouting for foreign talent. Then, a week or two later... We have a letter from Gary Zimak, Zimak, whatever, of Mount Laurel, New Jersey, in the uh, October 14th Observer. I'm glad you mentioned that some all-Japan wrestlers were at Goodhart's card on September 21st, because I now have confirmation that I haven't gone totally crazy. I work part-time as a musician on weekends, and I was sitting in a hotel lobby in New Jersey on that evening, ready to start playing for a wedding. All of a sudden, three guys that I thought were Mitsuharu Masawa, Masafuchi, and Richard Slinger walked into the room and sat down on the sofa in front of me. It was at that point that I thought maybe I had been watching too much Japanese wrestling and had lost my mind. But now I feel much better, although now that I think about it, the bride that night did look a lot like Giant Baba. So we'll be getting to the... Actually, wait. So wait. Do we have... Is Autumn Armageddon during our week, or...? No. Okay, so that was... You know what's interesting about that? All Japan scouting the talent at the show where they're claiming to have a New Japan working agreement. 
because that's the show with Owen Hart versus Takeyuki Izuka. We talked about that on the Patreon show. Yes. Speaking of New Japan, it was announced on television that Riki Choshu has been out of action since August the 10th will return on October the 5th and entered the tag tournament, the Super Grade Tag League, with Masaido as his partner. The other teams include the Samoans, Kokina and Samu, Kim Duck and Tiger Jeet Singh, Masaharu Chono and Bam Bam Bigelow. Chris? Tess- it's Crusher Bam Bam Bigelow. Thank you. Sumi Fujinami and Big Van Vader, Keiji Muno and Roshihase, and Shinoshimano and Scott Norton. And uh, that's a very, very fun tag league, seeing those little mix-up teams there with the the natives and the foreigners here. Yeah, and uh, last but not least, Team Meaty Men Slapping Meat, of course. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Some of the matches uh, didn't make TV, but was on Valis home video, which I have that, mm. so good. Oh, that reminds me, by the way, did you see the tweet the other day that Simon Gotch got booked against Royce Isaacs somewhere, and fans were, like, replying or quote-tweeting it with big meaty men slapping meat. And he went off on them because he felt that that's fans who are actually self-loathing about being wrestling fans needing to make light of it and joke about it, which I really don't think is the whole thing with the big meaty men slapping meat thing. But that Yeah, I, I don't get it. His reaction, you mean? Yeah, I don't get his reaction. No, me neither. But Simon Gotch ain't a big guy anyway, is he, he really, technically? He is. He's, he, he's big now? He's No, he's one of those deceptively big guys who look small in WWE. Oh, okay. Because I remember... Well, India, on the indie scene, I'm pretty sure he is, yeah. Yeah, because I remember... I don't know, I, not, maybe not necessarily his blood sport matches, probably those two, but I remember... One of the first indie matches I saw him in post-WWE was uh, Beyond against Tim Thatcher. And Thatcher is a big guy, and Gotch was taller and maybe, like, even naturally a little... Naturally even a little bit broader. And when I say naturally, I don't mean a steroid sense, I just mean frame-wise. Right. Like, he is a, he is a big guy. But it's it's weird. It's like, dude, you don't get hyped up that much online, and here people are as excited about your match, and you shit on them. And maybe it just doesn't like that whole deal there. I don't know. But anyway, Pro Wrestling Fujiwara Gumi, they ran Hakata Star Lane on September 28th. Yes, and we have Lato- some great Dutch names on this show. Lato Kaware faced off with Yoshiki Takahashi, no result listed. Wellington Wilkins Jr. went up against Yusuke Fuke, no result listed. Noki Sana over Bart Vale, Masukatsu Funaki over Macduff Roche, and Wayne Shamrock over Minoru Suzuki in your main event. I think Macduff Roche might be McDuff. my all-time favorite uh, Chris Dolman recruited Dutchman name. I mean, I guess it's either him and Durver or Durfers. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time I hear Macduff, I think about the Three Stooges when they're doing their Scottish uh, thing. Yeah, Macduff, Macduff. Now, if we have, it's been a while. But have we ever actually explained the whole Wayne Shamrock thing on here? Uh, I, we I think we've talked about it, but it's I think it's been a long time if we have. So, yeah, the reason that he's Wayne Shamrock in EWF and Fujiwara Gumi. And then eventually Ken Wayne Shamrock in Pancraze 
I don't remember. Is he Wayne or Ken Wayne when Pancreas starts? Uh, he's Kenneth Wayne, maybe. Okay. Um, that's because it's largely forgotten. I don't think he made TV. He did have matches show up on Classics years later. Ken Shamrock, as Ken Shamrock, as a rookie, did a tour of All Japan in 1989. So, you know, a year later or whatever it is, when UWF wanted to book him, they were like, well... Ken Shamrock is a fake pro wrestler who did All Japan, so if we're going to book you, we need to use you under a slightly different name. So he went with his middle name and became Wayne Shamrock. It was confusing to, you know, to us fans. You know, he's on UFC as Ken Shamrock. You remember his Wayne Shamrock. Then he's Kenneth Wayne Shamrock. Then, you know, those of us who also remember is Vince Torelli. <laughs> but... Yeah, it could get kind of confusing to people. What is his What is his real name? Well, okay. You know? Do you do you do you remember what his uh, birth name is? Oh no! If I remember right, it's Kenneth Wayne Nance. Ken Nance. So there you go. All right, uh, Rain. No, excuse me. That was I think that was like a stepfather's name. No, it was Kilpatrick. Ken Kilpatrick. Okay. I mean, he looks like a. I mean. Kenny Kilpatrick. Yes. Oh my God! You killed Kenny, you bastards. <laughs> Wasn't his name Kenny Kilpatrick? No. What was Kenny's name on Sapphire's last name? Oh, Kenny. Uh, what was his Kenny's last name? Oh, McCormick. McCormick. I knew it was something with an ick at the end of it. Well, it's another Irish name. Yeah. All right. Uh, rings. Japanese magazines reported serious negotiations for Akira Maeda versus Larry Holmes. The team is at a Rocky Coliseum next year, but Dave's skeptical. Well, for good reason. That does not happen. <laughs> Larry Holmes does fight Mike Tyson again, though. <laughs> not Dwight Tyson, Evander Holyfield. And we never did any pro wrestling, right? No, Larry Holmes never did pro wrestling. Never did. So that would have been an interesting match, for sure. Always, always something, though, with these big-name heavyweight champion boxers and... Japanese guys like Maeda and Anoki wanting the shot at him. Mm-hmm. So we had George Foreman last week. Now we got Holmes this week. So, yeah. All right, let's go to England as we close uh, Eurasia out here. All-Star Wrestling, Brian Dixon, ran Fairfoot Halls in Croydon. We have Buffalo Beanie over Clive Myers. We have Steve Regal over Skull Murphy. Then Steve Regal over Buffalo Beanie. And Danny Boy Collins, oh Danny Boy, over John Kenny, Steve Gray over Johnny Kidd, and Giant Haystacks over Kendo Nagasaki by countout. Where did you yeah, get the these results from, by the way? This would have been from uh, Wrestling Data. Okay, because Cage Match has him as buff. Because I googled the name because I was curious. As Buffalo Brahaney, B-R-E-H-E-N-Y. Or Brahaney. So Beanie, Brahaney, I, I guess I could be confused, but this is from Wrestling Data. Okay. That's an so, interesting name. I've never heard of this man before. Well, it's British wrestlers. There's all kinds of British wrestlers that pop up that, well, who's that guy? Actually, so, wait, does he have a profile on Wrestling Data, or... No, he doesn't um, have a profile, so let's see. If I search for Buffalo 
Brahani. How did we spell it? Wrestling data. Oh, he does not have a profile under that name either. Okay. So there you go. But anyway. So Wrestling right. Data has both names and different results. Just wanted to well, make sure. But yeah, yeah, so at this point... Okay, so where is where is UK Wrestling at this point? Is joint promotion still in running the, at the all? UK. No, stop it. Is is joint still running at this point, or are they completely dead? I don't think they're running. So All-Star is your main promotion running any kind of schedule of shows. WCW has just lost their TV, right? Uh, something like that. They're over-the-air TV, I think. Um, and WWF, obviously, is heating up, but they're... Yeah, I guess the only wrestling that's on... The only you know, British wrestling that's on TV at all is the Welsh show, Wrestling, on the satellite yeah. channel. Yes. yes. Um, I'm just checking. When was the last time anyone tried doing, like, a pilot for ITV or anything at this point? Okay, there was stuff in 90, but it looks like not in 91. Um, okay, oh, wait, wait, wait. I was wrong about the WCW thing. Um, Worldwide starts in September 91. WCW on ITV. Although it wasn't nationally, it was most ITV affiliates on er early Sunday mornings. So I'm curious how these did draw and what kind of schedule everyone was working, you know, in the post ITV era, those first few years. Well, there's always shows going on. Just run just indie shows. Yeah. And I, you know, credit to Brian Dixon that he managed to survive too. As long as he did, you know, his promotion, I mean, because tech, obviously he passed away recently, but, you know, like that he managed to keep going and he figured it out by getting those holiday camp deals, you know? Yeah. I doubt it would have been a sustainable promotion otherwise. No, he figured out a way to do it and it worked. Yep. All right. Well, that is it for the first half of the show is halftime. So have some great 1991 commercials here to the halftime segment where we'll talk about Patreon, mailbag, and uh, the Patreon show itself. Then we'll uh, hit the plugs, and then we'll come back as we have uh, a Lucha Strike to talk about and uh, what's going on there. And then, of course, everything else uh, in the, uh, the North America section. UWA's got some interesting stuff going on. And we have some Puerto Rico. Interesting stuff there going on. All that more after the break. This is Peter Jennings in New York. Coming up on World News Tonight, not very good news about the economy and a fight in the Congress about extending unemployment benefits. And on the American agenda, the car that couldn't be built. Something very unusual is happening at El Paso Honda. During El Paso Honda's year-end clearance sale, selling a Honda is easy. The sportiness of the Prelude, the dependability of the CRX, the styling of the Accord, all make being a salesman at El Paso Honda an easy job. But during the end-of-year clearance sale at El Paso Honda, even people who drive a hard bargain can't resist America's most wanted cars. With discounts up to $3,000, El Paso Honda, 1490 Lee Trevino. You can always count on OSCO for helpful, caring service and great savings. 
like any nature-made vitamin or nutritional. Get 30% off the regular price. Ultra Pampers phases disposable diapers in convenience packs for $8.88. And no-nonsense control top pantyhose, just $2.39 for a special two-pack. Now at Osco. At Osco, you can count on people who care. KDIA 7 Together and Sam's Club are teaming up to bring you the Red Baron Stearman Squadron at the 1991 Amigo Air Show, October 18th, 19th, and 20th. Fly over to Sam's Club East and buy your low-priced pizza today. Proceeds benefit the Amigo Air Show. Don't miss the barnstorming daredevil stunts performed by the Red Barons. Tickets on sale now at Sam's East Side and West Side locations. Pre-sale prices lower than gate prices. The biggest show ever. Thank you, KDIA 7 Together and Sam's Club for your support. got a special flair and you love to look good that's why you go to Mervyn's where you always find clothes that keep you casual keep you in style at prices that keep you relaxed Mervyn's for the clothes you love to live in If you take medication every day, read the fine print. No, not here. Here, the price. Because while the prescription in the bottle is the same from one pharmacy to another, the price isn't. Walmart Pharmacy has the low price. So switching to Walmart Pharmacy can mean substantial savings. Walmart Pharmacy. A trusted place to fill your prescription without emptying your pocketbook. Walmart. Always the low price. Always. It's got to be at least $1,000. Probably about 900 We asked people how much they'd expect to pay for this canopy waterbed from Big Sur. Maybe 1500 The Concord canopy is just $6.99 at Big Sur Waterbeds. Are, are you kidding? That's fabulous. That's incredible. The Concord features a large detailed mirror, twin corner shelves, and a dramatic mirrored canopy ceiling. All for just $6.99. Discover the comfort. Discover the quality. At Big Sur Waterbeds, America's largest. Eat some chicken, Angelo. Eat some lasagna. Come on, eat some veal parmesan. So eat some pizza. Just eat. Listen to your mother. She knows. Since 1956, Capetto's has been preparing fine Italian food with the same loving care Mama would take. You don't have to be Italian to know good Italian food. All you need to know is Capetto's. Three El Paso locations to enjoy. If you love chocolate bars... You better grab a spoon. Because Hershey's turned your favorite chocolate bar flavors into delicious pudding. Hershey Puddings. Chocolate bar flavors you can eat with a spoon. Another wimpy sandwich. Not me. I've got Vintage Farms Deli Loaf. It's got real sliced meat chunks. Still going. Nothing outlasts the Energizer. They keep going and going and going. The most comfortable mattress would be one you couldn't feel at all. That's the idea behind Sealy's Posturepedic Sleep System. Designed to support everyone differently. To conform to every curve. Distribute your weight evenly. Only Sealy Posturepedic has it. And for a more comfortable night's sleep, there's nothing like it. On the next 
Cosby Show. Ask him what he caught. I caught a fish. Where is it? The morgue. <laughs> caught a dead man in the three-piece suit. Brooklyn boy hooks dead meat. Theo becomes a legend. Isn't that great? In his own mind. I got the feeling that the body was just the tip of an iceberg. The Cosby Show. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed those great 1991 commercials. As we pivot to the halftime segment of the show, we'll begin talking about Patreon. Patreon.com slash Twin Sheets. And we have a new mailbag show up, so everyone go check that out. As uh, we did our first mailbag show in quite a while, and had a lot of questions to uh, the news, a lot of good questions, which we talked about at the beginning of the show. So, uh, yeah, if you want to hear us answer uh, questions about our first video tapes we ever uh, had bought for us, or fantasy booking Hulk Hogan if he didn't go WCW 94 or all kinds of other wacky stuff patreon.com slash 20 sheets find all the month gets you access to that and of course we got the Todd is God series going on part one came out a week or two ago and part two will be out before this month's over with and that'll conclude that two part series and then we'll go November which we don't really know yet what we're going to do so um We've completed seven full years of the Patreon. So for that $5, you get all that audio that we've done in the last seven full years. So you got a lot of shows there with you know, 84 monthly shows, other random special shows. So tons and tons of hours of audio content for your bucks. So definitely want to jump on that. If you haven't done it already, if you have, well, come on back. Dollar month gets you access to the Discord in this, and uh, thanks in this segment. $25 gets you a chance to pick a show for the week, like uh, Matt Finney did last week. Um, if you want to do that, have two shows on your mind, just in case the uh, the first pick you have could be something that we've uh, discussed already on a previous show, or it could be a week that somebody else already has picked on the calendar. Uh, if you have any issues uh, with that, get with me and Bix. Follow the protocol on the Patreon website to do that, and we'll, we should be able to help you out. Um, also, don't forget the you know the other stuff we got going on, 10-year rules in effect. Then you're going to have uh, Wednesday to Tuesday on the timeline. 30-day uh, rule to get this information to us before the sh- for your show. And if you do all that, then you should be good to go, and we'll be able to get you set up on the calendar. $50, ladies and for a segment of that show if you choose, and 100 for the whole show if you choose. That's patreon.com slash twin sheets. And yes, don't forget we have annual 16% off of each tier. So the $5 tier would get you down to $50 and 40 cents a year. So don't forget that. That is an option that quite a few people are using. Yes. Basically two months free. So, yep. There you go. So there you go. You save $10 every year. So there's that at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right. Well, we have some good news. Seems like the Todd is God has uh, sparked a little interest in our Patreon. So uh, Bix has quite a few names to read off. So Bix, who I think this week is our new and or returning patrons? Yes. So here are the names we would like to thank for uh, returning to or joining the Patreon for the first time this week on our very special uh, ECW-centric podcast. Uh you know, uh, you know, we should have uh, basically chalked it up to, you know, saying that this we did this podcast in uh, 
tribute to Yom Kippur. This is so Jewish related. That's not how that Todd. works. But with sure. Todd and Paul, it, 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 it was a special high holidays edition. Regardless, yes, sure. All right, we would like to thank Louis Nelson. Thanks, Louis. Alex Gutierrez at Retro Wrestling Games. Thanks, Alex Gutierrez. Rich Moulton. Thanks, Rich. Jason Power. Thanks, Jason. I wonder if he's kin to Larry and or David Power. Who knows? Uh, or Terry Ma- Power. Yeah. Or Captain Power. Sure. All right. So, uh, Michael Angel. Michael Angel. Thank you, Michael. Uh, Puddintane. <laughs> Thank you, Puddintane. Damon Dandridge. That's a great name. Thank you, Damon. Lee Salisbury. Thank you, Lee. I enjoy your steaks. Thomas Keenan. Thanks, Thomas. Ian Stewart. Thanks, Ian. Steve Van Etten. Thanks, Steve. Barry Pettit. Thanks, Barry. Sean Harden. Thanks, Sean. Bill. Thank you, Bill. Is he big? I don't know if this is the former WMRC. Or just plain Bill. Kill Bill? Good old Bill. Uh, Jeff Pop. Thanks, Jeff. Danny Cookler. Danny. Thank you, Danny. Rob Rice. Thank you, Rob. And Z. Paul Thomas. Thank you, Z. Paul Thomas. So we thank all you new patrons, old patrons, patrons on our left, come back. We thank everybody for their patronage, patreon.com slash 20 sheets. And yes, spread that word around. Spread it on Twitter, spread it on Facebook, spread it everywhere about our Patreon and all the good stuff we got going on. You never know what might pop up. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. All right. Uh, we have our streaming friends go to talk about, of course. So what is going on in the universe of IWTV and Fight TV this week, Bix? Uh, let's see. Not too much notable on IWTV this week. I did notice that uh, coming up on Saturday at 8 p.m., uh, North Shore Pro Wrestling has their... 15th anniversary show, which uh, only match listed right now on IWTV, features local uh, star Travis Toxic taking on Kenta. North Shore's located out of where? I think it's in like, I think it's like the Ontario adjacent part of Quebec. Oh, okay. So they're in Canada. All right. Oh, Canada. Yeah. So that that's probably the most notable thing they have set up this this week, and also I did see some uh, some on-demand stuff that was not live-streamed is uh, now available. Like, uh, the latest WrestleMax show in the St. Louis area is up. So, uh, people should check that out. And if you are uh, not already a subscriber to IWTV, use code BTSPOD when you sign up, and we will get a referral fee for each month you stay a paid subscriber. So that's independentwrestling.tv, code BTS. Pod. I'm trying to remember, was there anything else that went up? I did see, maybe it was last week that we did mention that I think a new Lucha Memes went up. I know I saw, I know I saw one recently that was listed, so there's that. Uh, more Wild Side still going up, so people check that out. Now, on Fight TV, particularly Fight Plus, fairly busy week. You know, there are, of course, things I'm not mentioning. Uh, 
Warrior Wrestling, though, has a show on... Let me make sure I'm looking at the day, right? Friday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. I should probably pull up their Twitter, because at least one of the matches that's listed is clearly not happening. Uh, this is in South Bend, Indiana, because what they have advertised on the website on Fight is Kenosuke Takeshita versus Storm Grayson and Eddie Kingston versus Brian Keith. Well, I don't think those are going to happen. <laughs> oh, you think everyone in AEW is getting pulled? I mean, it just seems that is going to be the way to go. I mean, I just... There's too much risk for them right now with people getting hurt on their own TV, much less having them get hurt on outside indie bookings. It's one thing to get hurt on your own shows, but to have people get hurt on somebody else's shows, it's tough. I mean, I, yeah, it, does it suffer the promote indie promotions? Yes. But, I mean, these people are signed to contracts to a major wrestling company. You know, you sometimes you got to put your foot down and say, hey, we can't take that risk. Especially if you got, uh, you know, creative tied up in them in month, for months, which, you know, it's AEW, so it may be a little different. But, I mean, it's just, you, you can't take that risk. It's just, it just, it is what it is. Okay, so I have, I have the updated lineup from their Twitter. And uh, Takeshi is still listed against Storm Grayson. Brian Keith is not facing Eddie Kingston. He is, however, facing an AEW wrestler. Any guesses? Is it Lance Archer? <laughs> Why? Because they sent him to AIW to replace Eddie? I mean, there, there's that, but that's what I thought I, I saw that anyway. I remember seeing that. No, it's Brian Keith against Mike Santana. Can we just say Santana? Mike no, Santana. he's very insistent. It would be unfair I, to refer to him as anything other than I, Mike Santana. I, I know, but Mike Santana just... It sounds too 1984 WWF TV job guy name. It's like he, I mean, he, it's like he ought to be wrestling against fucking uh, Rip, Quick Draw Rip McGraw or something like that. It, and that's not, no slight on him. It's just the way the name is. With timekeeper Mike Mittman, Dr. George Zaharian, and in this corner, Mike Santana. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I kind of get what you're saying. I mean, I know he took on Santana as a name in the first place because it's his grandma's last name. But I get what you're saying. I mean, it's... <laughs> It's weirder because now, like, between at first when they brought him back and now that they're doing the feud, it's weird that it's Mike Santana versus Ortiz. Yeah, yeah, he's not Angel Ortiz. He's still just Ortiz. Yeah. Oh, we're recording the. Wait, was it today or yesterday as we're recording this? I think it was Ortiz's birthday, by the way. Um, But anyway, yeah, so that. So, yes, Mike Santana taking on the bounty hunter Brian Keith is the new main event for Warrior Wrestling. Show that also includes, uh, they still book some names, but they're, they're definitely relying more on your local and regional talent. Uh, they've got Casey Navarro versus Encore Moore, which is a very modern indie wrestling name. You know, we have Eel O'Neill, we have Encore Moore. So, uh, Sky Blue is there against Trevor Outlaw. And I'm not sure I recognize anyone else on this show other than, uh, okay, I've heard, I've heard of the, what looks like the opener, the woman in the opener, Rachel Armstrong and Missa Kate. Like, though, if I 
I've at least heard of them, and I think I've seen Rachel Armstrong wrestle once, so... Yeah, that's uh, Warrior Wrestling in South Bend, which... Is that the building that... I think that might be the Some building that... Irish, Notre Dame. <laughs> home of the... Uh, whatchamacallit? Home of the Jack Pfeffer Wrestling Collection. Mm. And the uh, Stanley Westing Collection as well. Alright, so next we go to GCW, and I'll just probably do both of these in a row. Actually, wait, let me see. Which day is the AIW show they have not put on the schedule yet, as per usual? Because uh, I made sure to open their Twitter. Okay, yeah, so that's Saturday, so I'll mention it. So yes, yeah, Saturday, AIW has... What is the name of this show? Uh, I'm not sure if I see the name of the show, but where are they running this one? Saturday, October 7th, 7.30 Eastern. Oh, Akron. Okay. For a show that includes the former Bang Bros against members only. Uh, AEW Collision Superstar Maserati Wes Barkley taking on Austin James. As I scroll through, because there's no one tweet that has all of these. Eric Taylor versus Jam Holloway. Katie Arquette versus Jaya Brookside. Oh, and this match. Dominic Arini, Matt Cross, and Josh Prohibition taking on the team of Mikey Montgomery, Trey Lamar, and Ultimo Dragon. Yeah, that's a match. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, that's a match. It should be fun, but yes, that is definitely a match with wrestlers in it. And uh, what else do we have here? Oh, and there was a six-way scramble that I accidentally clicked away from. What do we have here? I'm assuming it's the students. Yes, I don't. Yes, these are some of the newer students, I think. So that's our good friends at the Cleveland Territory of AIW, which yeah, whoever the the Hungarian webmaster of Fight TV or whoever it is, please keep the schedule better updated. Come on, Hungarian webmaster. That's a story I've heard. Is that the people who actually do the like admin work on the website are based in Hungary? I thought you were making some type of joke like the hunt that that the, the indie wrestler the Hungarian barbarian. Oh, and now he's the Hungarian webmaster. I mean, I thought that's what you were talking about. No, no, literally, like I've heard, like for whatever reason, they've outsourced all this to Hungary. Well, and don't communicate well with them. Hey, it is what it is. Yeah. All right. So GCW, they've got their Fight Club weekend. Uh. Which includes the Art of War Games. Now I pull up the Twitter to remember which night actually has the Art of War Games match, which is yeah, War Games, basically, and it's uh, Team GCW versus Team Freedoms. So, okay, at least on their Twitter right now, what I'm seeing, they got Blake Christian defending GCW title against Jimmy Lloyd, Art of War Games match, Richard Holiday versus Charles Mason, Charles Mason, Charles Mason. Uh, Joey Janela, Bussy, and more. Night 2, last I see, includes, uh, which is, actually, wait, let me make sure I have the right star times. So, night 1 is Saturday at 8. Night 2 is Sunday at 5. So then night 2 has East-West Express of Jordan Oliver and Nick Wayne taking on Cole Radrick and Alec Price. Jun Kasai versus Matt Remont plus, uh, Joe Janela, Blake Christian, Bussy, Masashi Takeda, Rini Yamashita, and more. So that's uh, Fight Club Weekend. The JCW show on Sunday afternoon at 1 is back on YouTube. I don't know why it was a one-off back on uh, Fight last time. But there you go. And then finally, there are uh, two Wrestling Revolver shows. 
this weekend. I think it's a double header from what I'm looking at here. So that's the 8th, which is Sunday, right? Yeah. So they have two shows. They've got their Wrestling Revolver Women's Grand Prix at 3 Eastern, which is an eight-woman field. I'm guessing this is potentially subject to change. I'm looking at the fight website, and one of these women is presumably still injured, which is the first name on the list, Billy Starks. But the official field, at least, is or was for the show. Hosted by Renee Paquette, uh, Billy Starks, Marina Shafir, Emmy Sakura, Trisha Dora, Allison Kay, Janai Kai, Rachel Armstrong, Verk Vixen... Plus a, a non-tournament match, Jordan Grace and Killer Kelly versus Jessica Havoc and Nevea. And then the nighttime show, 8 p.m. Eastern for a show that includes, well, was scheduled to include John Moxley versus Gringo Loco in a Lucha Street fight that I think we're assuming is not happening because of the concussion. Uh, Jake Chris defending the Revolver title against Ortiz, Angel Ortiz. Uh, second year crew defending the Revolver Tag Titles against Alec Clone and RSP. The U.S. debut of Kaito Kiyomiya. Okay, that's random. Against JT Dunn, the wrestler who mysteriously only works in Revolver for some reason. Wink, wink. And more, including uh, the Rascals and others. So, You didn't see that Kiyomiya was going to be working there? I saw no, that. I had missed that. Yeah. Is that his only show or is he doing other stuff in the U.S.? Uh, I mean, that's the one I saw. That's a weird match. Even if you like JT Dillon, that's a weird match. Like, of all the people to give his American debut to. Well, if you're going to only wrestle in one promotion, sometimes it does pay to only wrestle in that one promotion. Because people will have a sense of loyalty to you, I guess. You know? So anyway, if you're not already a subscriber to... uh, IWTV, not IWTV, Fight TV, Fight Plus. Uh, go to tinyurl.com slash btsfight, that's B-T-S-F-I-T-E, and we'll get a referral fee when you sign up, uh, and also if you use that URL to uh, buy any IP per So that's tinyurl.com slash B-T-S-F-I-T-E. All right. Well, today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access. America's number one virtual private network. Even using incognito mode, your internet service providers torn your browsing data and many times even selling it. But private internet access can help. Private internet access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private Internet Access comes to easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices. A rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mac. And if you sign up with Private Internet Access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Well, let's go down that uh, list of things, shall we? Here we got three different uh, packages that we offer you guys. You can start out with a regular monthly package of eleven ninety five a month. You can go yearly for three dollars thirty three cents a month or thirty nine ninety five a year, or you can go three years plus four free months at a dollar ninety eight a month, eighty three percent off, seventy nine dollars for the first three years yearly after. An amazing, amazing deal. Why is that? Because it's so much more expensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. 
If you get it right now, you take advantage of private internet access 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it out for 30 days. See if you like it. If not, just return it for a full refund. So how do you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right. Next week on Between the Sheets, we will be going back to the year of 1980, no, excuse me, 98, excuse me, sorry, I'm looking at something that's completely different. 1998, as we have uh, all kinds of interesting stuff to talk about, we got, unfortunately, sad news in WCW regarding Brian Hildebrand, a health update that nobody wanted to hear at the time, so we'll have that, and we have Scott Hall going through his... Uh, major issues at the time and Dana Hall writing a scathing letter, a couple of scathing letters actually. So have news on that. Plus all kinds of insane insanity in WCW on Nitro and Thunder. Oh, <laughs> a lot of WCW, everybody stuff in that. So uh, that should be a very fun segment, very uh, 10 page deep segment of WCW. Too. <laughs> so uh, there's that. Oh, and we also have a uh, news on how the Monday night wrestling wars are affecting the NFL's, Monday Night Football ratings, and it ain't the same as it is today. Um, we'll have uh, Japan, which we'll talk about. Alexander Karelin signing up with uh, Kira Maeda's rings and a big press conference to talk about that and all sorts of other stuff there. Mexico, Yoda Santo has got an injury he's dealing with that's uh, causing some issues um, around the country, so we'll talk about that. Then we'll have uh, ECW. We got a uh, ECW Arena show during our week. We got a TV taping during our week to talk about. Uh, we have all kinds of other stuff from the indie scene, including uh, news on the possible ECW relationship with the NWA for the 50th anniversary show, which Howard Brody writes a letter to the Observer to clarify uh, that subject. And WWF, we got uh, you know Raw going on. We'll talk about that. And... Uh, we have news on Vader and his uh, staff of the company, which he's, he's leaving. Ray Trailer's coming in, so we'll talk about that. And all sorts of other WF stuff. And we'll be joined by a guy who hasn't been on in a while. Been trying to get him on. Now we achieved that. And always glad to have him back with us. Dr. Keith Lipinski will be back with us in the ECW section. One of the shows we talk about is the first ECW show he ever went to. So that should be a fun time there. So good stuff next week. At patreon.com slash patreon.com slash uh, <laughs> got that on my mind uh, next week on Between the Sheets the main show alright you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R show property at BT Sheets Pod Big Set David Bix and uh, Bix I haven't asked you this in a while but is there anything you got going on right now? I mean wrestling writing wise I mean mainly I'm just doing the stuff at Slash Gear but like well I'll probably have something I put on my sub stack about Riddle that may be up by the time this is up or maybe slightly thereafter but um i mean i guess let's talk about that though right since that happened since we last recorded the halftime segment i mean wwe fired a lot of people <laughs> i mean they, they the people they got rid of you know i mean it wasn't no we did talk about it last time because we taped it on thursday but riddle was like on we, friday Riddle we didn't talk about because riddle was on friday um yeah we talked about the other people but riddle Riddle was no shot because, I mean, goddamn, the guy's toxic as shit. Well, it was I a mean, little bit of a shock because they had an 
done anything, and there was so much they could and probably should have acted. Well, I mean, that's Vince. Yes. Yeah, and people <laughs> people have given me shit when I've said that before. No, Triple H lost a lot of faith in him after NXT. Think about the timing of when things happened and came out. Well, I mean, look at the time. I mean, he was not used when Triple H had, had you know, when Vince wasn't around. I mean, Triple H wasn't hardly even used this guy. And then Vince gets back in the picture, and now we've got to put Riddle back on TV again. All right. Triple H is the one who took him off SummerSlam. Triple H is the one who made him go to rehab. Like, all that. You know? And it, he became a Vince favorite. Yes. But... Well, I mean, sexual predators have to stick together. I mean, you said that. I didn't say that. Um, credibly accused, let's say, just to uh, satisfy any needs we might need to there. Credibly accused sexual predators. Um, I mean, there's so much where they could have... Other times, I mean, they could have let him go when he... It became clear he made up a stalking allegation. And that he fabricated evidence in court to do to try to do so, and didn't even try to fabricate good evidence. Um, they should have fired him when he promised on WWE's behalf that they would send all of his drug testing records to his ex-wife without telling WWE as part of his uh, custody agreement. You know, and then everything else. I mean. Look though, I mean, we know that we know there are stories the company put out to try to help him that were not true, and I know that because of someone who was fed them but did not run them telling me about that. So, I think what this shows is that regardless of what you think of WWE, how they would actually want to run things, for optics' sake, I don't think they fire him unless they know for a fact, maybe even already have the video. That he completely made up what he accused that cop of doing at JFK. Yeah, the timing of, of all that, you know, happening like it happened with that hanging over, hanging over their heads. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for those who have not been keeping up with this, uh, he went on Instagram uh, after he was went on, you know, got to JFK for his layover from the India trip, accused a cop of sexually assaulting him, a Port Authority cop at JFK Airport, with a picture of the cop with his name and badge number. Quickly deleted it, and then reports came from TMZ later, and also I'll say it Ringside News, because their reporting did get backed up by TMZ. That as far as anyone knew, he had an incident of being disruptive and possibly intoxicated, and that no one had... It, well, okay, the Ringside News and the TMZ thing conflicted. Ringside News, I think, said that he at some point, claimed, while he was there, said the cops actually assaulted him, but then didn't want to file a complaint. TMZ's police sources said that he uh, he did not give any indication that anything like that happened, and that they did not think there was any opportunity where anything like that could have happened. Regardless, is that an airport when we're talking about cops with body cameras? So, yeah. uh, I mean, I have a record request out. I'm sure TMZ does, too. I wouldn't shock me if there are others. Mine allegedly will come back in mid to late November. We're going to know what happened before his 90 days are up, one would think. Um, but again, the fact that WWE would cut him, if they thought there was any chance whatsoever that he was telling the truth or would be shown to tell, be telling the truth, then I don't think they fire him. At least not yet. 
the fact that they did, I think, makes it clear that at least they think that there is or is going to be compelling evidence that he made this up. But it also goes to show you that this not going to be business as usual there. I mean, even though Vince is, you know, technically still whatever, I mean, the fact that that happened like it did right after the the merger. Well, no, it was right before. It was a couple of days before. Red was fired after the merger, Big. No, 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 no. The airport thing was right before the merger. Oh, I mean. so, oh uh, gotcha. You mean the firing? Yes, yes, yes. So that, that that's telling you he ain't going to put up with that shit. I mean – People were telling me they were skeptical because of how much he had seemingly gotten away with. But the thing I felt the whole time is like, if it's provable that he made this up, I think they're firing him. But again, there's new new ownership. So I'm trying to say. Well, there's that too. Yeah. This isn't just Vince. This is new ownership. And it's new ownership that also includes people in management of the other company that don't like Matt Riddle. Well, there's that. That goes into it as well. Which, I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but it crossed my mind. And I I think it did a lot of people. (laughs) Well, no, it's definitely not helping. But, and we'll see what happens. I mean, there's almost surely a little more that's going to come out about about other things, too. Like I said, I'm writing something. It has to do with some stuff people might have heard of, but corroborating certain things and all that. I mean, nothing... I don't think corroborating anything criminal necessarily, but still not good. Um, I mean, we'll see. Like, I, you know, their PCO went on Pat LaPrade's podcast and said that Impact wants to sign him. Oh, he's going to have work. I mean, again, they won't be. Here's the thing that I, like, even if you go, no, 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 Sexual predators are still in wrestling, big. Well, that's not what I'm saying, though. That's the thing. Even if you either ignore or give him the benefit of the doubt on that, I'm if I'm running a wrestling company, I'm worried he fucks up publicly and embarrasses everyone some other way. Like, if I'm a Japanese promotion, I don't trust him to not sneak drugs into the country. I don't trust him to not make an ass of himself and get kicked out of the country and do like a, you know— Screw up like Thomas Latterman did. That got him kicked out of Noah. You know, with the, what was it, posing in a convenience store freezer or whatever the hell it was. Like, I just, I don't get why after all the shit that's happened, anyone would trust that he wouldn't do something like that, is what I'm saying. I don't care. He's been on television. He has a fan base. That's all they care about. Yeah, I'm sure that fan base is just going to flock to Access TV. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, he's somebody that has a name that's been out there pushed on television. It's the wrestling business. Somebody will give him work. Oh, someone will absolutely give him work. The question is who? Yeah. I mean, mean, my gut is, though, between Kurt Stallion being, the former Kurt Stallion, I always get that messed up, being there and stuff. Like, I got to think he does go to Noah, at least. I feel like that's he, more likely than New Japan. He'll have somewhere in Japan to go for sure. Now, right. the other uh, big thing that happened in wrestling uh, during our week here that we have since we done was Jay Cargill signed with WWE, and that was well officially, about, yes, about the biggest no-brainer. I mean, you could get. <laughs> I mean, she is perfect for them. 
I mean, in every way. I mean, if they don't, if they don't have her as position as a major star, you know, by this time next year, I mean, that'd just be completely insane. There's no way. It's much money they're putting into her. The way they put rolled her out basically on the day she signed, where she was doing media appearances and stuff like that. I mean, she's not going to NXT. She's obviously going to be on Raw or SmackDown. And uh, a major deal, you know, my opinion is she should be the one that, you know, gets Nia Jax and gets her out of, out of the way. Um, obviously, we're going to have a Jay Bianca feud down the line, which will be uh, quite interesting, you know. And, uh, of course, you got other matches. You, you know, Rhea's in there and stuff like that. So there's, there's matches to have. And Jay, you know, Jade's not the greatest worker in the world. But it's WWE, so that is something that doesn't matter as much. It's all about the star, the star power. And um, she's definitely got that. She definitely projects herself in a major way. And, yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be interesting to see uh, how that goes when she uh, shows up on television. Yeah, and, like, she's just better off there at this point. Like she's not taking in WWE, you know. She's just made for WWE. It's just I mean, some it's, people are are made for for certain things, and she's made for WWE. Yes, in a number. Of, I mean, not just her look and her persona and everything, but also like she's not taking indie dates. So if she wants to get better, she has to have more bookings, and that's WWE plus performance center and training full time and all that. Um, Here's the thing: she doesn't need it. That's the thing. She's independently wealthy she doesn't need any of this no no she's so that's another you know feather in her hat the fact that you know she's willing to you know take this next step and do what it needs to be done to uh, get there yep absolutely and i mean there's also i mean something that you've expressed at least to me that i think is an interesting point and when we say this we are talking about the archetype and how they are presented um, you think AEW does not have a great handle on how to push the quote-unquote hot girl wrestler? It's not just that. It's not. It's not just that. It's. It's. And Jade's not. I mean, Jade's not the hot girl wrestler. Jade is the. They. They don't know yet how to push the quote-unquote superstar on the women's that, side or period. Period. Okay. Period. They just, they don't, because they don't have that, they don't have the structure that WWE has, and WWE's built that for decades. So, I mean, it's not nothing that AEW can be really blamed on. They just don't, it's just not in their DNA. Well, also, they didn't have enough experienced women to protect her better and carry her better and teach her better in matches, whereas WWE... Well, no, no, I know, but I'm saying in the it's more than that, yes. But in the Triple H era, you know, he's rehired that entire Tegan Knox, Candice LeRae class of wrestler. Yeah, and that's not really a class of wrestler that exists in AEW. It's you know, just, you have yeah. like you have a few veterans. You have your Mercedes Martinez's and the like, but you don't have. But it's basically you have a big gap where it's basically 
handful of really experienced polished veterans, po- more po- you know, then you have your polished younger wrestlers, and then you have a lot of green wrestlers. I mean, the AEW, it's just the AEW WCW comparison goes to this. I mean, WCW had stars. AEW has people that are stars, but they don't have the machine that WWE and WWF had and has. They just don't. And it's and that's something that either you got it, you don't, and they just don't. And I mean that goes back to just WWE and starting back at you know in forty years ago. I mean it's the thing that's gone forty years since Vince really firmly took over and you know built it up like he did. You know I mean that's just the way they they are wrestling. They are the mainstream deal. They know how to take people that are multimedia stars and get them to the next level more often than not. And they've had some, you know, there've been the exceptions to the rule. You know, we, we saw how they botched Goldberg and stuff like that on his first trip, but that was kind of a political bullshit move right yes. there. More than anything else. Um, but it's like I said, AEW just doesn't have that. I mean, MJF, MJF carries himself like a superstar. MJF, you know, does do outside media stuff. But could you imagine MJF with the WWE machine behind him? No, that's probably not happening anytime soon, but... Uh, we'll see. I, but, uh, I, I don't get... I mean, you or anyone else, I don't get why anyone thinks he wasn't actually re-signed last year. Well, we'll see. But, uh, I mean, him with that machine behind him? I mean, it's next level. I mean, look at Cody. You know, Cody comes back, has that machine behind him. Look at all the stuff that he's been able to do and how much bigger of a star he has become since he's came back. It's just the way they do things, you know? I mean, some of that, though, was Cody was mastering being a WWE-style wrestler while outside of WWE. Yeah, but still, it's, he, it's, it's just, you know, exploded since he came, came back. Yes. You know, so... She's going to be something. It's just going to be, you know, a matter of uh, of what they do and when they do it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the first. I mean, I mean, Cody really doesn't count because he's come back. But this is the first AEW homegrown to really leave and go to WWE like this in, in, in a major fashion. I mean, she is AEW homegrown. She's had all of her matches there. I know <laughs> what I'm saying, but I'm just saying she's the first – that is someone who has not been in WWE has yeah. gone to WWE from AEW. And she's the second period. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, this is a template too, for the people that are in AEW that when their time is up, if they, they could see, okay, this is how they're doing her. I might be able to, you know, get this. And not everybody is going to be able to do that. Of course, because not everybody is Jake Cargill. She's, she's, uh, you know, she's an exception to the rule in a lot of ways, but, yeah. There are people there who's like, okay, you know, and and know what? But here's the thing: that's that's good for wrestling. We yes. need people to go back and forth. It's, it, it, that's the thing. I I I see these people. They just they they like what I can't. I don't want so and so to leave. This that, and the other. Sometimes it's good to leave and go and and go somewhere else for a while and do things differently and stuff like that. It refreshes them. That's the, what was the great thing about the territories. And also, like, one thing that gets underrated as far as people wanting to go to WWE, sometimes, and for some people, 
the fact that in WWE, and I don't mean this as a negative, but I think it's the I think it's the way Kenny Omega described it at one point. Like the fact that you can go there and turn your brain off and have a lot of stuff taken care of for you is enticing to some people, and understandably so. Well, I mean, and then you get the people at WWE that you know have not been used the way they could be used there. They get you know a way to get away and go to AEW and possibly or in Japan or Impact or wherever and get refreshed there. I mean, that's the thing that I, I'm looking forward to see what what happens with uh, the former Dolph Ziggler. You know, to see if he can get you know reborn somewhere and show. You know, the talent is, is he still got the talent that he does under a different type of character. Now, just my luck or anybody else's luck, he's going to go to fucking Impact and be like the same guy, just with a different name. But, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, we need movement and talent. We need this to happen because people stay so, somewhere so long they get fucking stale. You need you need to, to move around and, and do different things. Yes. It keeps you refreshed. So... Can't be in the same territory for too long, brother. 2024 is going to be an interesting year. So we'll see how that goes. But, uh, yep, so Jay Cargill's the first. We'll see how it goes in there. Although, I guess, overall, I guess Pillman is technically the second to to leave. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they've already started a vignette for Pillman Jr. on NXT. Which, by the way, because it wasn't just me. I've seen it multiple other people. Who knew he had all these weird, like... Like stands and all this, like every like it seems like everyone who said anything remotely negative, quote tweeting the debut, like the like the first vignette, got like brigaded. It's I don't know if it's just directly about him, as much as it's people that are the quote unquote vincels that are doing stuff. Why do you always pronounce it that way? Vincel. <laughs> Vincel. I, call, I call it Vincels. I know it's Vincels, but I just call it Vincels. I, I just like calling it Vincels. What, like the Wrestling Observer? <laughs> I just like saying Vincels. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just... It's Vivish like Vincel. Wasn't he on Picket Fences? It, it's, <laughs> it's people that want to just go off on people, you know? Just need to be. They need to follow my examples on how to handle Twitter stuff like that. Like well, over, the, over the riddle tweet I had the other night, yeah. which I totally just totally just no sold every every one of these jackasses that came at me. You know, I was like, whatever, fuck you. I'm not engaging in your shit. I said what I said, and that's all that needs to be said. And I'm not wasting my time, you know, responding to your bullshit and making it worse. So I just no sell your fucking ass and just go from there because <laughs> you're not worth my time. My time's used for other things, not going against some dude with fucking 20 something followers who I don't know who the fuck you are. It's not it's not worth my time. It, it, it You know, it tries to, you know, these people say, well, it's all this vague bull. I ain't got an answer to you. I know what I know. I know what I'm not going to say because I'm not going to get my ass in fucking legal trouble and go from there. Read between the lines, you know. So, there you go. All right. Well, on that note, let's get back to the rest of the show. All right, let's go to North America now. We'll start with Canada, the Maritimes. 
Maritime Championship Wrestling in this season on September 20th in Berwyn, Nova Scotia. We have Goldie Rogers beating Eddie Watts by countout, so Watts kept his world junior title. Ron Starr kept his Maritimes title, beating the Soaring Eagle. And Maritimes Tag Champions Todd McPhee, that's a great Canadian name, and the Acadian Giant lost the titles to Stephen Pettipie and Leo Burke. McPhee and Giant have won the belts on the 21st in Berwyn from Bobby Blaze and Rico Frederico. Oh. oh. Um... Todd McPhee. Okay. Acadian Giant is, of course, Kurgan. Yes. Who, yes, was wrestling a lot longer than people realize. Uh, and Bobby Blaze, I guess, is Bobby Blaze, and Rico Federico is Rico Federico. Yeah. WCW TV job guy turned uh, son of the judge in Nick Hogan's uh, reckless driving case. Funny how that worked out, isn't it? Yes. I had no idea that Bobby did a season here. Yeah. So. Bobby Blaze worked, worked up there, worked Japan. I mean, he worked uh, quite a few different places. Well, at least as far as his pre-smoky. Period, I guess. Uh, he got around. Yeah. So, at this point, it's strictly a meal to pre, right? This is Atlantic Grand Prix. Uh, no, it's Maritime Championship Wrestling. Are we sure this is actually a promotion in Maritime Championship Wrestling and it's a separate promotion? It's the Maritime's promote, Maritime's heavyweight title. There was not such a thing in Emile Dupree's Atlantic promotion. Dupree. Yeah. So the, but Emile Dupree was still running, right? So there are two different promotions doing a season, a summer season at this point? I don't know. Right? Because I, mean, I always thought Emile Dupree just kept running. I don't know how long he was running full time every summer. But I knew he kept running because when Renee started, Renee had been working for him. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, I don't know if it was. Um, I don't know if, if 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 Emil was running then. You think he may have stopped and started back up? It's possible. Okay. And we know Emil was running ninety. Yeah, but this is ninety-one. I know. I'm trying to think if we know anything from ninety-two. <laughs> So, but anyway, so let's move on now as we go to Mexico and let's talk about the strike. <laughs> There's been a movement in the past week regarding the limited wrestler strike in Mexico. After several bargaining sessions this past week on October the 2nd, Televisa announced it would change the time slot of the Sunday Lucha Libre TV show from 4.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. in Mexico City to noon to 2. The time change was a result of a face-to-face meeting with, between the wrestlers and referee union head Manny Guzman and Televisa President Javier Gonzalez on October the 1st. This change was seen by the unions assigned that Televisa was bargaining in good faith. And in return, Guzman announced he would allow similar wrestlers to work, report to work for Friday night's card arena called San Mexico City. Guzman made it clear after Televisa announced on the 2nd that he wasn't calling up to strike, just allowing the wrestlers to work the Friday night show as a sign of good faith. He then announced on October 3rd that he and more than 200 wrestlers would stage a protest at the local and federal government offices in Mexico City. However, most of the wrestlers never materialized, mainly because there was a near flood on Wednesday, Wednesday night, from more than three inches of rainfall that evening. A few wrestlers did show up, but many spent time signing autographs for fans. Guzman was there, and he announced the strike will continue until Televisa takes Lucha Libre off the Sunday television schedule. Guzman also announced that although there would be a card on Friday Night Arena Coliseo, it was his understanding the card would not be televised. 
for this past week without recent cards, Televisa has no recent material, and we will not permit them to film Friday's card in Arena Costa until we solve this problem, said Guzman. Guzman said the union agreed to let Televisa broadcast two hours on Saturday night. Arena highlights interview history wrestling show, but not the major live card of the week. As Televisa had been televised in these past few weeks in Mexico City and it aired in the United States for the past few years on Galavision. Along with two hours of UWA's major house show of the week, El Toreo broadcasts on six-day delay, which is scheduled to begin airing on Imavision within the next few weeks. Although Guzman has taken a hard line against televising the Friday night cards for free, this hard line position is more for bargaining reasons than what they really expect to settle on. It is thought the wrestlers will settle for Friday night house shows being televised to move to a weekday or weeknight time slot. In this way, the shows at least wouldn't go head-to-head with a live show business on Sunday. On a weekly basis, anywhere from 70,000 to 110,000 fans attend various matches held throughout Mexico every su- Sunday, which makes it the best attended day of wrestling for the week in the country. While the union wants to limit the amount of wrestling available on free television, citing the problems in the United States in regards to arena attendance, blaming the oversaturation of television, he would consider it a victory to get Televisa to move the show to another day. Televisa and switching the time slot was also making a first move. Now, Dr. Lucha Steve Sims told uh, Steve Beverly and Matt Watch that the television offer is seen as a safe move by the union, one which may open the door for negotiations, but they still plan on striking. Okay. So, we need to explain, before we get into this a little more, that the, the motive behind the strike was twofold. Part of it was this, that they were worried that specifically doing a Sunday evening TV show would hurt attendance for Sunday evening wrestling shows, which, okay, so remind me, this is a, this is the beginning of national TV, this is the beginning of Mexico City having TV, I always forget how this part works. What was new in 1990 into 91? Uh, Antonio Pena. No, 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 but what, what, what came in that was new? What Antonio Pena. In? No, but what, what <laughs> That was was Antonio Pena. (laughs) No, but what was the situation he was taking advantage of that made TV hot? When did... Creative booking, pushing pushing these new characters. It made TV hot, and the TV ratings were going up, and it was a fat thing of attendance. hadn't there been a period of no TV or something? No. No. Are you sure? Because wasn't there also the whole myth that it had been banned in Mexico City on TV? That fed into this too. I thought the boom in '90 is in part because TV had not, at least not been on in Mexico City previously. Not sure about uh, that actually. I don't know how. I don't. I don't know the timeline of that. I mean, that was something that did happen, but people in Mexico City were able to watch TV. Right. Regardless. Because that's how, I mean, that, that's one thing that was going on. May, it may not have been airing on Televisa, per se, but you got to remember there are other local TV shows. Right, well, and also when it wasn't airing in Mexico City, the Mexico City matches did air in other parts of the country, too. Right. Um, whatever it was, TV was booming in a way it hadn't been, as far as the national show for Marina Mexico, and now the addition of the UWA show on cable. Um, so that was part of it, was strictly the time slot competition issue. The other that's not really addressed here, only really by omission that there's other issues with the strike, that these changes help, you know, show as a sign of good faith, but don't really affect, is that 
local promoters and regional stars were concerned that uh, the TV boom would make it that the TV stars would be the only ones in demand and that the local and regional stars would lose their spots. Well, and, the main, well, the, and main, the promoters the, would have to book the more expensive town. But the main thing, the main thing is, is that as it's laid out here, they don't want the TV on Sunday because it affects Sunday house show business. Fans can stay at home, watch TV. They don't have to go out live. You know that. I mean, that's the thing. More than anything else. Um, and I understand. And I understand why they would be pissed off about that. You know, Sunday being that day that people would go to see live shows. And believe me, as somebody who who was covering that stuff for two decades, basically, um, the busiest day of the week was always Sunday. You look at those the, the stuff I used to put out there. There were so many shows on Sunday. Guys were working four or five, sometimes six shows a, every Sunday. Think about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, if if I'm those guys, I'm pissed because I'm like, wait a minute. This is competing against me. You know, this is competing against, you know, my, my live gig. You know, and the thing is, is that CMLL's running three shows on Sunday themselves in Mexico City. They're running Arena Mexico, Arena Coliseo, and Peace Arena Revolution. Now, uh, refreshing my memory, yeah, it was that, at least in Mexico City, the TV had not been on before 90. Digging around online. Um, so that, that's, that's part it, of That's it. definitely a big part of it, but still, it all plays in with Pena, too, though. Pena, Pena his- capitalized on it by pushing Conan and Vampiro and Mascara Sagrada and Octagon and etc. Yes, no, of course. So all that plays into the whole shebang. Yes. Um, now, one thing, I'm trying to remember if this is covered later on or what, is is the strike the reason that when the UWA TV either starts or shortly after it starts, because we don't have the earlier shows, is from Arena Neza instead of Torreo? Um, I... <laughs> I think that the reason why they take the Renanesa is because they didn't want to affect Toreo's business because Toreo's business was was not as good as it was. Whereas Neza was holding up a little better. Well, ne- ne- it, yeah, but Neza's not the main. I mean, they don't want to, you know, sacrifice the main building. Yes, that's 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 what I I think. Now, here's the thing, though, like. You know, when people talk about whatever degree to which this union was or wasn't bullshit, they do end up getting the show moved to weeknight, weekday. I forget exactly which day in time. Um, not long, not for long. Because when Triple H starts up there, I mean, that's on, they're on Sundays. 92. They're back on Sundays. Definitely by then. Right, and then the union falls well, no, apart. So. No, Triple A, is it Triple A on Saturday one of them's on Saturday, one of them's on Sunday. They're on both days. So, yeah, don't take long before that changes. <laughs> okay. That's one of those deals. Where, okay, we'll, we'll concede to you. And then once everything gets back going in, uh, I'm sorry. So they should not actually <laughs> get this in writing? Well, the union, I mean, that the whole union thing was, by that point in time, was falling apart because of Guzman. Well, it gets worse in 92 and 93, but... That's what I'm saying. They don't... Guzman... Whatever he thinks, they—I mean—they really don't give a shit no more. 
Well, he ends up, what was it? He ends up trying to stage another strike, or at least a, a protest, or what was it? Like, at the president's residence or something. And he, he it was a big yeah, but it was it do, doesn't go anywhere, and around that time is when he gets caught embezzling all the pension money. Shocking, shocking, shocking that you know a head of the union would be doing such a thing. <laughs> well, head of the union in pro wrestling, Chris, I think is the better. Well, head, way to put it. A lot of unions have been uh, have been caught in a lot of shit like that, lining their pockets. It's not a reason to not have a union. It's just a reason no, to have checks and balances. Shit, but yeah. that's the way it goes. I mean, that's the shit that happens. You know? <laughs> I tell you, I mean, the warehouse side that, I, that we have our, our, we get our groceries from, they have a union inside their warehouse. The most, like the truck drivers and shit, and the other workers too. The most hated guy in the in the whole warehouse is the guy that's in charge of the union by the other union members because they think he's that he's looking out for himself and not for them. Did they he's, lining, for him? He, he's getting himself hooked up and uh huh? Didn't they vote for him? Yeah. Then vote him out. <laughs> There's nobody else that wants to run. Uh <laughs> then that's what they're I mean that's their own fault then. Because the, because the thing is, is, you know, hearing from the other truck drivers is they don't want to be in that position where they'll be like that guy. They don't want that power to go to the, go to them. And I hear about that other places too. It just, it's just, you know, that unions are great to have to get stuff done, but also you have the situation where you have the people that are in charge are the ones that are going to be t- trying to take care of themselves more than anybody else. That's just a matter of fact. And that happens in, in that just not just unions. That's in just about every job. So, yeah, I mean, unions are a great thing. They've done a lot of great, great in this country. But there's also the human nature part of it too. <laughs> when, you know, it's on some things. But anyway, enough of that. All right, uh, let's go to the uh, shows. With uh, the major shows still shut down, in ring news is rather slow. Arena cost sale on the 27th because that Friday night show where the wrestler show up is not in our week. It was in that show we did after. The 27th, we don't have any results, but the lineup was Atanas and Lady Apache against La Diabolica and Lady Star. Mysterioso Moguer and Volador went up against Bestia Savaje, Tony Arce and Volcano. Apollo Dante, Chavo Guerrero, and Katakun Lee went up against Fuzzle Guerrero, Javier Cruz, and Monaca, and Kung Fu. Black Magic, Norman Smiley, Blue Damon Jr., not Senior. And Ilya Dilly's Mark went up against Ana Blanco Jr., Blue Panther, and Grand Marcus Jr. And Arlantis Conan and Arrigo Mendoza went up against Cien Caras, Nitron, and Satanico. That's an interesting match. That'd be Skywalker Nitron. Yes. Or that, that was his All Japan and Daryl Carolet. Tyler, you got, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuzzle got out of the gym at City. Went for the commission October the 1st to announce he had fired his boxing trainer, Antonio Gonzalez, claiming he lacked ethics, i.e. falsifying boxers' records and proper payoffs and signing training contracts for underage children and presumably keeping their earnings. That would never happen in boxing. Fuerza's testimony was serious enough that in Esto on October 2nd, it was reported that the criminal charges may be filed against Gonzalez. In the newspaper, Gonzalez responded, denying all of the Fuerza's charges. Gonzalez said he welcomed the probe by the commission and said that Fuerza wanted the $6 million 
600 million pesos. He owed him as good the winnings of his boxers. He could have it once it was proven that he really owed it to him. Huh. I have no idea how this ended up. <laughs> I, I hope I hope it was that he said he paid for it, all of it in cash so they don't have receipts. <laughs> but this type and this is the shit that I mean this type of shit ha- has happened in boxing over here with some of these you know trainers and shit that take advantage of young fighters and mm-hmm. all other stuff. I mean that's a problem. I don't know if I wouldn't be messing with Fuerza Guerrera, but I mean, <laughs> but that was a problem. And that's the thing. Bo- it's, Boxy Lucha is more than just a magazine in Mexico. Most of your gyms over there are boxing and wrestling gyms. So, yeah, Boxy Lucha is the, is the serious thing over there. All right, UWA, next September 29th, El Torreo, the Cuatro Cremita Stock Upon, saw the Giant Warrior. So we have a Giant Warrior and Neutron in Mexico at the same time. Butch Masters, Miguelito Perez, and Negro Casas won uh, over Jushin Thunder Liger, Grand Hamada, and Solar. When Casas pinned Liger in the third fall to suplex off top rope. Dos Caras, Viana Tessero went to a double pin in the third fall against Kinect and the Killer. After the match, Warrior Perez and Gonzalez ran in to beat on Kinect and Indy Killer and manager Andy Barrow turned on Kinect as well. Until Dos Caras made the save, so Kinect is back as a technical once again. The deal with Kinect is that he's a Rudo generally, but whenever foreigners are brought in, he turns technical and runs the foreigner out of the country. But when there are foreigners around, he turns back Rudo again. It's happened so many times you think people would have learned a pattern years ago. Well, maybe they did and just don't care, Dave. <laughs> they know the deal. Also, Fishman, Black Power, and Dr. Wendell Jr. beat Enrique Vera, Silver King, and Fantasma. Cecil, Viano 1, and Hawkon 78 beat Babyface, Scorpio, and Falcon by NDQ. And Jose Luis Feciano, Black Terry, and Hematobi, Samurai, Akiyoshi, and Takayama. Yes, El Samurai, Ghetto, and Jado, who are here at this point in time. No, no, no. Well, you got which was which of Ghetto and Jado. No, no I'm just saying Ghetto and Jado. I know which is which. I'm just saying Ghetto and Jado. Aki, Akiyoshi is yeah, Jada, Takayama yeah, is Gata. Yes, I know that. But I'm just saying Gato and Jada. Now, Kinect's first match of the Tenneco was the next night in Puebla, beat, teaming with Dos Caras of Viana Tercero against Fishman, Perez, and Warrior, while Liger, Hamada, and Enrique Vera wrestled Casas, Wagner, and Black Power. The sixth time with Kinect headlined the UWA shows all week. Toreo was going to be headlined by Costas defending his UWA World Midway title against Liger. Boy, I wish I could have seen that shit. Yeah, especially because their their matches in New Japan in this era are so good, too, you know? I always kind of wish Costas could have been more of, like, a pushed regular opponent for Liger. Because they always worked so well together when he'd come over, but he was always, he was usually there as just kind of a, I don't know if Fall Guy would be the right way to put it, because he does have that one win over Liger with his feet on the ropes, but... He was never, like, a serious, like, threat opponent like uh, Benoit or whoever. Well, no. Well, I, and, you know, part of that probably was because he was dressing up in damn uh, Felino suit. I can't well, take that. I can't I'm take remember, what was the reason he ended up explaining to Roy? I don't remember, but I know I know he said something to Roy about it, why he did that, but it was silly. A new yeah, wrestler's just wearing the, Yeah, for those who've never seen it, like... The, his early New Japan tours, he's wearing the Felino outfit minus the mask. Yeah. A new wrestler is coming in named Jack the Ripper. Why not? Yako Ripper? 
I or guess was it so. English Jack the Ripper? Uh, I guess you'd say Yak. Or Hawk. I guess it's really Hawk. But, um... Great Morrissey song, by the way. Morrissey sucks as a person these days, but great song. A new BFX trio has been formed called Los Nuevos Fantásticos, or the new Fantastics consisting of Kendo Star, Kendo in Japan, Katana, and Black Man 2, nephew of the original Black Man. The original Mexico were, of course, Kung Fu, Katakuni, and Black Man. They didn't do much of anything. And I forget, is Power Slam Johnny Black Man or Black Man 2? Uh, Black Man 2, I think. Not John Bonello. That's, well, you, that's Black Power, Bix. Oh, that was Black Power. Okay. Yes. Now that you say that, that Power Slam Johnny was You're Black right. Power. You're right. Yes. Still, not John Bonello. Uh, no. Shua Guerrero quit his long-standing association with Black Terry and Jose Luis Feliciano as Los Temerarios. And this group put out a series for home video, which aired some of the best matches thus far this year from, from the air, Mexico City area, including Bionic Tercero against Pegasus Kid, Connect Blue Blazer, Mascara Contra Mascara, Il de Santo versus Negro Casas, and also Mascara Contra Caballero with Santo and Brazo de Oro, among others. Some of the matches weren't much, but those aforementioned were all great. The taste consisted of best ofs of Santo, Paraguayo, Connect, Bionic Tercero, and Los Brazos. The funny thing is that Viana Tercero best of tape included the match with Pegasus Kid where he lost cleanly, while Santo tape included a match with Negro Costa where he lost third fall by submission with the Scorpion. With Liger Costa and some of the others, now that El Torreo shows a start on television, somebody should try and get contact down there and start trading for UWA Mexico City tapes. Yeah, these are the UWA commercial tapes. And uh, well, I remember when I first started getting into buying videotapes online uh, from non-John McAdam sources, like Alfredo. Yeah, High Spots. High uh, Spots and High I, Spots. These are, these are some of the first stuff I got. I will get. High Spots. Well, High Spots got the originals and started selling them in cases with copies of the packaging. Yeah. Which I didn't do that. I just got it on tape. I didn't want to pay that extra. Yeah, at the time <laughs> I only got the Santo one from them, I think. But I think I've seen... The others are most of the others. Yeah, I got all of them. Not everything is complete, but there are complete matches on there. Uh, there's a lot of clipped. Yeah. Like, I think both the uh, Brazo and Casas matches on the Santo one are complete. I'm not sure about all the others. They're worth checking out, though. And they're matches you're That's not going to see anywhere else. Yeah, I love those tapes. And it's got, like, vignettes and shit and... So, yeah, it's, it's really cool stuff. So, definitely, if you've never seen them, track. I think some of them's on YouTube, so track them down. Yes, yes. Um, and also, it's in this time frame that I, I guess they're not technically UWA tapes, but those uh, Lucha Mania tapes from Arena Knucklepon come out, too. Yeah. Which include uh, at least one trios match of the team of Samurai, uh, Akiyoshi, and Takayama. Yes. So, yeah, for whatever reason, we this is like this one time you have commercial tapes coming out and all either UWA or UWA adjacent. Um, I'm trying to think after this, I mean, there's, you know, a few years later, there's the WWO stuff that comes out that's a little more widely available in the States. And that's about it, right? Until like... Like, the Rudo's video stuff never ended up at retail, I don't think, even though they wanted it to. 
And then it's really it's not until like DVD era that any official Lucha stuff comes out, right? Yeah. All right, WC. September 28th in Carolina, saw Rudy Fronton over Alex Porto, spelled P-O-R-T-O. I guess so they thought he was Al- But this is Alex Porto. I guess they thought he was Puerto Rican. Uh, Sasha over Monster Ripper. But that wouldn't be same. spelled right for it to be that either. Well, I don't know. Urukan Castillo Jr. be El Bronco numero uno. TNT over Dino Bravo by DQ. And Vader one over Manny Fernandez by DQ. Carlos Colon over Fidel Sierra in a stretcher match, and Ray Gonzalez and Rico Santana over Galamendoza and Dusty Wolf. Now, Fernandez in an angle where he was suspended from South Atlantic Pro Wrestling, but still holds the South Atlantic title. He came down to Puerto Rico with the belt, which they are calling the North American Heavyweight Title, which is interesting because they used to have a North American Heavyweight Title in WC. Well, also, didn't it start as the North American Title when SAP dub? Why am I saying it out loud like that? South Atlantic was NAWA? Yes. So that was their initial singles title anyway. So it's it's not that much of a change. Um, also, there's a point in this era. I saw it pop up on uh, Ultimate Classic Wrestling Network's Plex channel the other day. They were trying to do something even before this with Double Double C. Because they, they, they were acting like they were going to bring in Ray Gonzalez and showing a Ray Gonzalez match on TV with, I think, uh, Frank Dusick voicing it over. Hmm. I haven't seen that before. So there you go. Interesting. Well, I mean, he never did an American run. Nope. So that would have been uh, something different to see him in America when he was young. So, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. All right. The Super Medicos, Jose Estrada Jr. No, excuse me. Well, since Jose Estrada and Johnny Rod, so maybe it is both the originals. The Power Twins, Ricky Sexton, Hercules Ayala, and Cheeky Star are working for a rival to the WC called All Star Wrestling, run by Cheeky Star, based in Capone Heights, Puerto Rico. What's the deal with this promotion? This is the beginning of the AWF. Okay. I kind of figured. Yeah, it's not the AWF yet, but that's this is the genesis. So is is the reason they become the AWF because they use the Gordon Cesari tapes initially when they get TV? <laughs> I mean, I think that's part of it, but I think they're doing that for, you know, for a, like a name thing. And to establish a sanctioning body of some kind. Like, the way that when, uh, I forget, does it actually stand for Lucha Libre Independiente, or is it Internacional? LLI. Independiente. When they first launch, the reason they pick up UWA for the titles is because of the Luz Thez connection. They're taking it from Mm -hmm. the Nashville UWA. Yes. That was going on at that time. That was like the the Luthez Buddy Lee joint. Yeah, 76, yes. So. Which also. Oh! Reminds me, because we haven't talked about this. This is besides the point, but we're about to end this section anyway. Did you see the stuff on Reddit about all of the various uh, children of Buddy Lee? I'm not in the Reddit, so I wouldn't. It got linked a bunch of different places. Um. Some people that knew they may have had parentage connected to wrestling um, started doing some Ancestry.com DNA tests and whatnot. And it looks like they, Sweet Georgia Brown's children, and maybe others uh, were all actually fathered by Buddy Lee and are uh, half-siblings. How about that? Buddy Lee got around. Shocking, I know. (laughs) Yes, it is. 
All right, let's go to the U.S. indie scene now. We start with the NEWF in Burlington, Vermont on September 27th. They drew 800 fans as Rob Zakowski went to a double countout with Sabu. Rob Van Dam. Paul Bunyan beat IWF champion Mad Dog Richard by disqualification due to outside interference from Abdul the Butcher and Richard Charlande. So Richard <laughs> interfered in Richard's match. Yeah, so so this should be uh, Richard Charlin, though. We're in the United States. You mean, no, uh, not Richard Charlin. Richard Charlin. Yeah. Uh, Dillinger acts over Richard Charlin. And Abdul the Butcher went to no contest with the original Sheik. I'm curious when this is also relative to uh, Richard Charlin becoming a uh, the original Demolition Blast or whatever the hell he was. <laughs> yeah. Because remember, there's two different Demolition Blasts. There's Richard Charlon, you know, looking like a member of Demolition who fits in, but is obviously Richard Charlon. And there, oh, what was the guy's name? The big guy, Car- Carmine Azizo, I think was his name, who worked at uh, WCCW and stuff as Demolition Blast. And uh, he did not look as, like as much of a match with, uh, with Bill Eadie. He was a he was a very large man in a body stocking. Which Shocking. Guys. Yes, uh yeah, I've watched their New Japan stuff and uh yeah. Wait, that, Not, wait, Blast went to New Japan? What, what was the one in Hux? Hux no, was in or, well, I think it's actually Hooks. And it uh, got uh, transliterated as Hux. And that was Canadian Giant, I think. Yeah. But still, oof. <laughs> I mean, he was clear, he was really confident at first that he was going to be able to keep that gimmick wholesale that he went to New Japan as Demolition Axe with a new Demolition member who sucked. <laughs> Canadian Giant, what do you expect? Oh, yeah. and then when Global happens and he's the Booker, who does he bring in? But is so bad he can't even put him on TV. Canadian Giant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we don't have Autumn Armageddon, but we do have a Joel Goodhart TV. I mean, Joel Goodhart show during our week. Spot show, yes. Yeah, since Joel Goodhart shows at Pennsylvania Hall game, the cult following, he's got these dates to him. He's going to do them for 1992, for those of you who want to make plans in advance. No. January 25th, April 25th, July 18th, and October 10th. They believe the plans for Buddy Rogers to work the January show, which will include Dan Crawford and Doug Furness against Terry Gordy and Dr. Dusty Williams. Sure. <laughs> now, he ran his local show at the original sports bar on October 1st in Philly. We have Crybaby Waldo and Michael Bruno over John Rock and the Bounty Hunter. I think those are mostly uh, TWA school graduates. Then Glenn Osborne over Johnny. Well, Glenn Osborne went to a no contest with Johnny O. Oh. DJ Drake beat Glenn Osborne. DJ Drake. DC Drake, excuse me. No, no, see, DJ Drake is the bizarre world version of JD Drake, who does not have facial hair. Mad Dog DC Drake, yes. Yes. I was looking at Jimmy Gennady, because Jimmy Gennady's the next match. Jimmy Gennady with Rick Perez. Oh, it's Rick Perez, Alan Lou's third brother. <laughs> Taking on Jimmy Gennady. <laughs> Mr. Anthony went to a Thailand draw with the Rock and Rubble. TWA heavyweight title, JT Smith retained over Johnny Hotbody. And Tony Stetson beat Mr. Sandman. 
Well, if you're using Rock and Rebels uh, promoter's license, he ain't doing a job for Mr. Anthony. <laughs> Actually, wait a second. No, he may not have the promoter's license yet, but regardless, we know Goodhart had his own promoter's license. So it's this is not Rock and Rebel Rock and Rebel in his way onto a show. <laughs> I can only imagine what he call what names he called Joel Goodhart, as in remember Joel Goodhart as featured in the Philadelphia Jewish Exponent. <laughs> I can only imagine what uh, Rock and Rebel thought of him. Jew Goodhart. Oh, I'm sure he called him that. <laughs> I'm sure he called uh-huh. him a lot of other things too. Oh my goodness! How is it that this guy most prominently generally wrestled for Jewish promoters anyway? It's the Northeast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, Bix. It's the Northeast. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess there's that. Um, well, look, on the bright side, if there's a hell, he's there. Oh, there's a hell, and he's definitely there. All right, UWF. Herb Avery's UWF on October 1st in Fort Lauderdale. It's City Limits. Drew 52 pay for what a show, which included the, the Black Hearts, Brian Blair, Death Row 3260, Bobby Rogers, and Dynamite Day Perry. No shows included Paul Orner for Danny Spivey. How are we defining no shows? Do we think they're even booked? <laughs> they were they were announced to be there. I mean, they're in they're, they're Florida based, so I would hope that Paul Orner ain't. Okay, he is state bordering Florida based. <laughs> He's Fayetteville, Georgia. He's Fayette County. That's a nice little hall to Fort Lauderdale from Fayette County. I'm trying to remember, is this, is this the last show before the big gap and coming back in 92? He, I think he runs more than one of these club uh, city limit shows. Okay, I'm, I, it would take too much time to find the notes. I'm pulling it up on Pro Wrestling History. Let's see, cards. All right, so this is 91. This is October 1st. Oh, no. Is this October 1st? Is this October 1st? I'm not looking at the... Yes, October 1st, yes. Okay, match results unavailable. Promising History says it was a TV taping, which I doubt. Ooh. I hope not. Oh, he runs November 16th in Mount Vernon, New York, and then he's not back until June 19th in Spartanburg for the uh, Prime Network taping. But here are your results for the November 16th show at Mount Vernon High School. Drawn 450 fans. I'm actually going to start from the main event and go on down. You'll understand why. Paul Orndorff beat Brian Blair by DQ. North American champ Tony Capone. Of course. Daytona Duke. Excuse me, Daytona Drake. Gee, I wonder why this show drew. I'm sure it has nothing to do with Tony Capone being the local promoter. Oh, the Condor beat Jimmy Starr. Oh, I wonder why he was on that show. Well, it wasn't a Jewish promoter, at least. Yeah, well. Rock and Rebel should have been on this show. Well, I mean, Herb, but her, it's still a Herb show. Well, there's that. And I just remembered, yeah, Tony Mara talks, to, Tony Capone talks about this in his infamous Torch Talk, too, I think, doing the show with Herb. Uh, but yes, his, his guy, the Condor, is there, too. I mean, as you'll see, there's very little UWF talent on this show. Uh, Jackknife Johnny, the Black Russian. <laughs> Steve Wild Thing Ray and that jobber Tom Brandy defeated King Kalua and quote-unquote Wrecking Crew, so I'm... Uh, are we assuming... Mar- uh, what's his face, Al Green? I mean, it's possible. When Ray pinned Wrecking Crew and saving the best for last in your opener, 
UWF Israeli champion Joshua Ben-Gurion defeated the Latin lover. Definitely Mexico's Latin lover. No, 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 no. And yes, for those of you wondering, Joshua Ben-Gurion, David the Jewish Giant, whatever other names were used, that's all the same guy. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the USWA. Oh, it's going to get even better here. Lots going on here. Chris Love was fired on Wednesday, although Dave's got no idea what the story is, but he took Eric Fontaine with him, and the P1Ts are history. Although Randy Rhodes is still in the air as a singles wrestler. Oh, uh, what so, does that, so wait a second. What does that mean, Dave? <laughs> what do you mean he took Eric Fontaine with him? So on television on uh, September 28th, Eric Embry brought out a new tag team called the Texas Outlaws. Jeff Sword and Doug Vines and their mask who previously wrestled here as the Ballroom Brawlers and lost a bunch of Lose Town matches not that long ago. And they won USWA tag titles from Jeff Jarrett and Robert Fuller when Billy Joe Travis hit Fuller with the guitar. <laughs> ah, yes. It's funny how that Eric Fontaine always ended up with Chris Love wherever he went. Starting with uh, UCW in Kansas a year earlier. Mm-hmm. Where he was Zebra Kid Eric Fontaine. Yes. Um, Push does a bit of a, a blowjob babyface, as they used to say. <laughs> um, he didn't really fit your stereotype of what a blowjob baby. Blow baby, did you say? <laughs> I'm getting there. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I'm assuming that besides how he was pushed towards the ladies, uh, that probably still applied in some shape or form. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Tom, Dr. Tom Pritchard returned from Japan. I, I, I'm just wishing we also could talk talk in depth right now about the aborted uh, GWF angle where the PYTs and Christopher Love were going to adopt Stephen Dane <laughs> and be uh, a wrestling version of the evil stepsisters and stepmother from Cinderella. <laughs> who are just constantly torturing and embarrassing him. <laughs> just teasing him. <laughs> that's a real thing that's in the Observer in that a few months before this, by the way. Chris, remind everyone who has not heard us talk about this before. This is a real thing I am talking about. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. They, they, they were, yes. They were going to make him get down on his hands and knees and just... Scrub Chris Love's bathroom. I'm sure wearing his white tight. Yes. <laughs> and the camera shot would be showing uh, the cut of his jib. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Tom Pritchard returned from Japan and says, Oh, also Eric from UCW in Kansas, Dr. Tom Pritchard. And says, so Looking for Eric Embry and did a babyface interview. Yes. The uh, team Texas is getting the uh, is getting done. It's yes. Doctor Tom's turning babyface. Yes, Doctor Tom in Kansas, more of a traditional quote unquote blowjob baby. <laughs> yes, and uh, yeah, he was good here in his babyface in Memphis too. All right, and in TV match, Eric Embry wrestled the Mass Mister X, who turned to be Dutch Mantel, and Embry walked up for a countout loss. Oh uh, gee, I wonder who's booking. What? <laughs> My thing is, is Dutch is wearing a mask. Pretty obvious, it's Dutch because of the beard. 
and the hair. Oh, come on. Like, like if Dutch wore a mask on TV, we wouldn't be able to tell it was him. They've never done anything like that before. <laughs> Jerry Lawler did what Dave was told was one of the best interviews in a long time, which in his case says a lot. Talking about a match on September 30th, Coco Ware. Lawler gave brief synopsis on how cable television exchange wrestling and how other companies are more interested in selling toys than providing good wrestling. And Lawler basically said that he could go anywhere in wrestling, but he chose to stay in USWA. And he wanted to wrestle a WF wrestler to prove that you don't have to go to Atlanta or New York to be a big star. Of course, if you think about it, it's not like Ware is pushing one of the big stars in WF, but let's not confuse ourselves, Dave said. Okay, so real quick, before we get to the promo. Um, so there's no working agreement yet. The no, deal no, here no. is that this is when they give guys the ability to book themselves elsewhere when they're not being booked. And I guess as long as it's not national television, it's okay. Yes. So Coco booked himself at home in Memphis. Yes. But he is legitimately an active WWF roster wrestler. Absolutely, yes. And this is pretty high energy, so he doesn't have the goofy pants or anything yet either. So No. Let's go now to the 10-minute Jerry Lawler promo. It's a short show. Yeah. He is right now. The King has that unified world title in hand. He puts it on the line against Coco Beware. This coming Monday Night King. He's got a big match and a lot of other things going on. I'll tell you, this is one of the biggest cards oh, that's one of his deals. in a long, long time. And, you know, I guess it's appropriate following uh, the Mid-South Fair that's been in town uh, for 10 days here. And, of course, we've been having uh, USWA Championship Wrestling out at the fair. It's going to be there again tonight. We've got the, uh, the finals tonight at the Mid-South Fair of the, of the big tournament that's been going on. And also, again, tomorrow night, I'm going to be out there tonight. I think Jeff Jarrett, Robert Fuller, uh, a lot of people out there tonight, and, right. and tomorrow night also. So I want to invite everybody to come out there and see that. Uh, before I talk a little bit, uh, before I talk about this match that I've got coming up uh, Monday night. Robert Fuller, not a blowjob babyface, because that would be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure there are plenty of women that that uh, could take him. It would be difficult. I want to mention a couple of other things that you said that we got going on here. Can it, can you not hear me over there? Is that, is it That's red upstairs. I know. <laughs> We're blaming red. now. We got a little sound now. Uh, yeah, I just want to mention a couple of things you said. I got some other things going. Uh, you know, last week I mentioned this big uh, uh, benefit softball game that's coming up in Nashville tomorrow, and uh, we've had a ton of calls here in, at the station yeah. in Memphis about Should I skip past when he's done going through his paper? <laughs> I guess he can get through his softball commitments. But there's a, I mean, that comes up later in the show. So uh. we have news on his softball commitment. <laughs> that's one thing about watching a live show. In this era, yeah. is Lawler's softball updates. Oh, gee, I wonder where Sid got it from. <laughs> okay. Do yep. drug rehab program. All right. Then. Talk about this match Monday night. Real quick. Oh, so it's just a seven-minute promo. <laughs> I just want to mention the reason that I am excited about this match is because, you know, I guess a few a few years back, what what took place in, in the in the wrestling industry or in the wrestling profession or business as you know all sports really the bottom line is uh, they're basically businesses they're everybody's in in the sport to make money 
Um, and you, I guess before the advent of cable TV, what happened, the fans in this area, you know, they only saw the wrestling that was in their each, each individual's area. Because, uh, you know, if, so, if somebody was into wrestling up in New York or out in California, you, you didn't see those TV shows, so you didn't know about the other wrestlers. But then along came cable TV, and uh, several wrestling organizations got on cable, and then all of a sudden their shows are seen all over the world, all over the country. You know, like the WWF, of course, they're on all over the country, and then the NWA comes along, and then they're on all over the country on cable. And, uh, of course, the you know, USWA has been on, on ESPN, and we were seen all over the country, too. But what it did, it gave the fans an opportunity to see other wrestling organizations. Now, there were some good things and some bad things about this. Uh, the good things was that fans got to see a lot of other wrestlers, but the, one of the bad things came about in this was the fact that all of the wrestling organizations all of a sudden started this fierce competition with each other. Used to, the competition was just against between the wrestlers, and that's the way it always should have been. But then all of a sudden, the wrestling organizations, the companies, started competing with each other. They wanted to all get all the best wrestlers, and they wanted to all have all the talent, and they didn't really want to cooperate with each other. You know, like if you wrestled for the WWF, they didn't want you wrestling for the NWA. Or if you wrestled for the NWA, they didn't want you wrestling for the USWA. And that, I think, was the loss of the... That, that's where the fans became the losers, because then, you know, used to be... there. We used to claim to be world heavyweight champions, and just, you know, that was one of the things about this unified title that, that I was always proud of. And I've said this before, and, and a lot of people think, well, you're just harping on that. But if you really look at it, it's the truth. I mean, guys claim to be world champions, but in actuality, if the company that they work for won't let them wrestle anybody that's not in their company, then they're not truly considered a world champion. I mean, you know, uh, uh, if, if Hulk Hogan is calling himself the world champion, but if he can't come down here and wrestle me, or if he can't go and wrestle somebody in the NWA, then why don't, I mean, he's really just the WWF champion. The same goes for Lex Luger in the NWA. If he can't wrestle anybody outside that organization, then he is just the company champion. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not knocking these guys as individuals, but it's just, it's just a company policy that I wish someday would change. And when I won the AWA World Heavyweight Championship, I issued a challenge to all the other so-called champions. And the only one, as I said, the only one that, the only company, the organization that had the guts, because it took a lot of guts to put your championship at stake, was the world-class organization with Kerry Von Erich. And Kerry Von Erich, the world-class world champion, wrestled me, the AWA world champion, in Chicago in December of 1988. And fortunately, I was able to come out on top in that match. And that's where the unified heavyweight championship of the world came about. And this is the only championship still that I'm able to go out of the USWA. You know, I just went last month up in, up in Philadelphia and wrestled for an independent organization up there that wrestles all throughout the Northeast, wrestled the Honky Talk Man in, in, uh, in Philadelphia, and, and, you know, was able to come out victorious in that match. And it's like, this, as I said, is the only title where it can be defended outside the organization. And I'm real proud of that fact. And the reason that I'm excited about this match that's coming up Monday night is the fact that, you know, here's Coco Ware, who has just been in the WWF. And a lot of people come to me, I mean, especially the young kids, because they don't really, they don't always understand the implications and things like that. They come to me and they say, hey, why don't you go to the WWF, or why don't you go to the NWA? And a, a lot of times they say, you know, why don't you go to the big time? And because I guess that these guys are on cable, or, you know, every time you see it, it looks like a sold-out crowd or something like that, a lot of people think that that is the big time. But I just want to tell you this. I've been to New York City. I was on, you know, I, I, I've been to New York to wrestle. 
I, I wrestled the Road Warriors right in the, in the Meadowlands Arena there in front of a sold-out crowd. And I've been on the David Letterman show. And I just want to tell you my experience in New York. When I left my hotel to go to the subway to get on the David Letterman show, and this is the honest-to-God's truth, I stepped over out of a nice, ritzy hotel. I had to step over people that were sleeping on the street. One guy had a baseball bat that he was using for a pillow that was sleeping right on the street. Now, if you people that think New York is the big time, a lot of you have obviously never been there because I can tell you that I wouldn't live in New York City if they gave me a penthouse in Trump Plaza. I love Memphis, Tennessee, and this is my home, and we have got the greatest wrestling fans in the world right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Bar none. I wrestled in Philadelphia just a few weeks ago, and there was one of the best matches that I've ever seen going on, and some of the fans were sitting there yelling, boring, boring. To me, these people are not wrestling fans like we have down here. These are real wrestling fans. These are people that know what wrestling's all about. And that's why I stay in the USWA, because this is an organization that still their primary number one concern is they sell wrestling. They sell wrestling tickets. That's the only way they make their money. They're not, you know, they're not like the WWF. They sell dolls and toys and games and cereal and everything you can think of. And that's the way they make their money. So they're not going to push wrestling. This organization is concerned with one thing, and that's selling wrestling tickets to wrestling fans. And that's why they give them wrestling. And that's why I'm here. And that's why I'm excited about Monday night, because it's a chance to go up against Coco Ware, who is just coming from the WWF. Now, I'm not taking anything away from Coco, because Coco is a fine wrestler Coco is a great athlete but I want to I want to have a chance to show people that Memphis Tennessee and the USWA is big time and it's as big time as I want to get and I'm going to show everybody here and I'm going to show Coco where that we got some winners down here very good the king well, it's nice to do an interview where you don't have anything to disagree with and I agree with everything that the king has just said there he goes as he greets the fans we'll take a break and we'll be back in a moment you know what this is all leading up to? Well, was was leading up to? Um, right? what? You know, you, do you remember what we the week after our week what the deal what the deal was? Oh, the first Eddie thing of the two interpromotional Eddie Gilbert things, or no? No, what? No, Luger. Oh. <laughs> yeah, this is sets up. This was going to set up Lawler going to the WCW taping in Memphis to challenge Lex Luger. But we think that was definitely going to happen. We, it, I thought we didn't think that was really ha a thing that was going to happen anymore. Well, that's what supposedly was going to happen. But there was obviously, as we talked about with our dearly departed friend Scott Bowden, who did that show with us, there was so something going on, but yeah. we don't know what. Yes. But, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, that was the week with that Paul is all with Paul with, with Paul Hammond being fired or being suspended, excuse me, because he's suspended and then he's unsuspended for havoc at the end, the end of October. Well, Paulie dangerously is suspended. Well, Bruce Gold, yeah. his lawyer, never says the word, never says the word Heyman. Well, yeah, of course. So that was show 168. That we talked about that, but um, but yeah, that was the that's the deal. This is setting up Lawler to challenge Luger, allegedly. So, 
Yeah, I mean, this is as far as uh, you know, Lawler would cut these promos on occasion, and they're always great because you know he's telling a lot of truth, and it's just getting over the fact that hey, we are still true to what we are. These promotions have changed. They're now going for business. They don't care about the fans, you know. It puts over the USWA. So, what were your thoughts on uh, on Lawler here? Yeah, I like that it was a more easygoing version of his usual version of this promo on this. You know what I mean? That it's less confrontational, it's more explanatory. I don't know. It, you know, by 1991, you watch a lot of this stuff, you get sick of him cutting that company champion promo. So that he actually did it differently for once helped a lot, I think. And the fact that, like Dave Brown said, there, there's no issue here. Lawler just wants to wrestle a guy that was in WF and had Memphis ties and Coco. Yes. But again, like you said, company champion. That's why this was building up the Luger thing. Mm-hmm. Because that was the whole thing about Luger. He's a company champion. You know? So... It gives credence to that thought that this was, you know, this was something that was in the works. Yeah. How serious we don't know, but, but yeah. So, yeah, Lawler always, like I said, did a good job on these promos and because it was so believable because, I mean, he, he actually believed what he was saying. So that helps out. All right. Um, Frieder Thompson. A 350-pound, long-time jobber who got the name because of his weight from the days when the refrigerator pairs on the hottest names in sports, is starting to get a push. They talked about how Frazier's been training of late with Lawler, and he was on the losing side of a typical squash tag match. But every time he was at the rig, he had the advantage. But his partner wound up getting beat. After the match, Tojo Yamoto came out and asked Frazier to join up with him and Eric Embry. Frazier turned Tojo down, but Tojo said he wound up getting him anyway. Well, let's go to Tojo with his recruiting efforts, shall we? They did win the match, but boy, Freezer Thompson. Here's to- Tojo, Tojo, out here. Tojo Yamamoto out here. I'm glad to see you're out here without Eric Embry. Freezer, Freezer Thompson. Freeze, freeze, you come here. I don't make trouble. I don't make trouble. Freezer Thompson, you please come here. Talk Freezer. Freezer, watch yourself with him here. It- I don't... I- I don't, I, I don't make trouble, Frieder Thompson. Frieder Thompson, me and Eric Emery been watching you wrestle. You know what I mean? You make big improvement, good wrestler, and you got big potential. And me and Eric Emery make you big star. We, we want you to come with us. We make you make lots of money. You know, Tojo, I don't care too much about Eric Emery. I think I'm going to stick right over here. That's okay. That's okay. He don't have to make decisions now. That's okay. He 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 come with us. He come with us. He, uh, he, he sounded pretty definite that he was not anyway. But Tojo thinks there's still hope. But boy, he looked good in that match. Boy, did did he? Yeah. Ooh. We'll be back right after this. one of those deals that promotions would do they would take a long time job guy shine him up a little bit you know try to do something with him 
freezer didn't last very long with his push, and then before he was right back to where he was at before. So, let's see, they could, let's see how far it could go, how it could work. That's best what it was, and it didn't. Yeah. I'd love to know what Tojo's actual natural speaking voice sounded like. Yeah. I think the closest we might ever got was when, like, when he would appear on the Jerry Lawler show as a babyface. But even then, it's like he's American. Like he's yes. born in America. Yes. He's like he's Jap. He's of Japanese ethnicity, or is Japanese? His father's Japanese. So I'm sh- like I'm sure that the accent and growing, you know, growing up with a Japanese father isn't completely fake. But. I mean, yeah, I forgot that. I forgot that's right too. Tojo was in the, he served in the Marines too, as a jur- and was a judo instructor in the Marines. So it, it, there's no way that is his close to his natural speaking voice, though. No, Mr. Fuji was American. But I mean, even when you hear people tell stories of Tojo in private behind the scenes, though, they're doing the Tojo promo voice. Well, he's keep he's protecting the gimmick. I guess. Yeah. But Mr. Fuji's American. Born Hawaii. So, you know, I mean, it's just that, you're protecting that gimmick. It's kayfabe. Yeah, so I'm curious what Fuji sounds like out of gimmick back then, too. Yeah, because when he did shoot interviews, he then got real old, and his voice wasn't what it was. So, yeah. Right, like, I would think Ivan Koloff <laughs> sounds like... Ivan Koloff wasn't super old when he did shoot interviews yet, but I would think he sounded a little different when he was younger. Yeah. Kevin Lawler, another one of Jerry's sons, worked as referee this past weekend's TV show, although Dave doesn't believe his name was ever acknowledged. Well, that was Kevin Lawler. Of course not. Kevin Christian was his referee name. Yes. All right. September 20th in Nashville drew 500 as Dirty White Boy and Danny Davis went to a draw with the Texas Outlaws. That's Sword and Vines. Building the Overbull Pain, which got him two minutes of Samantha, and it lasts all 20 seconds when Dundee spanked her and she ran off. Dutch over Eric Gimmer by DQ. Jared over the Dragon Master in a hair versus mass match, in which Dave believes it was his last night in. And when you're mass, they said his name was Gary Jackson. That sounds right. Robert Full over Randy Rhodes. Eric Gimmer and Jeff Jarrett were two survivors of a three battle royal, and then Jarrett threw Embry out to win the thing. So there's your Nashville car. Now, Lawler. Not there because he was playing softball. He did Memphis softball game for cancer research on Saturday National, which included Catfish Hunter, Gaylord Perry, Barbara Mandrell, Garth Brooks, Conway Twitty, and George Jones. And this was something that would get played up on television because he had uh, he got a guitar signed by everybody. And then Billy Joe Travis came out and broke the guitar. Of course he did. Yes. And by the way, just for the record, yes, their middle names are Christopher and Christian. Brian Christopher Lawler, Kevin Christian Lawler. September 30th for the Minnesota Coliseum, saw Brian Christopher beat Randy Rhodes, Danny Davis over the Scorpion to keep the USWA light heavyweight title, Dirty White over Billy Travis by disqualification, Bill Dundee over Bull Payne in the Canadian Lumberjack match, which earned a match against Samantha, which Dundee won in short order by DQ, and Bull attacked Dundee as he was spanking her. Texas Outlaws, Sword and Vine in the Hoods, kept the tag ties being Jeff Jett and Robert Fuller by disqualification. Lawler went to a no contest with Coco Ware to keep the USWA title, unified title. There was an apparent problem working out a finish, which Dave guesses why there wasn't one. Dutch Mantel over here by, by DQ in a cage match with Eddie Marlon's referee. Went to Tom Pritchard, turned back heel, and got in the cage and beat up Marlon and Mantel. 
He's going to turn babyface, but not right now. It was a bait and switch. October 1st in Louisville saw uh, Dr. Tom beat Danny Davis, two and a half stars. Uh, Billy Joe Travis over Dirty White Boy, two stars. Bill Dundee over Bull, uh, Bull Payne in, a lumber, in the Canadian Lumberjack match, two stars. Jeff Jetron Fuller over Billy Joe Travis and Randy Rhodes. Long with no contest with Coco when Travis attacked both guys. And after the match, Coco attacked Lawler with Frankie, Dud, and Dutch over Eckerd by DQ and Tojo interfered, two and three quarter stars. Frankie was with him or he attacked Lawler with the bird? <laughs> I'm guessing he attacked Lawler with Frankie by his side, not using the bird on the attack Lawler. <laughs> He's not hitting him with the bird, Bix. He wasn't. Maybe he wasn't pulling a uh, Fuerza Guerrero against Gallo Tapado. Maybe he was giving him the bird. Give him the bully. But no, he didn't uh, He didn't hit him with a bird, no. That would have been uh, animal abuse, Bix. I don't think Coco was down for that. But why is he Some saying other wrestlers. With, why is he saying with Frankie there? It's, it's Dave's <laughs> syntax and words. I guess, but wouldn't it be Lawler no contest where? With Frankie. I guess, but it's Dave. Well, now let's go to the uh, promotion that has claimed to have globalized the USWA. September 27th at the Global Dome. Drew Sixers beat the fans. Crowd was down because it was the first weekend of the State Fair, which in Dallas is a very legit reason. Primetime Brian Lee beat Barry Horowitz. The Dirty Davis brothers over Chaz and Terry Garvin. Gary Young over Sweet Daddy Falcone. Now managed by Scanner Abbar. So for Rob Price, who still have actual on a legit knee injury. Past qualification when Price and Falcone's corner hit Young with his crutch. After the match, John Tatum, Falcone, Price beat up Jeff Gaylord, who was in Young's corner for the match. Gaylord then went to a schedule match with Tatum, injured and was pinned in short order. Al Perez went to a 10 minute draw with a Soul Taker. The Patriot beat B.A. Dalton. Um, Terry Garvin over Mike Davis. Stephen Dane over Brian Lee attended with a foreign object. Jeff Ross St. Rakes beat Buster Blackheart. Wobbler went over Tuck Taylor. Al Perez over Sweet Day Falcon, Betty Q, and Tatum Price and Abbar all interfered, and Erwin and Young made a save. Soul Taker beat Mike Stetson. In the main event, Patriot beat John Tatum to keep North American title. So, yes. There's your GWF TV taping for our week. What do we think the aspirations even were once this was going to be, what the GWF was going to be? I don't think, I, 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 they didn't know. We're just doing something to do something. We've already committed to this. We've already got all this set up. Basically, it's just like, we're just going to see how it goes. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm serious. that's probably what it was. Yeah. Annie Falcone, who is from New Jersey, at Bar's group, which includes Tame and Price, is being called the Coast to Coast Connection. So the California Connection. They will start pushing whomever the boss is on this coming Friday show, but Dave's told the actual identity of the boss won't be revealed until October 18th. Okay. So, recently on the uh, Ultimate Classic Wrestling Network channel on Plex, they keep showing uh, a uh, GWF 1991 Year in Review show, hosted by Craig Johnson and Joe Pettisino in the uh, benches, bleachers, whatever, the Sportatorium, cutting back to... Uh, Bonnie Blackstone, Scott Hudson, and Stephen DeTruth in Atlanta at various points. And they include a recap of the Boss Saga. So now that this is fresh in my mind, okay, here is exactly what they said happened. Because, you know, with all the retcons and twists and turns, I think we never quite fully remembered what it was supposed to be. So, 
Max Andrews, you know, syndicator, co-promoter, whatever the hell he is at this point, is introduced as the interim commissioner. And after he's introduced as the interim commissioner, uh, when they need to do another TV title tournament, because Patriot vacated it when he won the North American title, they're doing a random drawing out of a box, and he gets kind of peeved when he see, for whatever reason that's unclear initially when he's pulling the different names out. Scott Anthony comes out all of a sudden after Handsome Stranger is the last name announced and says, hey, wait, I what's going on here? I ran Handsome Stranger out of wrestling. You should put me in the tournament instead. And then Max Andrews is just like, oh, we got to make hard decisions in this job. So sure, you're in the tournament, which I'm assuming Bagwell's in WCW by that point, right? Yes. So they're going with that. So then within like, uh, I forget if it's the same show or the next week. Joe Pettacino comes out at the end of the show saying that he was recording something for the hotline in the locker room, but during the recording, he overheard a conversation in the next room or whatever, and he recorded it, and he had gotten threats because he was told it was illegal and blah, blah, blah. And the recording turns out to be Max Andrews arguing with Scott Anthony, explaining he put, like, a bunch of his name in the box, and Scott Anthony calling him boss. So then Max Andrews is the boss. Next week, Marcos Villas from the GWF home office in Barcelona, Spain, comes out and talks about Max Andrews being suspended and says he's the interim commissioner. Then, a short time after that, Marcos Villas comes back out with Joe Pettacino, and they explain that there's been a grave mistake on the part of Joe Pettacino. You see, what happened was, when Max Andrews became the commissioner, which I guess actually he was already the commissioner when they started, because of the cartel already exists. Maybe not, because this thing doesn't make any sense anyway. Uh, when he became the commissioner, whenever that was, Muck and Singh and a group of quote-unquote international businessmen... For forgot some things about this, I never forgot that phrase. Uh, they came to Max Andrews with a bunch of money, asking him to be, like, undercover bad guy for them in the GWF and also be the leader of the cartel as the boss. But Max Andrews went to Marcos Villas and the GWF home office and told them about this, so they had him working as a secret agent against the cartel, and uh, Joe Fettacino almost put him in danger, but all's well that ends well. Max Andrews is back as commissioner, and this is never spoken of again. Oh, and M Muck and Singh's banned for life. Uh, Rip Rogers and Cactus Jack have gone to WCW. Scott Anthony said he'd sue, so they keep him. And as we've discussed many times before, the reason this happened is that after Max Andrews was named the boss, he and Craig Johnson had a sponsor meeting with Eminem Mars where they asked him why he turned on his company. <laughs> Everybody's a mark, brother. That Global Wrestling Federation, boy, and them and their storylines. Yeah, what? It was uh, three weeks ago that we had the uh, out-of-work actor Dallas Aerie <laughs> yeah. promotion. Yes, yes. Imagine if they were around for this. Oh, if the out-of-work Dallas Aerie actors were around for uh, for the secret agents and the espionage? <laughs> yes. Joe Castellini, <laughs> Gaston B. Means. 
Yeah, and they, I, they even have Tedesino going out and being like, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. It's like something out of a James Bond movie or something. <laughs> it was wild to watch at the time. Even, I mean, that Globo is always a wild TV show. It's different. <laughs> Some of the most different pro wrestling you'll ever see. And, because yeah, you watch but, on ESPN, you know, they would always have the crowd shots whenever things got too tight in the ring or whatever. So you could see that, even though you could see it syndicated. Uh, it's just some of the just wackiest shit. The, stuff the syndicated show was also just a better TV show. It was a better pitch show with more promos and stuff. It was out of order. Problem is, syndicated show is not what's out there. It's the ESPN show that's out there. Mm-hmm. Mainly, For the most it, part, it, yes. Yeah. Ho- hopefully more of the stuff that goes up on uh, the on-demand version of Ultimate Classic Wrestling Network will be the uh, syndicated shows. But anyway... One of the reasons the earlier talked about December 8th pay-per-view date has been canceled. They're looking at pay-per-view in spring now. It's because of proximity with the two WWE pay-per-view shows just two days, just days earlier. Sure. <laughs> That's a convenient excuse for them, though. Insert wanking gesture here. Um, That's a, that is a good, uh, convenient excuse. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. gave it stuff- I look at all the stuff in the newsletters about overdoing pay-per-views and like, why did, you know, why, why did AWA put Super Clash when they did, you know, when it's so close to Survivor Series and Royal Rumble and Starcade and blah, 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 blah. So yeah, of course everyone's going to buy this excuse. Yeah. I'm sure when that got out there and that, that was going to happen, they're like, well, this, this is it for us. We can cancel now and nobody say anything about it. Yep. Well, now let's go to the torch. This couple of regular top talent and global sign contracts guaranteed $300 a week and 300 additional for each night they are asked to wrestle. And an average one, one night a week of wrestling, that's just over $31,000 a year. And three matches a night, that is just over $62,000 a year. The Patriots slightly, likely slightly on a higher scale. And others have been offered lower amounts. Patriot, Lightning Kids, Scott Anthony, and Chris Walker among those offered or have already signed contracts. I mean, that sounds kind of cheap, <laughs> but I guess it wasn't in 1991, so, you know, $300 a week is pretty good in 1991, yeah, and, so wait, one, and you're working one day, and you're working one day, basically. Well, you're working yeah. one freaking day. You're getting, paid, you're getting paid $300 and whatever else for one day of work. So wait, so think of it like that. No, but the way Dave puts this is confusing. So is it three hundred dollars a week plus three hundred dollars for each for each night they are asked to work, or each match they're just each match, each match. That's not as bad. So Sam, if they're working three matches on a TV taping, they're getting paid nine hundred bucks. Well, that's what I'm saying. They're not TNAing them. Remember when TNA started futzing with with the guys on that, where it was how many tapings you worked and not how many matches you worked. But think, but think about that. I mean, that's one one day of work, and you could be getting paid six, nine hundred bucks for that one night. That's that's pretty good. Hey, for for these guys in nineteen ninety one indie wrestling, yeah, that's not that that's not that bad. It could be a lot worse. Okay, yeah. All right, let's go to Portland. Rip Oliver and Steve Dahl won the uh, well. Rip Oliver pinned Steve Dahl with Northwest Dahl on September 20th in Portland. Finished saw Larry Oliver give his father a gimmick, which he used on Dahl, and also pinned him with his feet on the ropes. In other results, Bart Sawyer, who just passed away recently, rest in peace, beat Larry Oliver by disqualification. John Rambo over Jimmy Jack Funk. Mike Miller and Demolition Crush 
over Doug Masters and Don Harris by disqualification. Might win over C.W. Bergstrom. What's your other match? The tag match was going to be Harris and the Grappler against uh, Miller and Crush. Even though Grappler and Harris are feuding. Last week on TV, Grappler's team with Harris because the two ordered the defending titles by Barry Owen. But the following week, he won him in a singles match. Earlier in the show, Ron Harris, who'd been out of action for the past six weeks or so with a legit injury, came out with Grappler. And the two said they had no animosity towards one another. But Grappler started speaking his piece about Ron's twin, twin brother. And Grappler and Ron ended up getting into it. Well, I mean, the blood is thicker than water. So, there you go. I don't know if I want to talk about those guys and blood too much. <laughs> Sorry, Vic. They'll probably start talking about maybe purity or <laughs> blood in sand and that kind of thing. They never worked for Joel Goodhart. No, but they worked for <laughs> but, Todd and Paul. They worked for all the Jews, yes. <laughs> I, I, it's not on the Patreon shows, but there there is a note about that in Todd's book. Oh, really? About the SS tattoos, yes. How about that? That's right, you didn't put it in there, considering. It's one of your talking points. The state of New Mexico is running their statues regarding regulation of boxing and wrestling. Commissioner Dave Stewart, not the pitcher or uh, the guitarist, said the current bylaws were written decades ago and need to be updated. They'll probably include laws allowing for drug testing, include steroid testing for wrestlers, although Stewart anticipated testing will only occur in the most severe circumstances. We're not looking to make it a witch hunt, he said. We don't anticipate testing every wrestler, but this gives us opportunity to test if we need to. It's that wrestling hotbed of New Mexico. But we do have a wrestling hotbed here we talk about, though. Here is a tentative outline of the regulations that Florida is looking to establish. One... Refs, wrestlers, and promoters need to be licensed so their names are entered in the computer for random drug test. Random drug testing, two, for performance-enhancing drugs or street drugs with those tested randomly selected by a computer. Three, require a performance bond by the promoters to make sure abilities don't get stiffed. Four, a minimum agreed-upon guarantee or gate percentage for performance to be established. Five, accident insurance must be required. Six, an off-duty medical personnel required to take blood pressure here and heart rate if it's too high, the performer can't go on. Seven, establish penalties for false advertising of talent. Eight, establish penalties for failing drug tests. Nine, a revenue tax on live gates, 10 to 5%, but maybe instituted in a sliding scale to not tax smaller promotions as heavily. Ten, a 5% tax on baby revenue generated from cable companies within the state of Florida. It'd be a huge fight within WCW and WF over this one, but it will be precedent setting. And 11, some kind of as yet undetermined policy regarding blading. Not as much to eliminate blading, but to have ring officials wear gloves like boxing officials do. The 11 commandments of the state of Florida, Bix. Yeah, and this doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> there you go. Yes, after all the hype, none of, none of this goes anywhere. You know? And it's how it always goes, basically. Yeah. At least, it's you know. Talk, with... talk, 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 and then that's it. It's just talk. With the New Mexico stuff, you know, I would think there was some follow through though, because after I mean, you know, Dave Stewart, would he lie to you? Oh. Da, 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 da. Yeah, well, it was his sweet dreams that they were getting major wrestling in New Mexico. I'll tell you that. You gotta get closer to the actual title or lyric with that one. <laughs> but who am I to disagree? Now let's close out with a short WCW section. 
Not a lot going on. Let me start with uh, Matt Watch. Former AWA Women's Champion Medusa Michelli was scheduled for an October 7th start date with WCW at the TV tapings and center stage. Michelli has been dividing her time between the LPWA and All Japan Women. And apparently stars of wrestler then evolved to a Sherry Martell-type character, according to WCW sources. In recent weeks, Michelli has been under consideration for the role of the boss of the cartel in the GWF. Michelli reportedly called Joe Pedicino to thank him for her WCW offer. Insiders say that Medusa was snapped up quickly due to the reports of her going to the GWF. There's the other part of the boss story. Yes. That it was originally supposed to be Medusa. Well, no, it wasn't originally supposed to be Medusa. It was originally supposed to be Jeannie Clark. Well, yes, but then Medusa. Yes, but both got signed by WCW. <laughs> yeah. H- hence Max Anders being like, oh, screw it. I'll do it then. <laughs> and <sighs> what a weird r- beginning she has to this run. She's a baby face. She's like a, she's like a, um, a, Current style baby face. Like she's an ass kicking type baby face. It's really weird. Yes. And that lasts a week or two, then she's a heel wrestler. And then she's not really a wrestler anymore. And all the like the order this is taped and airs on TV is weird. Yeah, because when you watch TV, she's like a baby face and heel all in the same way. Yeah, and there's also the whole issue of She's clearly a heel by Halloween Havoc because she is credited with bringing in Rude to take Sting's U.S. title. And then when she does the belly dance for Sting, he's hypnotized by her belly dancing, even though he knows that she is a heel who is antagonistic to him. Yeah, but she, belly dance was just so damn good, Bix. Yeah, sure. Um, now, okay, all of that said... I do think, based on what WCW was doing at the time, her as more of an ass-kicking-y version of Sherry as a manager was a good idea. I didn't think they utilized her enough as a wrestler. I think they could have done more, but... And that's why she signed, so what was the idea anyway? Well, I think a lot of it changed once we had change in power. But there's no. no change in power that's going on around this time. No, but there's not say that they had some plans, possibly, that were squashed. You mean maybe that they were going to pick back up with her wrestling more? Possibly. Mm, as, a, as a dangerous alliance is going on, along, yeah. I but guess. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, she does become Sherry, I mean, Sherry Martell in a way. But Sherry Martell without the bumps and stuff. She's just more of like an ass kicker who the guys aren't really touching. Yeah, but it's the it's the man it's the manager type. That's what I'm talking about. Yes, yes, and they now they did do other women's matches one or two that she would like interfere in or run in after. So like they they at least tried to create the illusion of having a division for a week or two. Yeah, but it doesn't really go anywhere. Um. I don't know. Uh, it. I feel bad for her, you know, in the sense of like that she kept having these runs where she's promised like she is going to be the star of this serious women's division, and it just ends up not really being anything close to what she's promised. On multiple occasions. Yep. 
and in multiple promotions. Mm-hmm. But that's just it. They just couldn't take women's wrestling seriously back then. I mean, okay. Case in point, you know, I didn't mention this during the plugs. I guess I will do on this week's show. I forgot to that I. I've been working on for a little while, and I threw up on my Substack this thing where I basically I went through like all of the English coverage I could find on the news databases of all Japan women, crush gals, beauty pair, a little bit of Medusa stuff, a little more. But there's actually some interesting stuff in them, so I kind of did a little bit of a book report on them. Um, the first Medusa article comes from the Minneapolis Star Tribune, her home paper. The first quote is from Vern Gagne. So this is January 1990. What do you think the quote from Vern Gagne is, Chris? That's a sign of the time. Uh, I don't know. She's blonde and well endowed. Well, he wasn't lying. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the, you know, the thought process of the time, yes. And you know what? It still holds true today. It does. That's the only quote from him, too. That's what makes it so... Extra weird. Because then, like, they quote Fumi Saido, too, and he says, People here thought she was some movie star. She's very good-looking and big and strong. She's 120% American. Yeah. But, yeah, she, the thing is, like I said, she was supposed to be the boss at one point, and that doesn't happen. So, there you go. Yes. And, of course, that ties in with the Eddie just started there, too. Because they are yes. newly married at this time. Yes. There's some talk of bringing in Rick Rude with a big heel push. Oh, that definitely happens. Yes, because I I think part of the talk is that he made a point of giving his notice in WWF, despite not being his use, to make sure his contract didn't roll over. Yeah. The New York situation has been straightened out with the show on every Saturday night in WCBS. There was a miscommunication between whomever inked the deal and everyone else to the day as to the day of the station switch. So everyone in the company thought it was a week earlier than it really was. How does this fucking happen? <laughs> How does this happen? Only WCW. Okay, so I forget, is this worldwide or pro New York? Uh, WCBS? This has got to be worldwide. Because, yeah, I'm not sure if pro New York ever aired on Channel 2. I think it only aired on PIX, Channel 11. I'm yeah, this is worldwide. Our week's show is on YouTube. Let's. Okay, I'm curious. Let's hear the. Let's look at the intro and see what they say here. Wrestling New York. We will focus on the intensity that has escalated involving the heavyweight champion of the world, Lex Luger, and two of his top challenges, Ron Simmons and Barry Windham. We'll show you more of this bloody confrontation later in the hour. Thanks, person who uploaded this to YouTube from their screen recording of it instead of just using the file for some reason. <laughs> yeah, but you said it looked good. It does, but I'm saying it's like they were digging into whatever Google Drive they had this in, and I guess screen recording that and switch what they were showing for a second. It very weird. I've never seen anyone do that before. Oh, and it's Aaron Scott's channel, too. Hello 
again, everybody, and welcome to Pro Wrestling New York. Thanks for being with us here tonight. Jim Ross and Paul E. Dangerously. Tonight, so it is WCBS, or at least they think it's WCBS. I guess so. Because Channel 11 was Saturday mornings. I think they would say good morning and stuff like that, so with you and a little bit later in the program we'll take you to atlanta's omni and show you more of the violent confrontation involving lex luger ron simmons and barry Wyndham. but fans we've got an outstanding broadcast yes, in the next do. 60 minutes we're going to see in a featured one where are they shooting this that it's echoing so much i guess this is the studio okay but anyway okay so at least it in at least they thought it was moved to channel two by our week whether or not it actually was, who knows? Uh, WC, everybody. Scott Steiner got 36 stitches in his shoulder in a chainsaw accident. But they doesn't believe it'll be a factor in showing his return to the ring. Excuse me? <laughs> a chainsaw accident with Scott Steiner. Sure. Only imagine what he was doing with said chainsaw. Uh. Apparently, the original finish in the Chamber of Horrors match at Havoc was to be one-man gang losing the fall by getting electrocuted by one of the special effects gimmicks. The electrocution wouldn't injure or kill gang, but it caused him to get amnesia, and he would come back thinking he was Reverend Billy Bright and be a Bayface character, but obviously none of this is going to happen. Holy shit, I wish it did. <laughs> Reverend Billy Bright. Would he be dressed like Panama Gang? Now, who do you think's idea this was this Dusty's or Jim Hurd's? Yes. <laughs> I think that answers the question. I think it, I can see it being both or uncontested. Yeah. WCW has been talking with Ron Powers, the Windy City champion. Oh, I wonder some... who told Dave about this. Who <laughs> wore some openers next week in Kansas City and St. Louis. The St. Louis show is the last one the company will be getting at the arena, which goes exclusive with WWF, since WCW failed to draw 2,000 fans in the 18,000-seat building after being given entree into the place, which caused WWF to pull out. They get the arena and draw 2,000 fans. Yes, as we learn here in the uh, Larry Matizic correspondence section of The Observer this week. Jesus Christ. I, I mean, they're just so terrible. A promotion and house show shit. God well, damn. I think it's still the Don Glass era at this point, right? I don't know. I have no idea. Well, let's let's talk about house show, shall we? St. Paul in 28 drew uh, 2,500 in the first WCW show in the 20 cities in years. Compared to the 5,000 WF drew the previous night in Minneapolis. As Michael Hayes beat Fireburger Chip, star on three quarter. Van Hammer over... Terrence Taylor, two stars. Did you? Uh, you almost said Taylor Terry, like what's his face did on the Patreon show. No, I was thinking about Terry Taylor May Man, but it wasn't the time for Taylor May Man yet. No. Uh, Austin went to a draw with Dustin, two and three quarter stars. Stain double count with Abdullah, two and three quarter stars. Zink, Tom Zink over Oz, one star. So how about that? Z Man gets a win in Minnesota. Pillman over Jeremy Bad, two stars. Enforces over Rick Steiner and Bill Kazmaier, two and a half stars. Ron Simmons and Barry Windham over Luger and Mr. Hughes with Simmons pin Hughes clean, three and a quarter stars. They announced the November tip for return date. This is said to be one of the better house shows in a while. Then they went to Chicago on the 29th and drew 1368. That ain't good. 
as a Todd Champion pin Michael Hayes, Brian Pillman over Jamie Ben, Van Hammer pin Terrence Taylor, Barry Wyndham and Ron Simmons over Lex Luger, Mr. Hughes, Austin with the draw with Dustin, Zink over Oz, uh, Sting, Double Count Abdullah, Enforcer over Steiner and Cass Meyer. Same show, basically. And we, we should note, too, that Dave misspells Phil Kazmaier's name every time. And uh, the same crew worked Rockford, Illinois, on the 29th on a matinee and just 750 at the Boylan High School. Oh, the same crew, including uh, headliner Bill Kazmaier. <laughs> yes. Rumor has it that the creatures will be Johnny Rich and Joey Max. And they were. Mm-hmm. But they were just in masks and tights. They didn't have any real gimmick. Thank you, Jim Hurd. The WCW Saturday show continues to show a lot of improvement because the show seems more spontaneous, part of which is due to Cactus and Abdullah. Hmm. WCW 28 drew a 2.4 rating, while Power did a 1.8. Many of it was preempted because baseball went long. Oh, that's always a, that was always a joy. And to close, a tour is scheduled for Great Britain in December. Seeing groups in England are clamoring to bring over any American promotion. Global supposes have feelers as well. With incredible success, WF Live events have had over there. Hmm. Global, eh? Well, they got the English Lords if they're getting ready for the comeback. They've got, well, I guess Adrian Street's gone. They don't have Axel Rodden anymore. Yeah. And this tour does happen, right? Uh, December 91? Yes. Let's see. Here's what exactly this looks like. I don't know how much we've covered this before. Oh, D- WCW does have the Screaming Ingle- Eagles from L- Liverpool, England, by this point. All right, so, you, so your tour was December 10th in London. Doesn't say what venue, 3,000 fans. December 11th, London, 4,000 fans. Oh, December 12th, London, 5,700 fans. December 13th, Sheffield at the arena, no crowd listed. Dublin, uh, December 14th, no crowd listed. And that's the tour. But they go back. Did they go back at all in 92 or not till 93? Uh, then they're 92. Let's see. No, they're not. So they don't come back till the tour in 93 with Davey Boy and the Vader's tile changes and all that. Where... I mean, that tour did better because they have Wembley, March 11th, 93, 11,500 sold out at Wembley Arena, largest WCW gate. So that's interesting. I'm assuming that's in one of the newsletters. History of WWE says largest WCW gate up to that point. I don't remember hearing that. Uh, Birmingham NEC, 10,500. Manchester at the GMEX. I don't know which building that was renamed to. 8,000 sellout. So they didn't run as many. Sh- oh no, there's more. and then right they came back in October, and that's the one where they ran all the weird small market venues that didn't do great. Although they had some good draws, but did well enough that they came back and they did real well on that second tour, third tour. Eh. Yeah. That last that last ninety three tour was such a mistake though, because like, I get the idea, and they did still draw pretty well in the bigger markets. But like, what are you doing running Blackburn, England? Yeah. But that's it for this week. Yes, it is. Uh, next week, on Between the Sheets, we'll go back to 1998, okay. 
where we'll have news on the, how wrestling's affecting the TV ratings of Monday Night Football. It's quite different in 1998 than it is today. In WCW, we have a very sad update on Brian Hildebrand. We have uh, Dana Hall writing a scathing letter, letter about uh, how Scott Hall's being treated by WCW and Scott's problems himself. Plus, we have uh, television in uh, Nitro in Columbia, South Carolina, which is off the rails, and Thunder. So we'll have uh, a lot of WCW moments, a lot of WCW everybody moments during our show, during that section next week. A lot. It's a very packed section. Yeah, yeah I see. As I look at the numbers. Then we'll, uh, we'll got stuff from Japan to talk about. Battle Arts running Cork and Hall with Bob Backlund against uh, Great Sasuke. I think was on no Bob Atkins Daisuke Akeda, sorry. It's part so, of that tournament, the B Cup. Yeah. Asushi Onita issues with FMW. We got Alexander Karelin in a big press conference announcing he's joining rings. And Antonio Noki has a big press conference as well for a UFO show. Otto Vance is running a big show during our week. His big champion of champions uh card, whatever it is. Yo Dos Santos injured in Mexico. We'll talk about that and how that's affecting uh, the lucha scene over there. We got an update on the NWA convention, the 50th anniversary convention, including what is really going on with the NWA and ECW with a letter from Howard Brody to the Observer. Okay. ECW running an ECW arena show during our week. So we'll have that. Plus, they have a show in Marietta to talk about and other news and notes, including. Who's pissed off that they're not ranked in the PWI 500? And then, oh, uh, this is who I think it is, right? Probably. And in WF, we got Vader. He's leaving. And Ray Trailer's coming back, so we'll have news on that. Plus uh, Raw. And uh, what was the original plan for the New Age Outlaws in this era? All that more next week. On Between the Sheets with a guest making his long-awaited return to the show. After many attempts to get him on the show, it's finally the timeline has worked out. Dr. Keith, Dr. Hey. Keith Lipinski returns next week to, on Between the Sheets. And in something I did not know at the time, as I asked him to do this show, one of the ECW shows during our week, he was in attendance, and it was the first ECW show he ever attended. So, so we got that next week on Between the Sheets. So that's so Ch- Chicago or Blackwood, New Jersey. Oh, I forgot so, he's originally from uh, up here. So, all that more next week on Between the Sheets should be uh, quite the fun show. As this air in '98 is pretty crazy. All right, big thanks as always. Should rock the show. This is Chris sends so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
everyone, and welcome to Between the Seats Patreon Special Edition number 84. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, this show will close out seven full years of the Patreon. Hard to believe we've come this far. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, like we've talked about before, I don't know why it doesn't feel that way, but it's like, it's it's always weird to me when we think about how we started the Patreon just a little bit after the first anniversary of the show. It doesn't feel that way. It feels like we've been doing the main show much longer. Yeah, it does. But we are here. Yes. And on that note, we're starting a new little sub-series here. As we're doing a two-part series on Todd is God. Todd Gordon's autobiography. He wrote with Sean Oliver. And uh, we have... uh, a bunch of ECW shows already up in the Patreon, and this is going to be a, uh, you know, a nice little companion to that because we're going to have a different point of view, as we'll have Todd Gordon's point of view instead of the Paul Heyman universe point of view yes. here. So, so it'd be quite the little uh, contrast at times, I'm sure, as we do this. All right, well, let's jump to this. Todd Gordon carrying Ric Flair's bags during Slambury Night for Weekend, Philadelphia. Let's go to the Torch Yearbook. Excerpt from Bruce Mitchell's largest ever fourth annual year-end quiz. Question number 10. Yeah, it's true, department. What renowned professional wrestling promoter was seen beaming like a schoolgirl as he carried the bags of Dick Flair into the hotel the night before Slambury in Philadelphia? A, Tootsmont. B, Jack Pfeffer. C, Phil Zacco. D, Todd Gordon. I should note, Bruce put Jack Pfeiffer. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go to Todd's book. Wayne Keller was a writer responsible for Russell Torch and brightening the senior Heyman's day by printing my glowing report about their son. Report car about their son. When I first asked Eddie to get us into the sheets, Wade is the guy he contacted. Shortly thereafter, Wade and I started talking. He seemed trustworthy and I respected him based on what I'd seen and heard. Then he did something stupid. Open edition of the torch and was shocked to learn I was carrying Ric Flair's bags at WCW show at Philadelphia Civic Center. I called Wade as soon as I read it. Not only did I not carry anyone's bags, I began, but I wasn't even there. Someone I trust saw you. Wade, I'm not lying to you. Bruce Pritchard saw you himself. Bruce Mitchell. You said Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Mitchell saw you himself. Bruce is another wrestling writer who apparently needed an eye exam. He never met me, so I don't know how he could be so certain he'd seen me. Maybe it was another short, bald Jewish guy. There's more than one in this city, or so I'm told. Yes, there is. I was, <laughs> I was so angry, I never lied the way. I always shot straight. For him to say I was lying was a big insult. I might not have answered all his questions in the past, but I never lied to him. That was all I needed to ever speak to that motherfucker again. It bothers me to this day. I would not have gone to the civic center whether or not I was asked to carry a bag for someone. Paul always said not to go to other people's shows. He'll sink your credibility as a promoter. I understood that when he said it, and to this day, I've never been to a show I wasn't promoting or working on. A month after this debacle, we were doing a show in Philly and got word that Bruce Mitchell was coming. He must have gotten new glasses and ready to watch him wrestling. I was coming to the building with Sandman when we spotted Mitchell. Hack started yelling, Gordon, carry my bags, Gordon. Can't tell that guy anything. Okay, before we get to the meat of this, oh, Paul, Paul doesn't want him talking to any other promoters, huh? Interesting. He doesn't want him going to anyone else's shows, huh? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Uh, that said, what do you make of this? I believe Todd 
Yeah, I do too. Uh, so what the fuck is Bruce Mitchell talking about? I mean, who do you see? I mean, was Bruce was at Slamboree '94? I guess. Did he write about that? I don't know. But do you think he saw someone he thought was Todd Gordon, or do you think he made it up? I don't think he would make that up for nothing. So I don't I'm, I'm getting... either, especially 1994, Bruce. I guess maybe he saw somebody, and maybe somebody told him that's who that was. Oh, you think maybe he was like, oh, who's Karen Flair's bags? And someone jokingly said to him, Todd Gordon, and he took it seriously, maybe? It's possible. It doesn't make no sense. That's, that's the weird thing about it. Because, I mean, why lie about something like that, you know? And the thing with Wade is, <laughs> Wade is being so convinced that that was true. Without, you know, listening to Todd, you know, that tells you about how Wade felt about Bruce. Yeah, and I just pulled up the Slamboree issue. You know how they have the pay-per-view roundtable? Yeah. Oh, no, wait, I'm... <laughs> wait a second. This says 1999. Oh, no, it is the right one. There's just a typo or an OCR issue or something that turned into 1999. So here's Bruce's pay-per-view review which by the way he gave this show of all shows a three out of ten this show had too many holes in it and a lot of shoddy decision making on many levels i don't know why i didn't think to put this in the notes but whatever the job of management despite turmoil backstage is to make things look smooth make sure things make sense that wasn't accomplished the following is my laundry list of complaints barry Wyndham's return was not well thought out and he looked horrible flavors Wyndham was better than i expected but it didn't look like barry cared tully blanchard was not used well for instance why didn't Aaron anderson accompany him Terry Funk's patronizing of quote-unquote hardcore fans is getting nauseating. Is he running for office or trying to wrestle? The award ceremony was too long. Since when is the assassin one of the all-time greats? And why is your number one heel being honored? Who's the number one heel at the time? Who's he calling the number one heel that was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 94? Was it Harley? I guess so, yeah. As the as the top heels manager, I guess, is the or one of the top heels manager, I guess. Yeah. Um... Zabisco's going to get a push. Why didn't they play to his strength and give him an interview? Hurts Vader to have him do so many jobs. By their logic, Stinks would have wrestled rude. It was good to see Cactus not actually risk his life. Okay, so that does not sound like someone who's at the show. No. Not in no, the slightest. No. So what's the story? <sighs> Is it possible it's someone other than Bruce... And it, maybe someone else told Bruce and then told Wade, and it's just lost in his memory a little, maybe? It pissed Todd Gordon off, obviously. Yeah, it's stuck in his head, so I don't know. Like, it doesn't seem like it's that kind of thing. I'm curious, like, I'm curious what the next Bruce column is after this, too. Because, like, what... <sighs> That that's really weird. Well, also we need to keep in mind then this is this first ran in the quiz. This is seven eight months later, in the first place that this is even becoming a thing. You know? Yeah. Do we? Or I mean, it's possible that Bruce told Wade at the time too, but it's very strange. Like I. I'm like, I'm sorry, but, like, any 
I mean, if we're going by it, uh, Todd remembering this right, because it seems like he's being fairly honest, every newsletter writer in that era, if they were at the show, they made it clear. Right? Can you think of any time there is a newsletter writer attending a show and reviewing it where it is not made clear in their review that they're at the show? Well, Dave had some of those. That's Dave. <laughs> Well, you say any newsletter writer, so no, but he's I, but the still, number one newsletter writer. But still, he says it somewhere, though. How many pay-per-views or anything are there that he went to where it's not somewhere in there that he's at the show? The thing is, is I mean, it obviously happened, though. It, I mean, it obviously happened where Todd is told that. Yeah. I mean, where he calls Wade up and pissed off about it. I'd, I'd be curious but what Wade would say now, but I don't know if Wade would want to say anything about anything involving Bruce these days. Yeah, Wade probably don't remember. He might. I don't know. But, but I mean, obviously Todd did. Well, yeah. Wouldn't you? But maybe it's a story that got out there and it, it got attributed that Bruce was the one that saw it, but it, Bruce was told about it. I don't know. That's the only other thing I can think of. Well, I don't know. But interesting little uh, aside there, regardless. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.